have right now, uh, reaching out to the CDC to give them ideas on how to moderate content. So that that's a big part of this, and we've been talking about that a lot for sure. What year? What year did they do that? Twenty twenty one. Most of the, most of the stuff started about May of twenty twenty one. The stuff we saw in through July. And I'm guessing it's mainly related to uh, COVID, yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's it's mostly related to COVID in general and vaccine type stuff as well too. Okay, and how did uh, so Facebook was get was they getting any pressure or was just their moderating policy they were sharing? They they were working. You know, what what we have are mostly Facebook to CDC emails <clears throat> asking for help on what to moderate. So it, which implies, I think, their desire to understand what CDC's policies were, so they could implement guidelines and take actions to shut down certain discussion. Uh, but we did get some CDC uh, emails to them on on some Bolo meetings to give information as well. So that, that it seems to imply other companies, you know, in coordination with them also. Yeah. It, it's to, to kind of sum it up a little bit, basically meta gave the CDC de facto power to police quote unquote COVID misinformation on all of their platforms. And then, you know, the CDC takes it way too far and decides that any erroneous claim uh, can contribute to vaccine hesitancy and needs to be pulled. Uh, and it just it went downhill very quickly from there. But so, it, it started off very early, very early in the pandemic. First, first, how's my audio, man? It's good. It's great. Okay, it yeah. Great. So it seems more uh, like Brian, you're there, and and you're that uh, the other voice of reason, uh, of balance. Um, so Brian, how would you compare this to the Twitter files drop? It seems they were just a lot more relaxed. There's not much pressure against the CDC if they're just giving them free reign, according to what Jim said. Yeah, it looks more like Facebook was reaching out to the CDC to determine how they should moderate content, whereas with Twitter, it was more the the CDC and other organizations, other government organizations, reaching out to them saying, "Hey, you should you should consider uh, moderating this." I, I I think that something that you look at is like well, would kill your guys internet. I don't know, man. Anything I don't know. Was wrong you can hear me now, Ian. Yeah, just making sure. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I, no, no, I, I heard you know. No, I just there's a lot of echoing though. Uh, I think it's on Brian's side. Oh, that's good. Actually, oh, no, was, was something wrong? No, somebody's side. Somebody's echoing. Okay, maybe maybe it's, I need uh, maybe I need to mute when someone else is speaking. So keep me posted, Catherine, if it works. Go ahead, Brian. What were you saying? And I'll mute. Yeah, yeah. That, let me know if it echoes again. I, I like. I would ask those who are against what Facebook did, and and I I would say that I'm probably partially against the way they handle things is what would you, how would you feel if Facebook just took the public information that the CDC put out there, whereas the CDC might say COVID vaccines do not cause Alzheimer's COVID vaccines do not cause a variety of other ailments. And Facebook just took that public information and then applied that to their moderating policies. Would that be, would that be a different, a different, uh, would you view that differently than the fact that Facebook reach out to the CDC and ask them but let's how can we moderate before, that? Before answering that question, I just want to know first, how's the echo, Catherine? Is it good? It's is fine. Okay? It's fine. Everything's fine. Okay. So, okay. So, so, so I just want to understand, and Ian, you've been covering the Twitter files from the get-go together, is um, who leaked this and how much of it did they leak? Did they leak it like, you know, completely? What's the background of the person that leaked all this that wrote about it? Uh, I think so he joined as well, didn't he? 
this came as a result of, I mean, it's a joint result of the uh, the, the lawsuit that's currently ongoing between A.G. Schmidt, you know, who's now a, a member of Congress, I think. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. It doesn't matter. Uh, between that and, and, and the Biden administration, and, and this is a result of that. I think they had access to some of the emails. It's not really clear who provided the, these emails to them. I think it was a whistleblower. Uh, but somebody from Facebook gave uh, Reason.com, uh, the journalist who, who wrote the article, um, access to these emails. Okay, so someone internal at Facebook, they gave Yeah, access. yeah, yeah, yeah. They got access to these emails, yeah. And these are emails from the CDC and to the CDC. Hmm. And based on those emails, we don't we don't see any pressure from the CDC. Just Facebook willingly said, "Hey, we're going to censor based on X, Y, Z," and gave them essentially free reign on what yeah. to censor and what not to censor. That is correct. Yeah. And how do you compare this to the Twitter files? Well, the Twitter files we saw, uh, you know, we saw an established pattern where at the start there was a lot of pushback from Yoel Roth to uh, these different organizations, whether it was the uh, State Department or to the FBI. But eventually, they sort of capitulated and started just. You know, letting them do whatever the hell they wanted. They set up portals. They set up a, a Slack uh, a room that had over eighty plus employees over there. In, in in the case of Facebook, it seemed like they were on the same page as uh, as as uh, as the CDC, as the federal government. So there was at least in these emails, we don't see any sort of pushback whatsoever. These are not internal conversations between Facebook employees. This is more uh, to do with how Facebook interacted with the CDC. So there was no pushback at all from what we can see uh, from Facebook, at least not from these emails, right? I mean, there may have been some internal conversations about whether to provide them with this information or provide them with a sort of a power to censor users, but it's uh, definitely not in these emails. Hmm. By the way, I'm just going to send you guys a piece of information that just came in. By the way, is breaking news on stage with us? What's up, breaking news? Hey, uh, Mataya. Hey, how are you? Good, man. Good. Can you give us a quick overview of the uh, – I'll, I'll give everyone an overview of WEF as well because I know a lot of people are more than I expected just curious what's going on here. So I'll give an update on that in a bit um, since I'm there now. But uh, do you want to give us a quick update on the Alec Baldwin situation? Absolutely. Yeah, if you recall back in 2021, uh, American actor Alec Baldwin accidentally shot and killed uh, Helena Hutchins and wounded uh, director Joel Souza on the set of his uh, film Rust. Uh, we've been waiting for months from the from the DA in New Mexico to release uh, charges, if any, and they finally announced them this afternoon. It came as a uh, breaking news exclusive from the Wall Street Journal just about an hour ago. We know that Alec Baldwin is going to be charged with involuntary manslaughter. We know that the film's armor, who oversees all the weapons on set, uh, is also expected to be charged with involuntary manslaughter. And we know that the film's assistant director has agreed to plead guilty to negligent use of a deadly weapon. Now, according to some reports, Baldwin will be charged twice as both an actor and as a producer, which is very interesting. He's going to be charged as the person who pulled the trigger, as well as someone who oversees the set and has the responsibility of keeping the set safe. Um, and one of these charges, if found guilty, carries a five-year mandatory prison sentence. So that's what we have at this point, and uh, we're expecting more information throughout the day, and we'll continue to update you. How many years in jail could he face? At potentially up to five years mandatory sentence, and then the others, based on his status as a celebrity, I don't know if uh, prison time or what the prisons would do with him inside the prison, because it comes with its own set of threats and things like that. Uh, but we do know that one of the charges carries a mandatory five-year sentence if convicted. Fucking insane. Poor guy. 
Wow. Um, he is... deserves it. Wow. He deserves it. But you th- well, what, 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 what makes you say that? Because he was fucking negligent. That's why. Like, you check your gun so, before firing it. You don't just check your... I mean, you don't just fire it. You don't depend on other people. I've talked to actors about this. I actually talked to Adam Baldwin about it. And by the way, Adam Baldwin has handled never, so many guns. They're never... Oh. They never have like live bullets though in the chamber. They never do, and they always well, like. Set, I would say the armchair. That's the thing. You can't take it for granted. This is what that Adam Baldwin told me. So let me uh, let me tell you what he told me. Right? He's you know. Well, okay, go ahead. All right, yeah, I mean, you can you can continue after, but like uh, Adam Baldwin, you know, if you don't know him, he uh, he was uh, Animal Mother from Full Metal Jacket. He's been in Chuck. You know, he's one of the main characters there. He was in. Uh, uh, Firefly, you know, it's a guy who like he basically he's a gun guy, right? It's a gun guy. And and in his, you know, in his estimation is that every actor and and even Will Smith says this, right? There's a actually a clip of Will Smith handling guns and he's doing so very very carefully when somebody points a gun at him, he's like, no, yo, 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 put your gun down, right? Like you always assume that the gun is live. Even if you even if you check it, if, it's, if somebody else checks it, right, they have to assume that it's live. So when you're handling a gun, when you have access to that gun, you have to check to see if it's live. Do not do anything with it before then. Now the problem yes. with Adam, with, yeah. with, sorry, not Adam Baldwin with uh, with this guy. Uh, um, what's his fucking name? Alec Alec Baldwin. Adam Baldwin and Adam Baldwin, not related, by the way. They just have the same last name. With Alec Baldwin, he took this gun and he assumed that it was safe because it was supposedly checked by an armor. The armor, uh, uh, he's trying to throw the armor under under the bus with this one. Like, he has claimed that the armor, who was a very young woman, you know, who is, uh, uh, not that being a woman matters, uh, is not someone who, you know, looking at her background, is not someone with extensive experience in all of this. And... Uh, to my understanding, right, the people on the set were the night before they were out shooting with those guns that were supposed to be used in 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 in, in the show, right, in, in the movie. They were out there having fun um, shooting these guns, and these are not like you know like rifled down or anything like that. They're real guns, and so you're not supposed to load them up. But they were fucking around with it, and somewhere, somewhere, somebody down the line didn't check it properly after they'd done playing with it. You're not supposed to play these guns. Everybody knows that. Yeah, you're not supposed to play with it. So that explains what happens yeah. so that that solves the mystery of it yeah they were not supposed to i mean i do think the armor like as as young as she is like then they shouldn't have hired like she did not do a proper job like any set that i've been on they are very careful with this stuff and and he shouldn't have pointed it but like uh like the the odds of a stray bullet being there were very low but if they were shooting these guns the night before wow okay the reason why he's being charged twice once as an actor and once as a producer was because he was negligent in his duties as a producer of that movie it's kind of his job to ensure workplace safety yeah. right so uh, his job as a producer is to ensure that and he wasn't like he 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 was negligent as a producer not as an actor necessarily but as a producer he was very negligent in 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 getting the workplace safety and making sure that you know they hired the right people but, but Ian, wasn't there Ian, wasn't there someone and, and Nelson you could just jump in bro but wasn't there someone checking the guns like someone was responsible yeah, purely that for would the, props? Be the armor yeah that would be the armor and it, was a, it yeah. was a young person very young person uh didn't wasn't really qualified for the job you know and this is who he hired he wanted to cut costs on his movie so that is yeah that's where the producer's responsibility that's why yeah, that, yeah. That, 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 that's what I'm saying though that's what I'm saying we're, we're 
are the charges for the producer? No, I mean, he is, he is Ian, charged. You, you can't blame the actor. He's getting charged for that. So he's getting charged twice. No, but Nelson, I'll rephrase. Now I'll rephrase Nelson's question. Why isn't the by the way name redacted? You got to fix your internet, bro. But why why is the props person also not getting charged? Because because I mean it, it's kind of like it, it it goes up the chain, right? It goes up the chain. If you hire somebody who's not qualified for the job, is it really their fault that they fucked up, or is it your fault for hiring them in the first place? Right? It's his job as a producer to ensure the safety of everybody on the set. It's not the armor's job necessarily, unless, you know, that armor was like actually part of the fucking round crew. Uh, she wasn't, right? She wasn't part of that crew, but the, the producer was unable, and the producer in this case is Alec Baldwin, he was unable to ensure the safety of the set, of all the people involved working on this film. He did not uh, do his job as a producer to make sure that these people were not fucking around to begin with. That is why they're charging him with manslaughter as a producer. Now, as for the other charge, which is him as an actor, uh, maybe that one will be dropped, right? Maybe he will actually win. They'll find him not guilty in that. I think that he it shouldn't necessarily be his fault because as an actor, it's not really his fault, you know, that he didn't check the gun when he fired it. You could argue it's negligent for him not to do that, but they're charging him with that anyway. You know, we'll see what sticks, right? But I think that, in my opinion, right, uh, as, as as an actor, it's kind of nebulous, kind of gray area. We're not really sure because a lot of actors don't check their guns. It just They trust the producer to do that job. So they're charging him twice because he is the producer. It is his job to make sure that the set, set is safe, but he didn't do that. That's why they're charging him twice. Okay, so that provides that provides a lot of context because and initially I thought he was just the actor, but since he's the producer as well, I see where Ian's coming from. Yeah, I mean that's that that's very negligent. So yeah, I agree with you. Ian, Thank you. 100%. Do, do we know if Baldwin was one of the people out firing the guns beforehand, or was he not? Uh, I'm muted. Sorry, Matthias, you just jump in, man. Yeah, you don't have to sit there waiting. Go ahead. Yeah, no, that's that's nothing I've heard of, Brian, but it, that doesn't mean it's not necessarily true. Um, I just wanted to let you know that I'll step back in if there's any breaking coverage, but I'm actually heading into dinner with my family. So yeah, yeah, man, um, just, just jump you know. in if there's yeah, jump in if there's okay. any updates there. I do want to go right. name redacted. I want to go to you quickly because uh, we've, we've got a lot to talk about. Um, man, you've been ringing the bell about Facebook for a while. Um, you've looked at how many people from the FBI they had in executive positions. The number was pretty high. When we say Facebook, we're talking about Meta here. Um, can you tell us about the uh, what, what are your thoughts on the findings now and and anything new on your end? Have you have you found anything new on on Facebook's end? Or have you looked into other social platforms? Um, I haven't found anything new other than what I've. Uh, originally posted but the difference i think we see here uh compared to twitter uh working with the fbi uh there we did see some evidence that uh twitter pushed back on some requests but with this uh release about facebook today uh facebook actually i think it was the opposite they were facebook chose a side a covid and they reached out to the CDC for guidance on moderation, and they were partnered with the health community and totally willing and happy to censor anything, you know, that went against the official narrative. Um, and then, again, remember, not FBI, actual former CIA uh, officers that are the managers, the head people at the Mission Trust and Safety at Facebook. Is it before I continue? Is it dropping out for me or no, it's fine. name redacted? You're fine. You're fine. Oh, okay. okay. You your name redacted is okay? a bit choppy on you. Yeah, your internet is choppy. So if you can fix that, that'll be great, man. Um, I do. So, so before continuing, before digging into WEF a bit, um, any Nelson, what are your thoughts on the recent drop and and on Facebook's uh, 
going out explicitly going to the CDC um, to get guidance for censorship. Nelson, you there? Barbara? Yeah, I'm here and I'll jump in for Nelson until he comes back. But um, what I think is that Facebook was negligent in their own due diligence. We do consider Facebook and Twitter news agencies at this point. Am I correct? Because Twitter's listed as the number one news source in, you know, downloaded apps. So I think they should be held to the same journalistic integrity as any newspaper or television outlet. And I could be wrong on all this because I don't understand all the legalities. But in my estimation, Facebook was grossly negligent. And actually, Twitter showed that they at least pushed back and asked more critical thinking questions. So so the uh, standard of Section 230 is uh, that because that they are not under the news agency standard. I mean, that's in, in, in effect what Section 230 allows social media platforms. So I think that question is a serious one. And Mario, we briefly discussed that a little earlier, but it's an important point. Uh, have they violated Section 230 by being so willing to work with government agencies. Now there might be some fungibility to that issue. I'm, I'm not entire. I'm not a lawyer, and I, I'm not entirely certain on that. But I think it's a serious question because that's the whole reason. One of the whole reason. One of the one of the major reasons for Section 230 is is because they aren't. They don't want to become news agencies, which do have some requirements. Right. I, I, yeah. Exactly. Right. As soon as they cross the line of being a news agency, they just don't get that same protection that they get right now. You can't have your cake and eat it too. I mean, at the end of the day, we got to protect the interest of the of the citizens. And so, I, Jim, I'd love to understand more about two thirty, and I didn't want to ask because the conversation was flowing. But maybe we open up another room and dissect journalism. Yeah, we could, we could we could bring it up. Yeah, I think we do we do space on this. I, I do want to go. So another breaking news now: Vince McMahon uh, McMahon from World Wrestling Entertainment has agreed to a multi-million dollar legal settlement with a former wrestling referee who accused him of raping her in 1986, oh. according to people familiar. That's, this is crazy. Like, first quote, it's like discussing, uh, you know, those allegations of truth, disgusting, it's number one. Number two, is like, that's 86. That's insane. It's before I was born. Uh, nine, 2000, how many years ago is that? 40 years ago? A long 30 time ago. Years a ago. Lifetime yeah. ago. 36 years ago. 36 that's, years, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy how like something you do when you're a kid, uh, when you're 18. Isn't that what isn't that what happened to that actor from uh, Hot Cars? I'm not good with names. Hey, by the Kevin way, Spacey. Bill, Bill Cosby. Man was probably in his. Bill Cosby. Well, the thing about Bill Cosby, he's older than uh, I, I Kevin am. Kevin Spacey. There's two was... different situations. Right? Bill Cosby was found guilty, whereas Kevin Spacey was actually cleared of all charges. So I just want to put that out there. I know a lot. Very of important are, differentiation. A lot of people are dunking on on Kevin Spacey, but I want to make it clear that all the charges are dropped. Right. So that. No, but yeah. the, what, 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 but the, the, the point I'm bringing is like, like you, you, just anything you've done ever in your life is like it's never you know if it's years old it doesn't mean it's gone forever. It's just something. It's just fascinating to see this it's happen good, time and time again. It's good that there's accountability. It's good that there's accountability. hundred percent. hundred percent. On on rape, you know, like a lot of the times, you know, these people get away with it. And they they die and then people find out what they've done, right? Like that's fucked up. Hundred um, percent. I do want to jump into to Nick. Nick, can you tell us about the the news just now about Trump and? Uh... Sure, uh, sure. So uh, Mike Pompeo, which was Trump's Secretary of State, um, all the way up to the point where he left office, has uh, there's been a lot of rumors floating around about the fact that he might actually jump into this race and run for president. Uh, he just put out a memoir uh, accusing Trump of trying to 
silence him when he was uh, back in March. I can, I can go over I can read Pompeo. the whole thing. I just I was just writing it up. Oh myself. shit! Yeah, yeah. So what happened was uh, oh there you go. Pompeo, who was like Trump's right hand man, really uh, put out a memoir, and he said that Trump told him to shut the hell up for a while after. Uh, uh, he had been talking about how COVID-19 had emerged from Wuhan Institute of Virology, right? He was out there saying that China made this virus, this serious issue, this is something that we need to tackle. You know, the China has effectively, you know, kind of weaponized this thing that happened and, and you know, we're kind of responding to it like idiots. Uh, you know, Pompeo was out there, he was fighting a good fight, I would argue. I mean, you can, you can say whatever you want about his foreign policy issues, but I, in my opinion, he was right about China. Uh, and and I think everybody in the in you know on the conservative right was on board with this, right? They were like, okay, yeah, Pompeo is making a lot of sense here. I mean, he's talking about how China's responsible for this stuff, at least partly responsible. And according to his his memoir here, Trump told him to shut up after Xi Jinping, who's a Chinese president, expressed his displeasure with Pompeo's criticism. So Xi Jinping gives uh, uh gives Trump a call, says, hey. Shut up about this shit for a while. Again, you know, we're not responsible or, or we don't like you talking about this. And according to Pompeo, I have, no, I have no reason to doubt what he's saying here. I have no reason to think that he's lying here. Said that Trump told him to shut up about it. And there's a exact quote. He says, uh, my mic, uh, that fucking guy hates you. Referring to, uh, referring to uh, uh, Xi Jinping and says that uh, 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 Pompeo was, quote, putting us all at risk, uh, end quote, by pissing off Xi Jinping. And that he, uh, because he, the United States at the time was completely dependent on PPEs from China, right? Uh, America didn't have the facilities, or at least uh, uh, it didn't have like the, the capacity to make PPEs, personal protective equipment. And so the, the idea was that he needed to shut up about China for a while uh, so that they could get their PPEs. Otherwise, China might, you know, like boycott America for some reason. And he said, stop for God's yeah, and, sake. And I do, and, are you? Are you yeah. It's easy to criticize this, but it also makes logical sense. Like he's... It does. Things are a lot more complex. Like, There's a time for everything. It, 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 sure, sure, sure. But like, if China was responsible for putting this out, I mean, wouldn't we want to get at the bottom of this? Because Trump allegedly told Pompeo, and this is a direct quote here from his memoir, he said, stop for God's sakes, and that Pompeo should honor the request that he should listen to Xi Jinping because, quote, we needed the health equipment and we were at the CCP's mercy for it and would bide my time. God damn. Yeah, so I, I'm not... But yeah, but w- w- again... If it means getting PPEs at a, such a critical time, would you not do the same? We're not like guys. Let's not let's no, not I do this now. Would, There's a time be, for everything. Would, honestly, I mean, if China was responsible for this, and and we don't know if they are because you know the NIH is uh, has a lot of ties to this, so it's I would I would argue that it's probably a combination of both the U.S. and China that that, that produces uh, the stupid virus. I would argue that, you know, America should be less dependent on China, right? America should instead, instead of like saying, hey, we need your stuff, China, so we're going to be nice to you, we're going to suck up to you, we're going to, you know, uh, kowtow to you, bend our knees to you. Instead of doing all of that, America should have responded. Trump should have, should have said, you know what? Fuck these guys. We're going to build our own facilities to manufacture all the equipment that we need. And we're not going to depend on China. We're not going to be so reliant on China to the point where we can't even criticize them for anything over the threat that they might cut us off on something that we need. This is the issue. This is the issue, right? Like where America has become so dependent on, on China that it is unable to even do anything in response to Chinese provocations. I, I I think that I mean this might shock some of you, but I kind of take Trump's side on this. I, what? I, I think that there is a time. <laughs> I think there is a time and a place for everything. And if you're if you're involved in diplomacy, maybe a meeting where you're talking to him about one thing might not be the best time to bring up 
something about COVID and the origin and where COVID came from. Uh, you can do that at a later time through other means, but uh, I, I I don't know. I, I I mean I I think I can see where Pompeo is coming from, but at the same time I don't blame Trump for trying to trying to be a diplomat in this situation. Um, do you mind if I pop in my opinion? Yeah, because go ahead. I'm an I mean, insider with space. one of the. I'm an insider with one of these two people, so <laughs> um, I'm gonna. I have something okay, sorta, to say about Mike Pompeo. But I am no Mike Pompeo fan. I know Mike Pompeo. He is a self-absorbed uh, person who, from my experience, who tries, who is trying to run for president, and definitely is attempting to distinguish himself from Trump. And this indicates to me his intention to possibly go after it now. Um, that having been said, uh, I do believe the basic substance of this sort story. Uh, I do think Donald Trump probably told him that, and uh, I I don't know if I believe Pompeo's uh, characterization of his reaction to it entirely. That may or may not be the case. So I think there's more to this story, I, but I think it's substantively correct. I mean, you know, if you really consider Donald Trump uh, didn't quite make this a China issue uh, directly. Uh, until sometime after this was rolling out. But the other part of this that I'm curious about is Donald Trump did call for restricting people coming from China fairly early on as we were figuring out this thing was spreading. So that, that goes into the mix here. And the reason I think that becomes more significant in my mind is that I've had bouts with Mike Pompeo personally, <laughs> like through the years, and, and I do not find him to be an altruistic person. I do think he's right on China. I agree with Ian on that. And I'm not saying he's totally worthless. But when it comes to motivations, I I hold no uh, positive feeling about Mike Pompeo because of my experience. Do you not think he's a good actor? I mean, at least in this case, do you not think he's being honest about, about what's going on? He's being honest, but honesty, I, well, honesty is not always... Honesty is not always... Again, we go back to the noble lie. Like, um, I'm, I, I can't be in Trump's shoes or Mike's shoes, obviously. But if if you're in, a, remember, Trump would love to blame this on China. It fits his entire narrative, and it blames a foreign country. Um, so politically, it makes sense. But for him to do this, to be able to get PPE to save lives, it's hard to argue such a decision. Now we are simplifying probably a very complex matter. Um, but you know, I, I let you jump in, Jim, since you're a bit of an insider to this discussion, or, or both people. Yeah. Um, but well, to me, it just, I, I, it just sounds like a logical situation. And, and then Mike, for him to come out publicly with it now, and him to listen to Trump before, again, I think both of them did the right thing. And there's just a private conversation, and it kind of opens up the, you know, kind of just gives us an idea of how many of these private discussions are happening behind the scenes, and there's just so much we don't know. And it is I'm, worth I'm noting right now. Let me, fight, let me just I'm, say real quick before before yeah. you jump in, Jim. I just want to add one thing. You know, uh, we, we're talking about Mike Pompeo jumping in and saying something about, uh, you know, naming it after Wuhan, naming the virus after Wuhan. Trump was already calling it the Chinese virus in March of uh, 2020. And then he stopped for so, a while. Think, he stopped for a while. Right. Yeah. So so that that, that kind of gets into the extension of my comments here. I, I, I can only say this from my experience, and there are probably more factors involved. I'm not an insider to this particular situation, just to Mike Pompeo, I believe. And um, I think 
I, I think you have, Mike Pompeo is ambitious. I mean, I think anyone would, would argue that based on what they see with him, but I'm just adding to that from my experience. Um, so that you have to take this story with a grain of salt to that effect. What he, I think he's not poss- possibly not characterizing in this or leaving out because of his characterization is that it is possible that Trump was trying to massage this situation long enough to get PPE in. I think we can give everyone credit, even though Fauci was a stupid idiot on all the PPE stuff. I think everyone was like, hey, let's, you know, we are backed in this hole. Let's let's not go so far that I can't quickly get what I want and then go back to calling it the Wuhan virus, so to speak. I mean, Trump kind of thinks that way, it seems to me. So I don't, I think Pompeo's trying to massage this story enough to give him more credit than he deserves or to give Trump more discredit than he deserves. That's, that's just my opinion on it. I mean, it's certainly, it's certainly his, it's to his benefit to embellish the story and who's going to be able to refute it. Because I, I mean, it's, if you have two people in a room on a conversation, you know, it doesn't sound like there were, um, there was, there was anybody else that was actually a witness to the conversation just based on what he actually wrote in the book itself. Well, so don't I underestimate think... the possibility that there were other people in the conversation. It's not too, too often in the uh, Oval Office, although probably Trump did it more than others. But it's not too often that the that Oval Office discussions are not attended to by other people. There aren't too often one-on-one conversations. In fact, he probably would have had more of those with Reince Priebus and uh, Mark Meadows as chiefs of staff than he would with people in the cabinet. Uh, I want to go to Shaney. First time on stage. What's up, man? What's up, brother? How are you guys, Mario? And, welcome uh, welcome back to social speakers. media, man. Well, welcome back to social media. Thank you. Yeah, well, I just want to introduce myself to everybody. I'm Shaney. What's up, guys? Um, I was uh, I was banned on uh, on YouTube about a month ago. I was banned. I, I did 180K subscribers and 315 million views in two months on YouTube Shorts. And I do street interviews, so I ask people, you know, Trump or Biden, if Joe Biden was here right now, what would you tell him? Just political questions. And it just – it's insane to me the censorship that I'm seeing with big tech. Um, what, what, not, what, what, what got you the strikes to get suspended? So I, it's crazy. I actually had zero community guideline strikes. Um, I was eating dinner, and I got an email from YouTube that said my account was permanently deleted. I had Wait. zero I had zero community. Their, their reason was hate speech. Um, cause I would ask people, I'd be like, she's a 10, but she's transgender. And they, oh, said, it was, and they okay. said it was hate speech when people wouldn't want to do any of that. So they would consider that stuff hate speech. Um, and I just feel like it's outrageous, but I'm, I'm happy for Elon. I'm glad he's coming here and restoring. You should, come, speech, uh, you know? you should come to our debate. We're going to do a debate. Uh, Nick is, is organizing it. We're going to do a debate on, um, on, uh, you know, pronouns and, and, um, the transgender debate that's going on right now so if, if that's something you've covered it will be good to have you there it's going to be a balanced discussion people both you gotta sides keep of the in mind though, just 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 a just a warning here that the uh, the old terms of service uh, do not allow for misgendering or dead naming anyone so you've got to be careful when you talk about this stuff yeah for sure on twitter on twitter yes yes they're still in effect okay so how, how what does that mean for us? Like how what, how do we well, I mean, how do we have transgender person? A transgender person is is a biological male. You know you can call them a biological male, but you can't say he's a man. You know like that that could actually get you suspended still. Ah oh, okay. So if you call a transgender person a male when they've kind of 
Uh, uh, you know, well, you call him a male. I mean, that's like deliberately. That's a fact. But if you say that he's a man, when you know, when when that person identifies as a woman, that is considered to be misgendering. I yeah, except people have been doing it constantly, and nothing seems to happen. It's hard to Good. spot, though. I'm happy, but it's, it's still in the rules, right? And, and 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 it's because I think they've largely stopped reporting people. That's why no one's being banned for it recently. But I still do see it happen where a, a trans-exclusionary radical feminist, or you know, whatever you want to call them, a, a feminist, uh, calls it out. They have been suspended. It has happened. So just keep that in mind to uh, moderate uh, your conversation. I'm not telling you to self-censor, but it's for your own good because I don't want to see you banned. I think your voices are important. Yeah, no, totally. I, I agree. Like, I, I, just... I would love nothing more than for us to have an, uh, an honest and completely open conversation without fear of censorship. Just, but just keep in mind, there are still a lot of people, a lot of moderators at Twitter who are you know, uh, still abiding by the old paradigm, the old rules. And, and those people still work there. So just letting you know. Like you'll probably that we need this is the issue is it, is it considered to be misgendering I yeah except people have been doing it constantly and nothing seems to happen it's hard to Good. spot though i'm happy but it's, it's still in the rules right and, and 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 it's because i think they've largely stopped reporting people that's why no one's being banned for it recently but i still do see it happen where a, a trans exclusionary radical feminist or you know whatever you want to call them a, a feminist uh calls it out they have been suspended it has happened so just keep that in mind to uh, moderate uh, your conversation. I'm not telling you to self-censor, but it's for your own good because I don't want to see you banned. I think your voices are important. Yeah, no, totally. I, I agree. Like, I, I, just... I would love nothing more than for us to have an, uh, an honest and completely open conversation without fear of censorship. Just, but just keep in mind, there are still a lot of people, a lot of moderators at Twitter who are you know, uh, still abiding by the old paradigm, the old rules. And, and those people still work there. So just letting you know, like you'll probably get unbanned eventually, but uh, you know, you might not. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder what's going to happen with the whole YouTube thing because I see a lot of creators migrating over to Rumble, um, like Andrew Tate. Is there is there Andrew Tate because he had no choice? Is there actually a lot of people that are migrating to Rumble? Are the numbers? How are the numbers at Rumble? Does anyone know? Has anyone checked the metrics? Um, I can look it up real quick. I'm pretty sure that that they're doing some crazy stuff. Let me take a look. They just redesigned their site. It looks really nice. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, they're, they're stocked up 20% this week. They went public. Let me. Yeah, they're good. They're doing good. I mean, the issue is that uh, you need, to, I think you need to be either Canadian or American to even be monetized. So there's uh there's still some hurdles there to be, uh, to be tackled. I talked to them about it. I couldn't get monetized. It's going to be interesting to see how the monetization works. Like, are there going to be enough advertisers to, let them compete mon- with with YouTube in terms of monetization. Yeah, I think that's a big question there. Yeah, like with uh, uh, at least with uh, with Twitter, it's going to be a lot easier once uh, Elon has all the monetization systems in place. All right, guys. Before we dig into dig into um, WEF, um, I know we're going to do a whole space on WEF tomorrow. WEF. Uh, so world Nobody, economic. Who calls it WEF? I don't know. Everyone seems to be calling it WEF. I didn't know about it's the term until like WEF. WEF. 
Yeah. <laughs> no, people have been telling me yeah. like, "How's I've been getting people like I get a call, so I'm like, hey, Mario, how's wife?'" Uh, but if we were going to uh, dig into the world, I, can, I call it Davos. But it seems that yeah, uh, Davos WEF is, is, yeah, is Davos. Yeah. I usually yeah. say Davos, but apparently yeah. most people say WEF. Um, but WEF is more is, is just easier to say than WEF. Anyway, so World Economic oh, Forum. I, I, I wanna, we're going to do a whole space in Davos tomorrow, um, and it's just, it's very it's very interesting this time around. Very different. How did your one on one go? Um, ah, the, 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 which one, the, the interview or? Oh, the one on one with, you know, you know, the, the, the big guy. Oh, <laughs> don't, we can't make jokes like this because everyone will just take it seriously. Just for anyone, no, I don't have any, I don't have any one on ones and stuff. Like, I, like, I, I, some of the messages I'm getting, people criticize me. I'm like, I wish what you said is true. I wish I had that much influence where I could just get in a room with these guys. But like, I, I'm only here to support one of the projects we're backing called Faith. Um, anyway, so I got a lot of stuff to share, but and we're going to do a whole space on it tomorrow. But before that, um, I wanted to to ask, um, what was the question I wanted to ask? Rumble quickly, um, regarding Rumble, um, uh, is it just uncensored YouTube? Number one, and number two, where are they? They're based in Canada, so doesn't that mean not Canada? But where are they based? Because does the US, Canada? Because doesn't yes. that like don't they have the same legal requirements? There's, there's things that are that social media platforms have to legally abide by, especially in Europe. So how uncensored can they're they be considering the legal? Europe, I don't think I don't think they're monetized in Europe, so they don't really have to worry about that for now. They're located in Sarasota, Florida, I think, which is like yeah, like an hour. Yeah. What, what I what I think Rumble needs to do is they need to get more creators that are not just political i feel like they need to reach out to creators that are already on youtube which they've already started doing but i feel like they need to reach out to it's creators so to try I might and make email them again and be like hey you want to run my entertainment channel because... yeah because 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 i mean the thing about it is right now it's it's a lot of people on the right and i feel like they just need to open up more to everybody but it, it could really work out especially with you know the funding they have and the ability to give people more freedom of speech on their platform versus other platforms. I think it could be the future. Um, but again, they need to really expand what what type of content creators they have on their platform. And they got to do some UI the, updates the, as well. The, the hardest part about doing that, though, is it, it's, it's a similar thing with Google Ads, right? You know, people run Google Ads on their website because they pay so well and no other service can compete. And so it's going to be the same sort of thing that you have there. Like, how do you get mainstream people to migrate over from YouTube to Rumble when they're, uh, the, the, the income they make from ads is so much lower, even based on a thousand views or something? Great question. Yeah. What, they're, what, they're, what they're going to need to do is they're going to need to pay the creators on top exactly. of the advertising dollars. Is they're just going to need to give the creators money. Yeah, and, and I, I think it's the problem that like Truth Social has and, and Parler and Getter is that they appeal to like one side, one group of people. And you really need the whole gamut. You need everybody to be interested in order to really create a platform that's going to appeal to everybody. And so I agree. I agree with what, what uh, Shaney said is that they need to reach out to people from all aspects of life. They need to start paying people up front to just sign a contract and say, hey, I'm going to put all my content on Rumble. And I think that could work. It's just, it's just that it's going to take a lot of money to do it, I think. All right, guys, well, but- I, want to, I, want to, I want to shift the conversation, guys. So just for the audience, I want to just get an idea of what you guys think of, not WEF, but of WEF. It's important. <laughs> not joking. Uh, of Davos. So I want to get an idea of what everyone thinks. Because the comments when I said that I'm going to Davos, which I've been there before, um, I'll give a bit of context and then we'll dig into it. And I want to go to the panelists to get a bit of an overview to prepare us for tomorrow, at least so I'm prepared. I want to really understand 
why? Like, why is there such hate towards W towards the World Economic well, Forum? Go there and tell, tell, tell everybody they want to take over the world. I mean, like, we yeah, and, and I, I want to. So, yeah, so that's what I really understand, and 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 the various, you know, there's a lot of theories. Some go a bit too extreme. Some are very very logical, and some even people here at at in Davos agree with. I'll, I'll tell you guys about my experience, but just I want you all to go to the comments. Uh, I think Jim is back up. Uh, when Jim, Jim, you're back up. All right, let me get you. Yeah, we get your co-hosted Jim. Can you hear me, Jim? I forgot to say he dropped again. No, um, no, I, I didn't hmm. drop. I, I just, I was oh, accepting okay, okay. the co-host, and I couldn't do both at the same time. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So I, I want to kind of, I want to discuss. Um, and I'm seeing some people from Davos in the audience right now. I'm just going through the audience. Um, yeah. So I'll give you guys an overview. Um, while uh, the the audience kind of comments their thoughts on Davos and any questions you have, um, and we'll dig into it more tomorrow. Like tomorrow, we'll have a deeper discussion. Yeah, let's not talk about um, it right now because it's you know obviously you want to save that for tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. If there's a lot, there's a lot to talk about. But like, uh, just to touch on it to kind of give everyone just an idea, and also I want to ask questions. I want to learn a bit just so I'm prepared for tomorrow. It was the first thing that was really cool, Ian, is that people knew about the show everywhere. That was insane, and I'm talking oh, yeah? like. Right. Yes, man. There's one. It's one thing about people knowing about us. You know, when you go to an event or you're just going at a, at a, at a, at, a, at, a, at meetings or whatever, it's fine. Okay, that makes sense. Or friends of friends. Okay, that's pretty cool. But when you have people that you know manage multi-billion-dollar funds or or leading big companies, like big decision makers in the world, come talk about the show and they know you guys. Like they mentioned some of the panelists. Like, yeah, we really like X, Y, Z. And some of you guys, I'll tell you offline because I don't want to boost your egos here. But they'll be talking like they'll be talking about us. They'll be like, "Yeah, I spent hours. Like I was in a dinner with the guy, the organizer of the dinner. It was the 200 people there. Uh, it's a top 50 dinner, and the organizer comes to sit next to me, um, and then he starts asking me about it. And then his partner, who's on the other side of the table, like, "Yeah," he starts he starts answering his questions because he listened to the show for hours. So it's just fascinating to see. First, the power of this, of what we're building in. I think Elon will be really happy to hear this information. And the fact that they're listening to it. And they, they, they first, they appreciate how we're always balanced and try to be as objective as possible. How we're always on top of news all the time. And, um, you know, they, they like tell me, like, how did it feel to have this panelist on board? How we're, tell us more about the FTX days when FTX was collapsing, when the insiders came. So it was really fascinating to see. And like, that just shows that we're having actual impact. Like, when you, when you have the decision makers come on, and that shouldn't be surprising, Ian, Jim, Nick, that shouldn't be surprising because, um, those, like, we, we have the, the decision makers coming on the damn show. Um, so it's, yeah, it's just been an interesting experience. Obviously, tomorrow we'll dig into it a bit further. Um, but that's like a quick overview. And, and it was funny enough, when we started the space, my team started the space and I was offline and kept crashing. I was actually like in the meeting. There was like one important meeting I had to do in Davos, just one. And that was it. Like literally a minute before the meeting, two minutes maybe, the files, Facebook files drop. <laughs> and then right after the meeting as well, I have, a, I have my panel. So I have like literally two important things in the Facebook files drop. That's why – so I apologize for everyone, all the crashes and everything. I know it's cool to say, like, hey, Dad is watching us and shutting it down. But no, it's probably yeah, we're just, just because fun. I wasn't able to start it. Yeah, we're just joking. Yeah. We're just joking about that. Damn. Yeah. I wish it was true. I wish it was true. It just makes, it makes so, for a good so movie. Mario, before, Sitting there um, watching before, before, the question. before everyone starts uh, answering your question, give us a little more flavor. So, like, what did these conversations – how did they play out in terms of why people liked what we were doing and how they felt it was a significant thing in their minds? Because, I mean, if, if they're these kind of people, that's not an insubstantial uh, evaluation. There's there's a there's a, a strong sentiment against globalization, okay, and 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 rightly so, especially where the world is today, um, and the people here are 
are concerned. Like they're concerned to see such a uh, populism around the world and the, the, the movement that's been very critical of centralization of power. And that's why I did my tweet today or yesterday. It's like when I saw the centralization of power, when I saw those behind the scenes meetings, like when I'm walking and I'm seeing decision makers left, right and center, having those closed door meetings, no camera, nothing. It's just a reminder that this is where decisions are made. Now, obviously you can be on one extreme of that theory and say, hey, they control the world. And on the other extreme is like, hey, this is all for show and they don't really have that much power. Uh, you know, it's, it's a discussion for tomorrow. Um, now, in terms of why, so yeah, they're worried about like the movement that we're seeing here. They're worried about what Elon is doing. Like Elon is just breaking the norm with I'm everything glad he's doing. Worried. They should be worried. They should be worried. <laughs> they're worried from people like Ian <laughs> who just eats a person with no salt. Um, Damn right. But they... So they're worried about this movement, and and it's a good thing for one reason, like whether you like them or not. Um, you know, we're going to bring bring people that are you know people that speak at Davos and that are from those circles. We're planning to bring them tomorrow. But whether you 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 like the World Economic Forum or you like the people that are here or not, um, being worried is a good thing because it just keeps them accountable. Because once you have, even if you have centralization of power within, you know, within people that have, you know, good people, okay. Well-meaning people, even if they're good people, I'm not talking about World Economic Forum, I'm talking in general, centralization of power gets the, the negatives out of people. Then when you have so much power, it's really hard not to abuse it. It's really hard. Like when we had – what was the story I think we covered in this space? But when you have – let's say your, your, your um, Biden, Hunter, uh, Joe Biden, for example, love him or hate him, uh, when his son – is 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 facing issues it doesn't have to be political it's his son so that there's times where having that much power could lead to you crossing the line censoring something just because it's your son i would do anything for my son i don't have a son but if i have a son i'll do anything for him but for the world it's not a good thing because it just shows abuse of power um so that's the main i think it's jim you asked the question that's the main sentiment another interesting one is like i speak to people on the street like I, I did a couple of interviews on the street and they would tell me what's funny is that the person that with the tv camera and everything i don't know if it was live or not but they'll uh, tell me like mario like what's what's the like why what are you what are your thoughts on the world economic forum now especially with the amount of criticism around the world and people not showing up it's like they even people here know that the tide is shifting or has shifted a bit, especially you know, especially um, with COVID. And on the crypto side, for anyone in the audience from the crypto world, uh, it was beautiful to see. Like the all the freaking people is going to curse. Oh, I can curse. That's my show. But all the fucking people that are like chasing the token price and pumping money. Where's the next 10x, 100x? They're gone. They're all licking their wounds. And the only people here are the people building the technology. Um, and it was great to see a lot of institutional money coming in. It was very, very good to see that. And you know, when I did my my panel. Uh, a bigger audience than last year, despite FTX and all the shit going on in crypto. So it was beautiful to see. It was beautiful to see the builders have their time under the limelight. It was good to see traditional people coming into the space and being curious about the space. The people that were stopping me for photos and questions and stuff were not just like your average crypto project. There were people that are from the outside world. Investors, it was fascinating. When I have an investor coming, he's like, Mario, I watch your show, blah, blah, blah. Or I know you from this. I'm like, fuck yeah, like, yes, <laughs> you're an investor in the traditional world getting into crypto. And, you know, everyone knows I'm pretty heavy in crypto and a big fan of it. Um, so, yeah, man, that, that, that answers the question. But it was, it's going to make for a fascinating space tomorrow. Mario, how long have you been involved in the crypto space? Um, uh, since 2017, bro. 2017, yeah, that's that's like right when I got into uh, right, oh, after, right, right after that pump to about 19, uh, 18, 19K and – 
I've got a question like Ian where do you see like where do you see the world economic forum in let's say five years I'm, I'm genuinely curious well I mean I see them doing the same old shit where I, I think they, they start accelerating they, they double down on their efforts to uh, create this unipolar uh, you know liberal world order as they like to call it right this is a and, and this is pretty evident in what they're saying out there I'm not talking about the random people on the ground who are there as investors or as there as a you know small government official I'm not talking about these guys I'm talking about the guys up above like the uh, the elites the actual elites who run the show with people like Ursula von der Leyen I mean the stuff that they're saying kind of scares me they're talking about you know basically cutting out any part of the world that isn't on board with what they're doing we're talking like for instance with russia russia's not on board with what they're doing uh, i mean for, for many different reasons but they're talking about turning these countries into pariahs and using uh, existing mechanisms uh, uh, facilitating this ostracization of any country that isn't on board with their economic policies their energy reform policies you know we're talking about policies that are you know that are anti-human, I would say, right? Because like the average person, say the average European, is not going to afford, not going to be able to afford energy or rent or or gas or their car, anything like that, with what they're proposing. They're talking about, you know, instituting uh, carbon credit systems all across the world in in countries that are going to adopt it. Like in the European Union, you have uh, multiple MPs, like energy ministers, talking about the imposition of carbon credit systems that will hurt regular average working class uh, people in Europe, right? And we're, we're seeing this already in Canada where the Trudeau administration is implementing this stuff. Why do you think they're doing, like, what is, why do you think, like, there is, obviously, there is a move towards all that stuff, but do you think they're doing it because they believe that that is the right solution, or is there some kind of, in your opinion, some kind of an agenda that benefits someone, or, or like, um, is geopolitically convenient? What is the reasoning behind it? What is the motivation? I think that we, we have to not see them as a monolith. Some of them are true believers. They're climate evangelists. They do believe firmly that they need to save the planet and this is the way to do it. There are many people like that, right? I mean, they're just as bad as the others. But there are other people, especially uh, asset management firms, in particular BlackRock, people like uh, Larry Fink, who... For them, it's not about saving the planet. For them, it's about consolidating profit and consolidating power. And 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 through these uh, uh, these uh, um, energy consolidation, uh, you know, uh, policies that they're doing right now, which is to make energy more expensive, which is to restrict property ownership, which is to uh, limit, you know, the amount of privacy that you have, the amount of freedom that you have, your, your ability to travel even because, it, you know, there are some people saying that you should not have a right to travel, that, you know, traveling abroad using an airplane is, is it should not be considered a, a commodity, right? It is right now, right? I mean, it's like still expensive to, to fly but it, it's not crazy expensive it's not prohibitively expensive they want they want to limit the amount of freedom that you have in order to consolidate their power and they don't care it doesn't really affect them i mean they're wealthy they can eat beef right uh, if they raise the price of beef for instance if they start banning farms i'm not saying they're personally raising the price of beef but their policies are causing say in places like the netherlands to shut down their farms in order to save the planet what this means is that food becomes more expensive and people are going to look for alternatives such as eating bug meal right Right. And that's a I'm not joking about that. That's something that, you know, that they profit from Bill Gates, for instance. I know people, you know, he's like a boogeyman, but deservedly so because he owns 
all of these facilities that are making these uh, these uh, beyond meat style uh, meat alternatives, right? So he stands to personally benefit from this. People like him, people like Larry Fink, they benefit from the price of uh, real estate going up because they can afford to buy up all the houses and then create a system in which you are entirely dependent upon them to even have a house because you will not own a house. You will have to rent a house. This is something that's been, you know, that they openly talk about a future in which people do not own homes well, anymore. People they talked about it in an article, but I will say uh, on the car side, I can comment on that because with the self-driving side of things, I, I went to a lab where they were developing some designs. I think it was, uh, I can't remember if it was for Mercedes or for BMW. I think it was Mercedes and and they were looking at designing, you know, clearly like in the future that the, the plan does seem to be going towards not owning things, right? Like uh, just like we have with Uber and, and other companies of that style, right, where you don't really own that that idea, you know, you don't own anything, you'll be happy. So that comes from that kind of idea that corporations will own the 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 things and then you kind of rent it out which everything's a service well and yeah and it's not entirely like a horror like it's not as dystopianly horrible as it is it is a horribly dystopian idea because it means that you're entirely dependent on the government you're entirely dependent on these corporations corporations, actually i would say like i want to live on a farm go ahead finish before you finish Catherine, just quickly aaron i see your hand up i do want to go to you for the report from yesterday the COVID report. So I'll go to you in a bit, Aaron, uh, you and Steve, to talk about that report I sent you on WhatsApp because uh, I'm Perfect. Using, I wanted I wanted to cover it yesterday, guys, but uh, obviously didn't have time. And, and I'm yeah, going to pop ahead, in Catherine. on this too, right after Catherine. Go ahead. All right, cool. Yeah, yeah. and Aaron, I might have actually something to chime in on this topic. So I, maybe I do. I was raising my hand to. I have a. I do have a section in in my book, The New Abnormal, on the World Economic Forum that might surprise people both on the right and on the left. So. If I could just have a, a minute to, to to frame what exactly is the World Economic Forum and how does it operate, I would love to chime in on that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I'll, 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 right after Jim. Go ahead, Catherine. Yeah. So, so yeah, I just wanted to sort of say that, I mean, yes, I see all the concerns, Ian, but uh, it's not so much the government that would own it. it it's really corporations. And that's really where that's I see worse. all of this heading. Yeah. I mean, uh, sure. I mean, I, I, I don't necessarily think that that's um, a, a good thing. I, I do see some, I mean, I, for example, with the self-driving cars, there's, there's some, there's some benefits. Like, I don't think you can say there's zero benefits to some of yeah, the like stuff. The like, there's cars. less life deaths and things like I, that. Okay so, with I, self-driving cars. I'm okay with that. I, I, I am all on board with FSD. You know, like full self-driving. I'm on mm-hmm. board. I don't like driving. Right. Well, My and you're sharing the car, so there's the less car, material. Right, but there's less materials and things like that. So there's, but at the same time, I watched an Australian dystopian uh, movie where it's like, okay, like you lose your credits or something, and and so you don't have your own car. I mean, there are there are issues, and especially if you don't trust entities very much, like corporations, and as you've experienced, Ian, where like PayPal kind of cut you off, right? Cut me off, and, yeah. Yeah. So, so because we, we can't quite trust the corporations and we maybe don't quite trust the government at this point, there is, um, 
the fact that you don't own something uh does make people very uncomfortable and i think rightfully so so so, so that is a, a scary area because to tie, okay, like. so here's the thing here's the reason why people are afraid right the, the problem is these corporations are ideologically driven meaning that if you have a certain viewpoint you know you 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 believe in uh, uh you're conservative for example they'll cut you off because your idea your ideas don't align with theirs and that's a fucking problem when a bank cuts you off says that you're not allowed to do any banking with us and that you, because your credit score is too low not credit score sorry your social credit is too low and they're going to use uh ESG right ESG is what they're using to to right now they're using it to control corporations you have to behave in a certain way you have to quote unquote behave responsibly to the environment and what that means is in order to increase your score you actually have to actually give money to activist organizations and and that will help your score. It's kind of insane. Like companies like Tesla, which I would argue are very environmentally friendly, have a terrible ESG score as a result of their, you know, refusal, Elon Musk's refusal to capitulate to activism. Right. And and so it's not about well, saving the planet. It's not about making the world a better place. It's about making the world. It's not even about making it more equitable. Right. It's about giving all of the power to the people uh, whose ideology is dominant. Well, what concerns me is if you had, like, say, an Uber and a Lyft and, and, you know, maybe a third company, right? And they own all the cars. And in theory, everything is working beautifully, right? And then maybe you get called a bigot, <laughs> you know, or something like that, right? That, that something doesn't align. And then they cut you off because they universally kind of agree that you're like a fascist, right? And yeah. then suddenly you have no access to a vehicle. So, you know, maybe 10 years ago, that seemed like an unlikely scenario. And now it seems a very likely scenario, even for someone like myself, right? Uh, right. You know, let's say I spoke against the mandates, that probably already makes me like a target. So right. things like that. So that's where I'm very concerned. Um, we should go to Jim, yeah. I think. But so, so you see a lot of parallels here, here with the, the issue with Facebook that we're talking about today as well, because you're looking at the Great Reset. That was a narrative that that's still the World Economic Forum is pushing, right? About using the pandemic to uh, uh, to change the world economy and, you know, push through some of the, the goals that they've been working toward for a long time. And we've already seen that they are now able to control the narrative. They used COVID-19 just exactly as they said. And it's not going to get any better from there. It's th This was the catalyst that brought uh, all this distrust to the World Economic Forum. There was a lot of it before, but I think that's where we are yeah, now. Yeah, so... Um... Let me put a little light on this because I definitely want to hear what Aaron has to say, and I don't want to take that over. Plus, this is a good setup for what we're going to talk about tomorrow. So, you know, just FYI, and I know Mario will handle that. But here's one thing that's interesting. I was reading articles on this. I've been thinking about this. This is really primarily the WEF is a corporatist approach to governance that is on steroids. Fascist approach to governance. Guys, it's a fascist approach to governance. Let's be well, clear I'm on that there. one. I'm getting there. Let me, let me just hold on a second. So – you will own nothing and be happy. Okay, so I way back in the day, back in the early 90s, late 80s, I used to sell cars. I made more money selling lease agreements on those cars than I did on selling the car itself. Like that that was a pretty big incentive for to to try to do that. I didn't always do it that way, but so these lease agreements, they lease the car for a little bit and you and you're just leasing the use of the car and that's literally what the contract says and then you turn it back and then 
the, uh, the the dealership comes back and sells it later. They make a lot of money on it. They figured out a long time ago that lease agreements do that. There are modifications of lease agreements. And so corporations love this. I mean, just everyone on your iPhone or even your Android with your uh, cellular provider, your mobile provider, I mean, they you just turn that thing in. You keep churning it. They sell it to someone else. They make money off of it. So there's that aspect of it. That's where – so when you put this on steroids, then you've got companies – able to do things at much higher margins. I, I And I would tie that in to things like the TARP bill that the United States put out to save the banks that were, quote-unquote, big, too big to fail. No, they should have failed. If they were screwy, they should have failed. It would have been just fine. The purpose of bankruptcy is to to take assets that were poorly managed and have a good way to transfer them into hands that could that could manage them better. That's the, that's the purpose of bankruptcy. So anyway... Uh, the, the, the corporations that have that get favors from governments are the ones that uh, that that really love what World Economic Forum stands for. That's the less nefarious part of it. I'm with Ian though. I think there's even more nefarious things. Klaus Schwab is an egomaniac. <clears throat> he loves being called as he has been since this has come up the most influential man in the world. He loves that. It's a real self-aggrandizing, selfish, fleshly desire to be. Uh, made into somebody, but he actually does have some influence. And I think there are more nefarious goals because CDBCs, which, you know, I know some of you don't know, but I'll just say quickly, you know, these government blockchain currencies really could implement social credit scores, maybe not for exactly the nefarious purposes that China has for those sorts of things and actually are doing to their people, but for less nefarious, more purposeful ways to make sure that their corporate buddies who give them monies get even extra benefits. There's so much you can do when you can control things. And the World Economic Forum is a bit more evil in my mind generally because these more nefarious things where government does can, can take uh, corporatism on steroids, I think that's really at the heart of what's going on there in my opinion. And now Aaron's going to correct me, I'm sure. No, I'm, I'm not going to correct you. Um, maybe just frame this big picture. What is the World Economic Forum? Uh, the, the section where I describe this is entitled The New Lords of the World, which um, is a little bit of a marketing ploy to, to hook people. But um, the World Economic Forum is a trade there organization. Kings on the Hill and Aquinas is, uh, you know, is what you talked about. There's yeah, the Kings on the yeah. Hill. Kings so, of the City of the Hill, right? Like that, 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 they're basically the elites. They think they're the philosopher kings. They're smarter than everybody else. You don't elect them. They just self-elect, self-appointed leaders because they're smart. They're leaders of their fields, you know? Yeah. There's sorry, a, sorry there's, no, yeah. there's a philosopher king attitude about many of the, of the people. But so they're, they're a trade organization and their membership consists of the, the largest and wealthiest corporations, multinational corporations in the world. So they are, in the most literal sense of the term, representative. They represent the interests of their members, and their members' capitalization exceeds the gross national product of most nations in the world. Uh, So hugely powerful economically, if if nothing else. And, And we know that economic power often translates quite easily into political power. So what I try to explain is that Klaus Schwab is not so much a supervillain who is pulling all the strings behind the scenes in some smoke-filled room in Davos 
a sort of uh, as a sort of movie theater um, shadow government type of uh, you know to, world totalitarian dictator. No, he is representative of a, a group of people with certain agendas, uh, very often with certain ideologies. Does that mean that everyone who goes to Davos shares? you know, his opinions on the way uh, the, the world should be moving or on the fourth industrial revolution or on the great reset. No, but he's certainly representative uh, of, uh, of most of the people in his trade organization. Otherwise he wouldn't be, he wouldn't be heading it. He wouldn't be heading it up. So he's, I, I argue that he's more like a, a kind of cartoonish or garish mascot for, you know, a certain elite set that has, in general, shares uh, certain ideas or, you know, you may, you may argue ideologies. And when it comes to COVID, it's important to remember that during the lockdowns, we saw the largest upward transfer of wealth in world history from the working class and the middle class, not just to the upper class, but to the very tip of the socioeconomic pyramid, to the, the corporations and the people that gather in Davos. So they gained by our pandemic policies. Why did Amazon lobby for lockdowns on the West Coast? Was it because Jeff Bezos they shut down small business? Exactly, exactly. They shut down their competition, and when you have to work and live, uh, you know, at home, you're gonna you're gonna be engaged in e-commerce. So just look what happened to Jeff Bezos's personal wealth and Amazon stock during 2020 lockdown. So not everyone was harmed economically by these policies, uh, the elites and particularly tech elites gained uh, massive economic gains and also, as Ian mentioned, consolidated power uh, as a result of many of our COVID policies. So, um, you know, the, the, the people on the left want to, you know, I think who may share a lot of uh, the WEF's uh, dispositions on climate or on, you know, what needs to be done to make the global society better are going to be very skeptical of this claim that they're controlling everything and they have so much power. The people on the right are maybe going to go to the opposite extreme and, ex and assume that they're just uh, sort of getting together in this Swiss resort to you know, decide how everyone in the world is going to live and then go put it into effect. And I think, uh, I, I think the truth is more complicated than that. I think what we see in Davos is a distillation of the ideas and movements and to some degree the, the shaping of those ideas and movements of the wealthiest people and the wealthiest companies in the world. And there's no doubt about the fact that they exercise enormous influence and power. So I, I think we can't dismiss the concerns about uh, Davos, but we have to understand how uh, those economic interests actually exercise their political powers and and why um, why that might be of concern in terms of people living in a free and democratic society where we want to be self-governed. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a consolidation of all their interests. It wasn't always like this. I'm sure, you know, a few years ago, there were many dissenting voices, people, you know, arguing uh, more so than agreeing. But now it seems like they've all kind of come together. It's coalesced into this this monstrous hydra, if you will, right? Many different heads of the same creature 
where you know you you have people in who are in charge. For instance, uh, Christian Freeland, right? She is the deputy prime minister of Canada, and uh, you know, she was the one who froze the bank accounts of all of those truck drivers, as well as the people supporting them. For instance, right? Like that—that that was something that she did. She was very proud of what she did, and you know she is slated to become the next head of NATO. Like that—that's kind of crazy, right? Yeah, and, and it's. And she is, uh, you know, she's the personal biographer of uh, George Soros. So you you see how all this stuff sort of ties together. I mean, a lot of people will be like, ah, oh, it's a conspiracy theory. It's like, no, it's it's not. It's literally a conspiracy <laughs> of all these elites who have certain sets of ideas. They believe that the world should be run in a certain way. And they have the ability to put those ideas into effect. This is not just something of them nudging things. If it was just a, a nudge unit, if you will, you know, if they had all, all they could do is influence policy would be one thing. But here you have actual heads of state like Christian Freeland, for example, or even uh, um, what's his face? The, uh, the Governor Kemp. Governor Kemp is there. He's in, in, in Davos. And I think Rebel News actually cornered him today, asking him why he's there and, and how, you know, like his how he's going to be influenced by the uh, the policy conversations that are being talked about right there. How is that going to affect his uh, he, how he runs the state of Georgia? Right. Like That's a concern when you have these little heads of state going there and, and the elites are telling them, we all have to be on the same page on this. We have to, you know, ensure that everybody adopts CBDCs, that everyone, uh, you know, adopts uh, ESG guidelines and, and all these other policies that they keep pushing for the sake of, you know, whether it's saving the environment, saving the planet or, or being, you know, more, uh, 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 like sustainable. They use, they love to use the word sustainability, but sustainability just means that energy is just going to become more and more and more expensive to the point where it's cost prohibitive to even run or operate a small business. If you're running a small restaurant, you know, say in the UK right now or in anywhere in Europe, you're, you're probably in, 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 in the red right now. You're not going to afford to be able to, you know, pay for your gas bill or your electricity bill. That's all done. And so the only companies that even that are even allowed to do so to operate on you know on these measures are are big corporations that lease their services to the uh, the, the small individuals. So if you want to run a business, you have to do it as a franchisee or something like that. Right? They're the ones paying for it. So you can still kind of make money, but not really. You don't really have this upward mobility that has been. You know, that should be allowed to every single person, right? The uh, the pursuit of, the, of of like like life, liberty, and happiness, right? That that is what is 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 given to us. It's a God given right to have these things. Well, we don't have that anymore. Not with this system in place. They'll tell you there's a limit to how rich you, we can allow you to become, right? Unless you're one of us, you're one of the elites, and you're born into some rich aristocracy. Aristocracy, you are never going to get into the upper uh, crust of society. This is for us only. We we know better than you, and we're going to make sure that you're happy. You're not too upset about all the restrictions and limitations we put on you. Uh, this is the the life that we envision for you, and the world's going to be a more peaceful place. They do really believe that they're doing good. I don't think these people are out there thinking, I'm an evil person, I'm going to oppress people. I don't think they're thinking like that. I think they're thinking that the world is a kind of a nasty place and that it's up to them to save everybody else. They got this, you know, this uh, savior complex that which... Uh, you know, judging from what they've done so far during the pandemic was actually more detrimental to any to, to, to society than anything else. Crime has gone up, uh, poverty has gone up, and none of this is helping. And it's only making us, 
as in normal people, more dependent on their systems because they have taken away all of the things that, you know, previously we would be able to be self-sustaining, right? like uh, uh, independent, if you will, right? They've taken that away. Now, a lot of people depend on the handouts that they're giving us, and they're quite happy to be in charge of us, to be our custodians, the custodians of the human race. They've decided that, you know, they're self-appointed world leaders, they're custodians of the human race, they're the nannies of, 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 of mankind, right, or people kind, as, as Justin Trudeau might say, and and we're just there to take it because, you know, they know better than us, because they're the elites. And you know what? I say, fuck off, right? Like, I'm fully capable as an adult, right, of, of, of running my own life. I don't need some fucking government or some corporation telling me that this is the best for you. I mean, the last time we trusted the government to do something for us, you know, which is like uh, the vaccine mandates and the lockdowns, what happened, right? Everything got fucked up. These people cannot be trusted to run the place effectively or efficiently or in a way that is in our best interest. The only thing at the, at the end of the day is what's in their best interest. They got richer. They got wealthier. They got more powerful. None of us got more powerful. So the greed, greed is always a, a, a massive factor. It's the number one factor in all of this. And that it is greed for power. It is greed for wealth. It is greed for, 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 for being able to tell people what to do, right? And they're never ever going to want to relinquish that. Aaron, so I want to... Uh, like uh, uh, when you see someone like Elon, he's pushing back. He's like, you know what? The people should have the power, right? Vox Populi, Vox Day. The voice of the people is so, the voice so, of God. But the, when he so, says so, that, Ian, they get upset. Uh, uh, I wanna, I wanna, so, so Ian has done a good job of objectively criticizing, uh, the, the, the forum and the centralization of power here. I do, Aaron, if you can help me, What's the other side like? You know, I know we're going to have a whole debate on it tomorrow, but like, you know, we've never had that much, uh, you know, such a long time uh, you know, yeah. with so much peace as we have right now. Um, we've never had as little wars as we had right now, despite Russia and Ukraine. Um, you know, the economies are humming along. Are they, you know, are we very leveraged? Yes. There's a million reasons to criticize them. But, you know, COVID deaths have dropped significantly. I know that the honest is probably very critical of me right now based on what I'm saying. But what I'm trying to do is like, what, trying to understand the other side, trying to play devil's advocate. What value comes out of meetings like this? And, and I'm not talking about the meetings that I've been to, like the, the you know, businesses, investors, etc. those side meetings. But I'm talking about the World Economic Forum itself, those policy makers. A lot of good decisions are made here as well. I'm against, just so you know, I'm against centralization of power, um, and I've spoken against it for a long time, even if it's good people or people that think they're good that have that power. As a concept, I'm against it, and I'm in crypto, Web3. It's all about decentralization. It's like the complete opposite of the World Economic Forum. That's what I said in the interview. But Aaron, like, what, what, what other decisions are done? Like, what's the, can you give us a, a, a kind of different perspective to what Ian said? Because I agree with most of what Ian said. Yeah, I, I'm very sympathetic to Ian's position as well, but I, I will try to um, maybe find, find potential positive. I mean, look, we know that in business and in politics, things happen through networking. And, you know, to, to boil down Davos to its most simplistic, simplistic element, what is it? It's a, it's a networking meeting. And Ian pointed out, I think, uh, that networking can very easily slide, particularly in the corporate and political realm, into cronyism. Right. If you're a WEF uh, young leader and you're part of our program, we're going to open doors for you and you're going to advance politically. And I, I think there's no doubt that we could see examples of, of how that worked. I don't know to what extent the opposite is true. If you don't play uh, the game with us, if you're not part of our our set here at Davos, if you don't sort of get on board with our ideas, 
then there's going to be doors that are going to be closed to you in terms of political or corporate advancement. It, it wouldn't surprise me if that was also happening, both kind of on the positive and negative side, just human nature being what it is. But I think there, there certainly is value in world leaders and corporate leaders networking and sharing ideas. Um, in their favor, I will say I like the fact that the WEF, um, at least in the in the big gatherings that they have, they live stream it. So they don't make any secret about, um, you know, what their agenda is or what at least uh, at least the ideas that the organization itself chooses to highlight because they give them a platform. So, uh, you know, the, the sort of uh, the, Yuval Harari is the WEF in-house philosopher, so far as I can tell. And, you know, he's a guy that's very sympathetic to the transhumanist um, agenda or uh, ideology. And he gets up and gives a talk sandwiched between Emmanuel Macron, you know, the French president, and Angela Merkel, the, 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 the chancellor of Germany, formerly. And, uh, you know, he talks about the future and he talks about the merging of biotechnology with, uh, with human life. Well, that's going to be this is a guy who's playing in the sandbox with, you know, with the, with the big boys. And that's Those are ideas that are going to be taken more seriously by the attendees and by the people um, that are gathering there simply because of the context in which they're presented. You know, the medium is the message. And so it is a powerful organization in terms of getting people's uh, attention who are able to move the levers of, of world power, either politically or economically, and choosing what ideas to sort of forward and highlight. Uh, on the positive side, I think they're doing it publicly and not behind closed doors. So I like that. That's a, that's that's a, that's a very important note. Like the, the, the time we should be concerned or more concerned at least – is the things that we cannot hear. Now, not everything is public. Not every meeting is public. Maybe the public sure. side is for show. But like if you if you want to do something you don't you don't want the world to see, well there's meetings that happen behind the scenes, you know, they could just give each other a call. Um so yeah, I'd like I, to I, I just think... push back on that if if you will. Tell you us. Yeah, yeah, go I ahead, think, bro. Yeah, yeah. I think the reason they're doing this publicly is because of how much power they've managed to consolidate so far. They know that any sort of resistance to what they're doing is going to be impossible. So they're emboldened. They they feel like they but can I would, do I would, what they I, want. They're more, but they're more worried than we think. Like the the, the people that I've spoken to, um, and what we're seeing, you know, you know, kind of the people that just didn't show up. There are concerns. There's very valid concerns around the world. In in in, in the, the the amount of criticism they're getting, the the amount of the lack of trust there is. So you have to understand they've consolidated power after COVID. But the, the amount of damage they've also done, um, and I'm, I'm putting they, I'm putting them all into one basket, but the amount of damage they've done is concerning. You know, when you they don't, don't trust, trust. – They don't need the public trust when they have fear. They've got fear. That's what makes them dangerous. Yeah, but right? it's, it's, it's about fear. But fear is – But fear is – But True, true, true. But look at us. Like we're, right now, we're covering the things that they don't want us to know. Um, and I'm, I don't want to sound too conspiracy theorist. But for example, the things that were censored behind the scenes, 
Well, that's all things in the open. Like it's very difficult it's not only to keep because, a secret. It's only because Elon has allowed it. Elon has even saved if, yeah, us true, for, true, to, true, be, to even, allow us to have this conversation. You cannot have this conversation on Facebook. They will literally ban you. They're using fear and control and power to suppress this kind of conversation. They they, they will literally call people anyone who criticizes conspiracy theorists, and the media is on their side. So keep in mind, even though we're having this conversation in the open, we are just a very very small group of people that is having this conversation. This conversation. It's not being had in the media right now. CNN's not holding a panel about how dangerous the WF is. If anything, they're on board with it. You have CNBC, for instance, has an office there, and one of Rebels journalists, you know, Abi Yamini, cornered that man, and he threatened to 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 punch him. Threatened to punch Avi Yamini for asking him questions about why he, as a journalist, isn't doing his journalistic duties to question the WEF. So these people, they have the media on their side. That's what's scary about these people, right? They have all that power and they're willing to use. But even that the, the power, yeah, you keep mentioning media, but the power, the influence. I'll go to you, Brian, in a sec. But the, the, even media is losing power. Uh, social media is, is kind of gaining that power. But that social media, what Elon's doing, true. Right? No, no, no. They were losing. They were losing. They were losing power. Prior to Elon, thanks to social media, but what's happening now is that social media, social media, the, the influence or the power within social media is starting to, to kind of break down in a way, thanks to, to um, uh, Elon for triggering this. Now, we saw movements even before Elon. Um, other platforms, Rumble is a good example, Truth Social and others, some obviously um, kind, of, kind of biased to one side or another, but there was that Twitter competitor, I forgot what they're called. Um, but they, they – so but obviously Twitter – and and Elon, you know, kind of going against censorship is probably the biggest move in that direction. Um, he threw his banner so in the works. I right, the, the decentralization of social media influence or power. So that's which I think is one of the most important developments in our society in the last few years. Like if this p- pattern continues, it is like again. Just to before going to Brian, I'll end it with one thing: the spaces we did about around COVID, we could talk freely here, and both sides uh, both sides of the argument could speak freely. Um, on YouTube, we got censored and, and got uh, that whatever that 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 da- red tech mark, whatever you call it, um, almost got suspended because we were streaming it on YouTube as well. So now we have to be careful what we stream. Um, but yeah, Brian, I'll, I'll jump to you. Then I want to cover the 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 um, study that came out that that Alex covered yesterday, which um, you know we can take with a grain of salt, but it's definitely worth mentioning after I've asked a few doctors on both sides of the argument of the aisle. Go ahead, Brian. Yeah, I don't have too much to say, and I know you're covering this tomorrow, so I'll, I'll leave a lot to that. But uh, like I, I don't see harm in global leaders, global corporations, major corporations getting together, discussing the future, discussing technology. Uh, I, I have the ideology that technology is going to solve many of our problems. And I think it's important that corporations work together. Corporations learn from government and government learn from corporations so that we can move forward in a way that can be helpful to everybody. Of course, there's going to be the Twitter censorship. There's going to be corporations abusing power and interacting with governments in ways that aren't, aren't great for citizens. But at the same time, the world is getting more global. This is in 1850. This is 2023. And I think it's important that as technologies bring the world closer together, we continue to reach out to one another. We work together to to push technology forward. And I I don't blame people to for being hesitant when it comes to the World Economic Forum and thinking that there's conspiracies or whatever. And I'm sure some of them are true. But at the same time, I, I think that we got to embrace that there's no stopping technology. Why do you have to embrace and, it? 
what happened to sovereignty? What happened to national sovereignty? What happened to our, you know, our cultural heritage? That's all being taken away. Well, 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 what did Hold on, Brian. Embrace, embrace what, Brian? Just to make sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say embrace that technology is the future and that we got to work together in order to make sure that the technologies are for the betterment of humans rather than get out of control, whether it's AI or Who decides or what robotics. is better for humanity? But, well, I, this I is, this 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 is, that's how we decide. Uh, would you say, Brian, would you say, would you say with a, by the way, Kim, I've just sent you through an invite to speak if you have time. Uh, good to see you. Uh, uh, Brian, would you say that the, were, uh, the, the and, and actually, Ian, I'll ask you, Ian, that question. If the, the people at the World Economic Forum had, let's say, 60% less influence than what they have now, then the World Economic Forum would be a significantly more positive thing. Just people coming together, discussing policy and making decisions within their power limitations. The issue is not the World Economic Forum and other such meetings. The issue is the amount of power they have. Again, whether they make good decisions or bad decisions, whether they're good or bad, they're humans like all of us, and they've got the same flaws as all of us, the cognitive biases. So the issue is purely centralization of power. Would that be a fair statement, Ian? No, I don't think so. I think the purpose of the WEF is to create that consolidation of power. It is the point of it. That's the whole point of the World Economic Forum. It's consolidation Forum. of power, it but create, also, but also move to create the World Economic Forum. I mean, it's 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 a one world government. But also make government. make decisions. But it's also, it's also when you meet face to face. The reason you go to events and stuff is that you get things done. Like you can easily do things over sure. call and stuff. But when you meet in person, it's just easier to get things done, get people in a spot, build those relationships, getting people closer together. So okay, and plus consolidating power. But if their power is limited, then then screw, like how do you limit the power the, though? This is a whole. This is a whole different discussion. Like I think what we're doing here, and we talk. I talked. I talked about it earlier. How people are noticing well, is the, one the way. Issue, what Elon's the doing. The issue is that you, the issue is that you have people at Yuval Harari and uh, all these think tanks that all are of the same mind, right? Their idea, right? I mean, their whole purpose, the reason they're think tanks, is to uh, manipulate uh, policy, right? To shape public policy. And this, and when an organization like the WEF brings together these think tanks and these corporations and these world leaders all into one place, they're going to be manipulated or nudged into a certain direction, into a certain policy. And it just so happens that the think tanks all happen to think alike. They're not, you know, there is no uh, divergent voice. There is no organization there that is, say, conservative that is talking about uh, uh, having a multipolar world government, right? There's, there's no such organization there. And in fact, you know, countries uh, such as, say, Belarus or Russia, which do not, you know, uh, want to be on board with this sort of uh, 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 one world government, they're not invited to it, right? For whatever reason, they're not invited to it because their views go against this this overwhelming consensus that there needs to be a one world government and that it needs to look a certain way. This is not just simply, you know, allowing every country to go about their own business and, and you know, con can, and having their own cultures, having their own policies, their culture and the traditions. None of that. This is all about making everybody kind of the same way because that's the only way that their policies can even work. So, for instance, if let's say you have, uh, I don't know, religion, say Catholicism, it's not compatible with uh, uh, the, the, the vision that they have. They want, you know, they talk about equity, right? This is where the DEI stuff comes in. This is a diversity, equity and inclusivity. Right. This means that we, we, everybody, like the whole world, is encouraged 
otherwise they're penalized, to embrace uh, concepts like transgenderism and transgender children, because that is what the people in charge have decided that is for the betterment of mankind. So if you go against that, you're going to be penalized. Look at countries like Poland and Hungary. Even though they're part of the European Union, they are being penalized because they, you know, they want to have that sovereign ability to say, no, we don't want to have, uh, we don't want to accept uh, mass immigration from Syria or the Middle East or anywhere else, right, from any other country, because we value the freedom that we have to run our own country. We have to, the, the ability to, to assert our sovereign rights and our, our values as, you know, as a, say, a, a conservative culture, say Poland or, or, like I said, Hungary, right? They, they value that immensely. And, and their views go against this idea that we're all the same. They're all, you know, what, we're one human race and that we all ha- share the same values. This is, you know, this is multiculturalism on crack. Is what it is, and it doesn't I, I wouldn't. Work. I wouldn't. I would. I would just try to say I wouldn't put them all into one basket. And there is disagreements there. There's people, people with different ideologies there. Not everyone agrees. And of course, and, of course, there's some minor disagreements there. But at the end of the day, right, they're going to have to go along to get along, right? So they're going to have to go along with whoever is in charge, and and whoever's in charge right now would be someone like Biden or Trudeau, whose views outweigh in in terms of you know in terms of the gravity that that, that they have over everybody else because there is money involved, right? They can say, you know what, if you don't go along with this plan, we're going to cut you off. We're going to cut you off the World Bank and you're not going to get funding for your projects. And so you have to do what we want you to do for in order for your countries to be successful. And eventually those countries become subservient, they become vassal states effectively. Like for instance, Indonesia right now is taking uh, something like to the, the tune of $20 billion from the United States government uh, in order to facilitate its uh, embrace of uh, uh, what they call ESG policies, right? The, uh, the, that's how they're getting in there. And so what happens is those countries lose their sovereignty because they are unable at some point, they will become unable to say, no, we don't want to, to allow transgenderism and into our classrooms, right? They will not be able to say that because they're so beholden. But the decision, the decision, but they, they wouldn't, the, the decision of transgender, transgenderism, these are not the things they would discuss. These are not the, the main no, things on top of their agenda. I'm just using that as an example, right? That's just one such example. Other examples would be uh, the, the allocation of resources and manpower, right? That's a thing, right? Like, so, you know, certain countries are, are, are I would say, they're producers of, 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 of goods. Right. And so they're going to have to behave in a certain way that is actually detrimental to the people working there. So, for instance, if you would live in Vietnam and if, say, Viet, you know, the Vietnamese government is on board with all these policies, they're going to do things to get that money to the detriment of that, their own people. Their own people are going to find themselves effectively you know, taking slave wages in order for the government to be a part of this global system. This is why you know, globalism is actually really, really bad. You look at what, what it's doing to uh, the American middle class. The American middle class is becoming it's shrinking. Every year it shrinks more and more. Uh, in Canada, the, the price of, uh, of, of, of houses, of homes, has, has gone up by, by as much as 50, 50% since 2015. So people are not able to afford their homes. Right? They're not able to, to, to buy their own houses. In the future, they won't even be able to buy their own cars. Right? Europe, for instance, is banning private transportation in some places. Like Oxford is uh, trying a new policy where you literally cannot drive a car. Right? I mean, and, and these are policies that are happening on a micro scale, like certain cities or certain states or certain towns, whatever. But that, you know, has has a much larger reach because it has this impact that people are just not thinking about. They're thinking, well, it's just one city or, you know, it's just one policy. It's just one school board. But it's all part of a greater whole. Right. That's why people might say, oh, you know, conspiracy theorists are thinking this. But that is precisely what's happening. Eventually, the middle class won't even exist because the middle class gets in the way of this idea of DEI, right? uh, diversity, equity and inclusivity. When you have the middle class, the Kulak class, if you will, like the Soviets would have called them, uh, they, they stand in the way of that 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 
vision, that utopian vision of equity. And what do you do with these people, right? When these people don't want to get along, well, you do things that that uh, disenfranchise them, that marginalize them, that take away their voting rights, that take away their their ability to own anything. And eventually, you know, when 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 I'm not saying it's going to get to the point like this point, but you know, if, if we look at history, these people have starved to death. No. I don't want to starve to death. And, and I don't want to eat the bugs. Now uh, they'll uh, say, well, you're not starving to death. We're just going to put you on bug. Yeah, but, but, you know, but, I'm not, but I'm aren't, aren't there people in the world that are starving to death? Like, you're, you're talking yes, about the American them. middle class, which is insignificant in comparison in numbers to those out there in the world that Yes, and can you like can you explain? I I know the answer to this, but can you explain why people in say Africa are starving to death? Do you want to do you want to know why? Because they lack industry. Because because let him answer. I, I don't want to waste time. I, I'm ahead, just no, simplifying it from an economic standpoint. Is they lack industry and and resources uh, that that are effectively utilized for for Western development. Well, 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 you, if you if you want a whole study, and why do they like if you industry? want a whole study, why do they this, like industry? Again, it, that that would take a long time. But I just wanted to summarize. No, no, I just a very simple answer to this. Okay, and the answer is that they have become dependent on Western government handouts. That is the reason. When you have, USAID, I, I think, but that, that would be, wouldn't countries. you say that's an, but that's an oversimplification. I think it's just a much more complex issue than that. No, and of course it's complex. But that is part of the country. issue. No, wait, wait, the hold issue on. is that if when you don't, when you give free money, okay. If you don't mind, when you give free, free resources, let's get, let's get, let's get, let's get, let's get more stake, and then you know, if you don't want, like you, you decided to ask that, right? You are aware that Western powers did, you know, pillage. Africa and a lot of Asia and Middle East and so on, right, with regard to their resources and how they treated people among the fact that they, you know, pretty much shipped them over and uh, utilized them in specific ways. You know. Besides that point, besides that, that point. That is irrelevant. Th- what, what's be- it's irrelevant. Sorry, because- sorry what, what's being built for... You have to understand the economic impact of giving people money. Oh, yeah, hey, let me, let me, way, let me jump in here. Let me jump in here. Hold on a second. Let me jump in here. I, I would, I would Jim, just like to Jim, before, before I jump like in, can I... Jim, yeah. Yeah, I'll let you land on your point and then Jim, I'll let you respond. With with regard to Africa specifically, there are studies. So when when we build, for example, hospitals and schools and forget to build the the processes of industry, you you effectively create good health care, good education with lack of resource to, to do anything with it. And this is problematic and hence why Africa is the way it is. If you go into the West and how Americas and, and, and Europe was built, they, they didn't have that education in healthcare to begin with. They put people to work and they put industry at work. And, and, and that is uh, the, the stepping stones on how to create a, a sustainable economy. So, so there's a significant, there's a very significant factor to what's going on in Africa, which most people have no freaking clue actually exists. So when you go back to the colonial area and before, as Europe and eventually the United States or America, you know, when it was being colonized, um, and, and a few small other parts of the world started thriving was because the growth of the mercantile system was, uh, helped along because of natural ports all around Europe and America. There are no sufficient natural ports anywhere around Africa. So during the colonial period, it was almost impossible for African countries to grow the way they could. There were also cultural problems that, by the way, contributed to them selling their people off to white slave traders. Of course, that's part of it, too. There, by the way, is no river anywhere in Africa 
that has the ki- the capacity to uh, help commerce along, like, say, the Mississippi River in the United States, like the Danube and other rivers in Europe. So, so this is this is the key but factor just, in all that. But you guys, so just kind of, but it kind of concludes. I go to you, Justin. But before moving on to the to the new COVID study, but it kind of concludes the point. There's just way too many reasons to simplify it onto one thing, whether it's yeah, but the point I was getting at. The point I was getting at is, you know, just focusing on the present, not not necessarily the past, but some of the past. But the past, but the past, but when you say the past plays a key role, past matters. But I'm talking about what's right now, like what we are doing right now. Okay, the existing system. Looking at it, when we we give economic aid to a third world country, say in Africa, right? But, we are become we are destroying their local industries. They're unable to become self-sufficient because they're getting that support. There is no incentive for them to build up an industry when they're literally getting grain for free, right? Or, or for cheap. But the question, but Ian, on that, on, that, on that point, just a question for you. First, I, I agree with a lot of what you say. Um, you know, there's study after study that shows that the inequality gap is increasing and globalization plays a key role. So I agree with I you. I think there. it's deliberate. But like you look at, you look at, I, that's, that's why, that's why we might disagree. Like everyone would love, like, a lot of people. Yeah, unless you're really evil, everyone wants to right like. Thing. But you, you look at China, you look at India, you look at you know some African countries. A lot of economies have grown incredibly. Look at Korea, incredibly, and, and, and globalization played a key role in those economies to get and them to where the they are today. Are poorer than they've ever been. Depends. Wait, no, you can't say that about India or China. Like some, yes, there's inequality, but yeah, if you go no, to China that, that, now compared to complete, before, Mario is completely the correct. Issue, there. You, you you can only you can you could look at GDP per capita to understand that and. And among other things, whether it's health, whether it's education, whether it's, you know, uh, doll, uh, the, the, the per dollar hour, everything's actually grown in India. There's no, 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 but inequality, but inequality. I'm saying, I'm saying that there's, there's a lot, there's a lot less poor people in, say, in India. But I, w- I would say, before. but Momo, I would, I would agree with one thing there. And, and, and you know, inequality has, you know, this is what probably the inequality biggest risk to society right now. Inequality. Can I, I need to jump in. I've got to go. Yeah, before you do, before before you do, bro. Hold on, Justin's been waiting for a while. And I know Brian as well. But I do want to say, Inequality has grown more. I like the points you're making. Um, so it's a very important point to mention. And I know Kim, you know, he can't come the up on stage now. But he has such an impact on that's extremely the amount important. of power yeah. that people have, right? So before, people had more ability to uh, self-determine what, what their, their world looks like. Now they have lost that ability, right? And all these countries, I have a, I have a, I have a question. Okay, in, in, so I'm not saying they're richer than they, than they, they're not richer than they used to be. Of course they are. Now they have fridges. Now they have, you know, they may have vehicles or whatever, right? They may even have homes. The issue is that they have no ability to control their destiny. Ian, That's you've a got problem. to distinguish. You've got to distinguish between absolute poverty and relative poverty. There's are two different types. Yeah, of poverty. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking relative, about relative, yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay. absolutely, I was going to say. I was going to make that. I'll, I'll let you make the point. Yeah. I was going to say the same thing. Like absolute poverty has improved. Relative poverty has gotten worse. Would you agree, Piotr? Yeah, so so I've got to jump on a call right now, but um, yeah, just to this point. So as someone who actually lived in Africa for two years, you can argue that globalization has had very adverse effects for a lot of people. And many people look at globalization as a remnancy of colonialism, imperialism, and Ian's right that if you overly invest or overly provide aid, you see a degree of complacency or over-reliance. It's called the over-dependency factor that plays into uh, development aid, and things like that. What's a better form is uh, international trade and just generally encouraging the exchange of ideas. So remittances. If you get migrants to come over, uh, learn in another country, they then uh, integrate into the local economy, send money back to the developing country, and that helps. And remittances have outpaced 
um, overseas development aid by at least ten times in the past even but five build, years. Build. I, um, I, but I, then I, there are but then there are other parts. To, yeah. One second, and then the, but I would say that globalization has had in Mario's point, overall has seen absolute poverty reduce. I mean, the average income has more than doubled for the United States in the past 20 years. It's more than 10 times for China in the past 20 years. And that's because China opened up, it joined the WTO, it increased its uh, in integration into the global okay, economy. Ian, Ian, before, just quickly, quickly, before you all go, Jim, sorry, just because Aaron uh, and Steve, uh, Aaron has to go, he's got a patient. There is that vaccine study that... Um, Alex put out yesterday, and I was about to do a space on it yesterday. I thought we'll cover it today. Aaron, can you give the audience, just update the audience on that study? You were very gracious, you and Steve, with your time yesterday, and we have Lisa coming in a bit later. Just tell us what that study means objectively, because I know a lot of people have concerns with, with the, some of the work yeah. that Alex has done. Uh, but I think this study is uh, – I, I read the study briefly. I saw how Alex summarized it, um, and I think it's worth – at least it's worth adding to the list, even though the study was on mice, it's still worth looking into further. And I know there's other studies ongoing as well. Just tell us the why it's important and also mm-hmm. the, the, the other side of the argument or maybe why it's not as important as some people would like it to be. And yeah, what the study so means, the, a lot of people in the audience don't know about that, what study we're talking about. So very briefly to the point, what's the study? And I appreciate you giving us the time. Yeah, so the study was an animal study. So all the usual caveats has to be replicated in humans. Um, first in vivo in maybe tissue culture in a lab and then in uh, in vitro in an actual human being. Uh, so with those usual caveats, whenever you have, you know, something happening in other mammals, it's reasonable to believe there's a very, sometimes very, very good chance that you'd see the same thing in human beings. And this was a study basically looking at sequential dosing, basically boosters and suggesting that <clears throat> to kind of boil it down to its simplest terms, multiple boosters can have effects on the immune system and on the immune system regulation beyond just the the intention of the vaccine, which is increasing antibodies. So there's two branches of the immune system to oversimplify. The B cells, white blood cells that produce antibodies in response to either a vaccine or the virus. And uh, the T cell branch of the immune system which basically T cells are responsible for killing infected cells uh, in your body. And uh, there's a lot more that goes on in the immune system besides those two things, but kind of at a very basic level, that's, that's the immune response in a nutshell to a pathogen. And what, what this study, and I would say other studies have suggested. So, uh, you know, it's important to always place one's, yeah, any individual scientific study is almost never sufficient to answer a complicated question. Like, are boosters a good or a bad idea? Are they helpful or harmful? That's a complicated question. Um, but if you place this study in the context of other studies, there are now multiple studies suggesting immune system dysregulation, meaning harming, uh, most, most of the studies suggest a harm in the T-cell response um, with multiple doses. So the the effects of the third or fourth dose may not be the same as the effect of the first or second dose. And it's a very important issue to pay attention to now. Um, There's multiple studies suggesting that the rates of adverse effects may increase with multiple doses, especially after you've had COVID. Um, And this is another study suggesting that um, we can't, as I've said before, we can't sort of boost our way or vaccinate our way out of COVID or away from COVID, uh, because we get diminishing returns and uh, increased risks with each subsequent 
those diminishing returns in, in terms of efficacy, uh, but also this study would suggest uh, increasing potential long-term harms by impairing the proper balance that the immune system needs to have to have a good response to both to COVID and to other novel pathogens and viruses. And I'll just add, when you get immune system dysregulation, there's all, also worries about your body's ability to, um, to, to fight cancers. So cells in your body, we now know, frequently have the potential to become cancerous. But one of the functions of our immune system is to d- destroy cancers or precancerous cells in our own body. And if, if we have impaired immunity, we can we are at higher risk of developing cancers. And one of the safety signals that's received some attention is the possibility that um, uh, the COVID vaccine is triggering blood cancers, leukemias and lymphomas, or triggering relapse in people who have been in remission with those cancers for many years. Um, so there's some studies on that. I've had conversations with uh, leukemia lymphoma expert here in California who runs a major cancer center um, here in California. He's the director of the lymphoma program. And he started seeing that very, very early on in 2021 with mass vaccination. So I don't want to be alarmist. I, I don't you know, want the folks listening who have been vaccinated, you know, to go away from this thinking, you know, Dr. Cariotti said I'm going to get cancer because I had a vaccine or I had a booster. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is there's some evidence now that we need to look more closely at. Uh, This is, I think, another hint that we should pause the mass vaccination campaign until we get more answers on safety and on potential long-term consequences, uh, not just of the vaccine, but particularly of multiple doses of the vaccine. So with that, so, I got. I so got that, run, that kind of Mario. yeah. I'll let you jump off, Aaron. We'll go to Lisa, Steve, and Justin on this. But uh, uh, like Aaron, what you're saying is kind of goes to a question I've asked a lot of doctors in the past: is that should should someone be concerned the more boosters they take? Um, and it seems the answer, based on this study and others as well, maybe we'll go to Lisa to balance it out before going to Steve and Justin, um, is that the answer seems to be yes. And this is a newer study again. This is a study on mice that shows that boosters reduce one's immunity, and we're seeing. Um, yeah, again, it just doesn't mean you shouldn't take the vaccine. It just means you sh- – and it doesn't mean – obviously, I'm not saying you should or shouldn't. I'm saying just another study to add to the repertoire of things you, you, should not take the you consider. You shouldn't take the boosters. The New York uh, Department of Health actually said that people who take the booster shot are going to be more vulnerable to uh, COVID. So why are we still pushing boosters? More vulnerable. No to, okay, Lisa, Lisa, for that Ian's statement just now and what Aaron was saying, I did send you the study and you were very gracious as well to go through it. Um, and then and then we'll go to Steve. Lisa, your thoughts on the study? Does it mean that a co- uh, the boosters likely reduce your immunity? Uh, and then obviously Ian's statement of makes you more susceptible to COVID. And would you still be recommending boosters with all the studies out there, is there enough studies for, for, for you or other doctors to say, hey, maybe think twice about boosters? Lisa? Liza, so, Liza, yeah. Liza. No, no Sorry, worries. Liza. No, no worries. That's not a problem at all. Um, so I've only had a chance to very shortly skim this study. Um, I, but I think that in previous uh, sessions, we've talked about, you know, the, the relative benefits and safety of uh, the initial vaccines and, and versus boosters. Um, I 
personally think that the jury is still out on boosters. I think that there is accumulating evidence that it may not be beneficial um, in in um, d- different demographics. I do think that at the moment, um, if there if people are um, in a situation where they're uh, they're they're exposed to uh, some of the newer variants of COVID and they've had a discussion with their physician. Um, and they've got underlying uh, uh, medical issues that may make them more predisposed to um, having severe outcomes with COVID, then it's it's worth um, discussing boosters. Um, like I've said, uh, I, I'm double vaccinated, but I haven't been boosted, and, and my sons are double vaccinated as well and um, haven't been boosted. Um, I don't necessarily think that boosters are in and of themselves harmful. I think that with the new variants that are out there, um, some there's, there's the, the idea is that the boosters can address those new variants, um, and prevent severe disease in susceptible populations. Um, how do they, how, I have a question as a doctor. How do, how do boosters, uh, stop the uh you know the infection from getting as bad as as it can be i mean what, what what's the mechanism there that that makes them do that i want to know so so the, the initial the with the initial mrna vaccines they they were targeted and they're talking in this particular study about targeting the receptor binding domain the rbd part of the protein um antibodies are directed to towards that you can the, as the virus evolves it can have mutations that change the way that receptor binding domain looks to antibodies. And so the antibodies might not bind to it as, as efficiently and neutralize it. So the, the goal with, with some of these newer boosters is to adapt the vaccine to some of the mutations there and address it so they, if they fully neutralize it. So that, that's the goal. Um, once again, we're learning together about this and another it, question why why do we still call them boosters when you know the function of a booster is to immunize uh, a person to a disease right for instance with all previous vaccines whether it's a smallpox vaccine or or whatever right meningitis or polio those immunized the people who got it right like effectively yeah, if you so got the this, polio vaccine you'd be immune to polio but why why is it that this why that's are you calling really, them, the vaccines that's a really good observation and question. And so with, there are vaccines that act, actually kind of sterilize, uh, or I don't want to say sterilize, it's not people are getting sterilized, but they, 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 prevent, they promote a permanent immune response. So, um, so, or a very long lasting immune response. So once enough of the population is vaccinated, the the transmission of the disease falls enough that you're not going to have it be problematic. That's different with rapidly um, mutating viruses. So one of the reasons why people get um, flu shots every year is because the flu itself mutates all the time. And so they, they pay attention to where 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 the flu starts every year because it's a seasonal um, disease, right? And they get very early on in the in the in the uh, epidemic flu epidemics. They'll get the early early viruses, sequence them, and try to make and try to make a vaccine that is targeted towards that virus. And the reason why you get flu shots every year um, is because the virus mutates. 
viruses like um, like polio and measles and things like that, you get actually long lasting protection. Um, they aren't they don't tend to well measles if you have a very low population you tend to get big measles outbreaks and a, and a lot of deaths in kids um i think if you look at the outbreak in samoa in 2019 it was pretty apparent how how rapidly that virus can get out of control but when you look at um viruses like covid with with very um rapid mutations um often you will have to tailor a vaccine to that so the question becomes um we're, we're evolving with this disease and um and and people who have survived this disease so far many of them have gotten the disease and have inherent pr- protection against it because of their own immune response and then people who got vaccinated at least one time around after infection seem to have an improved immune response to this disease as well. Now, multiple vaccinations, I I think, are still um, on the table in terms of um, whether or not they actually are beneficial. When you say multiple vaccinations, you mean mean boosters, correct? Boosters, that's what I mean. Boosters, yes. Yeah, okay. Uh, um, so I think that I think the jury's still out on, uh, as to whether or not that that's going to uh, show. Lisa, before before on Steve and then Justin, um, my question to you is that last question. Um, there, I think the recommendation is to get a booster every six months to keep the immunity around COVID high. Am I correct, or am I completely way off the mark? Is that the no? The they're, general... they're saying they're saying two months. <laughs> it's ridiculous. No way. Two months. Two months. No, no yeah. way. I mean, so months. I'm not. I, I, they got to sell those shots. Yeah. Now, just one very last final point that I think is important to take home about the natural history of this disease. The natural history of this disease is we are all going to be exposed to rapidly mutating variants for the duration. Right. Because it's out there. It's endemic. And so we will be making our own immune responses um, to the disease. So if, if in fact, giving boosters of one vaccine with, at one part is causing immunosuppression, multiple exposures to the same disease that's mutating and changing around has potential to do the same thing. This is the question. So, so Liza, I'll jump into Steve if you don't mind, because Steve, it yeah. goes to the, to the point that Liza made. Steve, are you with us? I, I'm here. Yeah, I've been listening to everything. Good to have you, good to have you back. I really appreciate it. Uh, so again, you've also been very, very, very kind to give give me your thoughts on that study that I sent you yesterday. And it seems that you and others have said, like, this is something we already know, Mario. So I'd love your take on the study and, and what Liza just said and, and kind of the argument being made that, hey, vaccines may have some side effects, not as bad as some people make it out to be, but COVID has worse side effects. So I would love your take on that on that point as well as you give us your, your thoughts on the study. Yeah, well, um, sure. I, um, I'll just tell you what the data shows that the, the data doesn't support what Liza is saying. And so, and the, the jury being out, I don't think that there's any uh, question that if you're a jury member and you look at the data, I don't think you're, you're out trying to figure out what's going on. I mean, so just for an example, an expert like Paul Offit, who's one of the most respected vaccine experts in the world. He's on the FDA committee. He's seen all the data. He's not getting any more boosters. He's not getting the bivalent booster. He came out and said, 
I am not getting the booster. There is no benefit and all downside. So, so the jury. Hold on, this is someone. This so is someone that works I at the FDA. Spoke, so I know Paul Offit. I spoke to Paul Offit, and Paul Offit is the reason why I say the jury's out on the boosters. So that he's the reason why I made the decision that I made. Um, Which is okay. what's the decision again, Liza? Not to not to take boosters, correct? Yeah, she, not, for, she, for yeah, she and her family are not boosted. Yeah, yeah, she. Liza's not taking the booster. Paul Offit's not taking the booster. The jury's yep. not out. Paul Offit. Paul Offit is supposed to be yeah. the, the smartest light bulb. You know, he's on the FDA outside committee. Okay, and he is one of the most respected guys in the world. I don't think you could name anyone who is more respected than Paul Offit. So. He's like the you know, Supreme Court Chief Justice, and he has said, "Look, there is no data showing that these things work. I'm not. I'm not going to take it without data." So, Steve, that, Stephen, Steve, question about this quickly, Steve. So, put so, it in right, terms, so, right? The boosters are bad for you. Don't take them. No, no. He, he has not. I don't think he said it's bad. I think it's just the benefit isn't. There isn't enough no, benefit no, 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 to take. No, no, no. His... no, he said he specifically. He said that the benefits of the boosters do not outweigh the 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 bad stuff that you take from the boosters. Therefore, you know, simply put, the boosters are bad. Don't take them. I mean, if something is is minus one, but it's plus nothing, it's like why would you take that? I like, think though, I think that you've got to take into account at-risk populations. So I think that that I think that it, it's more nuanced than bad and good. I think that there are people who are more at risk of severe disease that may benefit from boosters, and that, that's show, that's why I want to be cautious. Show me the data on that, uh, Lisa. Show me the data. Yeah, show me the data. Um, show me the data. Dr. Dr. Liza, I you know, think you would Lisa, agree. You know, sorry, this sorry, is so seconds. irresponsible. You know, I'm I'm really upset. This is so irresponsible that these physicians are are making these advice based on, well, I think, I think, I think, and they don't have any data to back it up. Lisa, I want you to go look at that Cleveland Clinic study that's referred to in Alec Berenson's Steve, article. If you think, okay? Steve, if you think, if you think I haven't spent a whole lot of time looking at studies at this about this, if you think that I don't take Where's the data? Look. Where's the data on what you just said, Lisa? Steve, Steve. Lisa, show me the data. Steve, it's Liza. And I have spent time talking to you about the data. And if you want to, I've, I've just read this paper now. Well, uh, Liza, wait, wait, I think. Liza, yeah. Liza, you just said you it, it's not the same for people in high risk groups. OK, you just said that you have never provided me any data to back up that claim. Show me the data. Um, yeah, I want to ask you a question, Steve. Show Steve, me the question data. To Liza, before going to Justin. Show me the I, I, data. Get, uh, I'll get that. I'll the get data that. does I'll, not I'll, exist, Steve. No, I'll, I'll, I'm, Liza, I'll, I'll DM Liza to get the data, but I do want to quickly move on to a, a question for you, Steve, before going to Justin. Uh, Steve, for anyone that has taken boosters, let's say they took them six months ago or whatever, a year ago, whatever it is, six months ago, how concerned should they be? And when should they be less concerned? Like within a month, she gets less concerning. When do you usually see the potential side effects? Well, what what the data that I've seen and I've heard is all consistent with the more boosters, the worse it is. And this Just Chinese data. China, God dang, can't I finish a point here? <laughs> so I got I got two data requests, one from Eliza, one from Steve. So I'll let you finish the point, Steve, and then we'll so, ask Liza. So, 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 so where's the data? <laughs> 
the uh, New York Department of I, Health I, I, said that taking the boosters I, is bad. So I mean, that, that, so, hey, can, can, not bad, bad, can, you know, can we focus it, on the data, please? Yeah, okay. Like the New York Department in, of Health put a statement out paper, that, that uh, it causes more, you know, like immunosuppression. It's like you're more likely to get sick if you get the booster. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, can, can I finish Basically. here? Like, I'm God trying God to get God to the God point God here. I'm trying God to get God to God the God data. So Alex's, Alex's article is on an experiment done in, in mice, okay? And it shows that after you had four shots, that after a period of time, you're going to be more susceptible to getting COVID, Okay, that's not what boosters are supposed to do. They're not supposed to have negative efficacy and make and expose you more. But it showed a collapse in immune system in mice. But we, but it, but he also referred to the Cleveland Clinic study, and that's in human beings. And the Cleveland Clinic study, if you look at that paper in Figure One, what it shows very clearly is that the thing that keeps that protects you against variants is getting the variant. It is the natural exposure that offers the protection. And if you're not previously infected, you're much more likely to be infected. If you're previously infected with Omicron, you're less likely to get Omicron. So as far as effectiveness goes, the best vaccine is getting the same variant before that is going to provide the best protection. How now, long does the bo- protection last, Steve, if I can uh, ask? It, 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 natural. Uh, um, that that it doesn't the chart doesn't show you that. Okay, just, what you're uh, saying, Steve, is that the, the side effects of getting COVID is less concerning than the side effects of, of, of the of the vaccines. No, and the boosters. No, no. It says that protection-wise, the best that clearly getting a um, if you were last infected in the uh, the Delta phase, like if you're not. Previously infected, that's worse. If you're last infected in Delta, that's better. If you're last in de- infected pre-Delta, that's actually better. If you were last infected during Omicron BA um, uh, one uh, uh, dot one or dot two, that was even better. And if you were last infected during Omicron dot four and dot five, then that's even better. So it's saying that the more recent, more or less, the more recently you were infected with the with the virus, that's going to provide the best protection. Now, that's as far as virus protection. But on boosters, it's the exact opposite. And that's figure two in this Cleveland Clinic study that nobody wants to talk about. And that figure shows that if you have um, uh, uh, if you have zero doses of the vaccine, uh, you're less likely to get COVID. If you've had one dose, you're more likely to get COVID. If you have two doses, you're more likely to get COVID. If you have three doses, you're that's more ridiculous. Likely to get- that's that's a crazy like Eliza. Like, do, do you want to erase your immunity, right? So but, here's the thing, right? So can, can I just that, 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 real quick? So, so, I, 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 I explain yeah, how on. it works. Yeah. So let's say you've got you know you got infected naturally. You've got some measure of protection. Doesn't matter when, you know, but you got it, right? You got it. You got six, eight, two months ago. You've got some measure of immunity. If you got infected six months ago, you got some measure of immunity, possibly less, right? Now, if you inject yourself with a booster, it gets rid. It overrides that immunity. It, it makes your body kind of reset itself, and suddenly now you're you're more susceptible to being infected because you got rid of that natural immunity. That's why you shouldn't take the booster. It's, it's not good for you. Like most people have gotten COVID. 
Right? Most people on the planet have gotten COVID at this point. They were probably mild. They didn't even know they this had shit, it, right? Man, but they this got shit, this shit yeah. is fucking, this is depressing, Justin, I'll give you, Justin, I'll give you the mic, I promise. Yeah, it's worse than that. Let me finish. <clears throat> okay, I'll let you finish and we'll go to Liza to respond and we'll go finally to Justin who's okay. been waiting patiently so, for a long time. So, so let, me, let me also say that, um, that there are no anecdotes that I could find and that none of these people will ever produce anywhere in the United States where this thing is working better. Every single anecdote shows that the more boosters, the more people are sick. Now, if you've got an, an anecdote that's, that's the other way around, I want to talk to that nursing home. But hold on, okay? but Steve. Okay. It, okay yeah, so, yeah, yeah. This is so ridiculous. The last thing is, look, that the flu shot, There, ha I have never seen, I have never heard of anybody producing anything that shows that these flu shots do any, any good at all. They've never taken a group of people, 10,000 people, given random, done a randomized trial where they gave 10,000 the flu shot and 10,000 the, the, and not the flu shot and tracked these people. That has not been done. Okay, so so Steve, I will get Liza to quickly respond because I know she disagrees with you. So just to balance it out, and then Wait, we'll go to so Justin to give us an overview. I think we both. I know, I know. I, I promise you, Steve. I will ping you for the studies as well. We, we've done this before. I promise you. But Liza, I'll give you the opportunity to respond before going to Justin and then Sabine and Eugene. Go ahead, Liza. So the study. Because this is. I'm not. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. The study in question that we are t talking about today that came out today actually says within the study that there appears to be a robust immune response after the first, second, and third boosters. That's what the study says. It says, after that, there are some questionable, um, that, that, that the immune tolerance seems to evolve. And once again, I have not read the study in complete detail because I just got it uh, 20 minutes ago. Are you talking, are you talking about the study, the study, the study from, that Alex did. was talking about? Correct, the, the one with Alex? Uh, the, one, the, the, the one I sent you. Yeah, the one you sent me. The extended uh, SARS-CoV-2 booster. So, 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 I'm, Steve, I'm searching it. It doesn't Steve, have the word robust Steve, in it. What is this? The, the, the ahead, study today suggests that the boosters, the vaccine followed by boosters one, two, and three seem to promote a robust immune response. Subsequent boosters, report what this So where are you? So Liza, just, so Liza, just quickly, where are you reading this so Steve could go to that page? Uh, let me, let me go scroll through it and I, I will, I'll, I'll give you the page number. And I, I, mean, I'm I want, right can I just clarify something? these words. Well, she's going to give you the page, but can I clarify something that was said here? And I want to clarify it from, from some of the medical practitioners. So something that was said here is that a, a claim was made that if you get uh, a vaccine, and we're talking not boosters, like not number shot number three or whatever, but uh, so vaccine number one increases your likelihood of getting COVID, and vaccine number two increases even further increases your likelihood of getting uh, COVID. So I would love to hear from um, some of the MDs here, uh, you know, study, on so that. Catherine, which study you're referring to, sir, Catherine? The same one? Or it, was, it wasn't a study. It was a claim that was made on the stage and Ian had talked uh, okay, about okay. it as well. Okay, so okay. I just wanted yeah, yeah. This is a yeah. big claim. Yeah, this is a big claim. So, so Liza, it's a, the study that Liza and Steve are talking about now, the one that we covering in the space, I just pinned it above. Uh, Alex is covering it in a piece. Um, it's my latest pin by Alex Berenson. 
Um, I do want to go to that second point, Liza, what uh, Catherine just asked now. I know, Justin, I'm going to go to you right after. Uh, the point that Catherine just made now, Liza, about um, every vaccine increases the likelihood of COVID. I think Stephen and or Ian mentioned it. That's like, – this shit is depressing. What, what What's your take on this particular point, Liza? I, I disagree that every vaccine – are you – when you say vaccine, Catherine, are you meaning – Not every vaccine. Or, yeah. we're, talking no. vaccine. we're talking about COVID. Yeah, we, oh. he's talking about they. They said, "Wait, you said uh, fr- from what I gathered, you said that the the vaccine for the COVID vaccine, the for, the shot number one, so not boosters, but the first shot and the second shot, each of those increases your likelihood of getting COVID." I disagree Correct? with that. No, that's no. I disagree with that. They, they decrease your likelihood of getting severe it's, illness it's in, from COVID. It's in, it's so, in, so, 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 wait, Steve, it's in figure two. Steve. It increases or decreases your likelihood of getting severe COVID or dying from it. Now, you may be exposed to COVID. You might find COVID in your mucosal membranes of your nose where you test positive. But testing positive is different than getting sick and being hospitalized. So you may you may have asymptomatic disease. You may have a little runny nose, but the point of the vaccines is not that you don't test positive and not that you don't sneeze and other people can get can get the disease from sneezing, right? Because you can spread it, but it, it is it is to prevent you from being getting severely ill, hospitalization and death. Dr. Liza, can I ask you a question? I'll tell you what's pretty funny. Hold on. I just want to ask her. funny because that was not how the vaccines were marketed. They were originally marketed as when you get the vaccine, you're immune from the disease. And then afterwards, it shifted. The goalposts shifted. They're like, well, you know, you have a less chance of getting sick at all. Like, but, even, but Ian, you know, they do they do advise system. you to they do advise you to isolate in the very first process when you get it. Doctor Liza, can you talk about that? So, with regard to the first twenty four hours of of when getting administered, isn't that when you are actually more more susceptible to to um, catching COVID? I don't, I don't think so at all. I think that, I think that, you know, everybody's got a risk of catching COVID because it is endemic, right? I think that when you are administered the vaccine, it, if, if you got administered the vaccine and in 24 hours you got COVID, your immune system is still responding. You've, you've probably gotten COVID prior to the vaccine administration because you're developing, it takes, it takes several days for you to develop symptoms. So it, if it, it's not that you're more immunosuppressed, you're at your baseline immune uh, response until your body takes the time, it get, has enough time to process. Yeah, the... but isn't it, isn't it in that, in that, like, let's take this anecdotally, isn't it in that time frame is when the, the receptors are, are, are basically can, because cause they're trying to form, right, based on the vaccine, that's, that's when COVID can impact create an adverse reaction basically assume assume no one has covid here assume they've just been administered if and, if, and, if no one's had covid right and and they got the vaccine and, and and then they get exposed to covid the day after they get the vaccine first of all that exposure is not going to get them sick that day either because the virus has to take time to get into the cells and replicate in the cells to cause disease. So that's called the incubation period when the when the, when the virus is actually invades it gets gets past 
the guards of your mucous membranes, the antibodies that are in your, in, in, in your essentially boogers, right? The, the, you've got a, a concentration of a kind of antibody called IgA. Okay. And if the virus can bypass that and get into the cells and then multiply, take over the machinery of the cells and multiply in those cells and then explode and pass onto new cells, that takes time too. So you, so you, the, the fact that you got vaccinated doesn't make you more at risk of getting sick. The fact that you got the disease and happened to get vaccinated at the same time, um, and, and that vaccine didn't have enough time to, to make those proteins and introduce your, uh, immune system to them is the reason why, why you got sick. You're, you're, your innate immune system, the first line fighting army against viruses and bacteria, um, they, 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 they come out in all force and cause inflammation and, 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 and a variety of different protective mechanisms to then try to get a hold of the virus or invading bacteria. It chews up that virus or bacteria and spits out protein parts on the cell membranes and introduces those parts to your immune system. And then your immune system winds up going, your, your adaptive immune system. And that adaptive immune system winds up making antibodies and makes a, winds up making um, killer T cells and winds up making memory cells. So the next Oh, shit, I muted you by accident, Lisa. Liza. Uh, but since, oh. since uh, I'll, let you, I'll let you finish your point, Liza, and then I want to go to... Um, I just want to say, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't understand yeah, uh, the point of getting vaccinated. I, it doesn't really protect that's you. That's a... Why are we... We sold a drug that the promise would give you 100% immunity. There was 90%. There was 80%. There was 50%. There was 20%. Now it's 0% Hold immunity. Hold on, where'd you get, but where'd you, where'd you get 20% from? No, that's that's what Fauci said, right? At first, it was a hundred percent. Everybody was saying, you know, it's going to give you a hundred percent. Hold on, immunity. so you're saying, hold on, hold on. Fauci said explicitly that the vaccine, Justin, I'll go to you right after, but just, Fauci said explicitly that the vaccine only gives you twenty percent immunity. Justin, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm just, I'm just, you know, I'm yeah, paraphrasing yeah, here. But, but the, point is, the point is, like, at first it was like we'll give you a hundred percent immunity, then then you know it, the efficacy dropped down. They were like, oh, the efficacy is dropping down. You know, it's going to be fifty percent chance you get infected, and then it turns out it doesn't offer you immunity at all. And so now they've moved to this thing where they're saying, well, you probably get less sick if you do get sick. And now it turns out that you are going to get, you know, the, the chance of you actually getting sick at all, like even minorly sick, is increasing because you had the vaccine. It's like. What, 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 wait, what's the wait, purpose of this? Wait, the data does not show that it's increasing. Show me the data. No, it, it's all, here, we'll show you the data. I think that's we'll why it's in, in Japan, yeah. where, where most people are vaccinated, they are actually getting sick at a much higher rate than any other country. But it could be, but it could be, yeah, but it, there could be another factor, just not as easy what's as a correlation factor? causation. I don't yeah, know, I don't it, know, but that's what I'm saying. It shows that... It, that, that it's a the majority of people who are, <laughs> who are sick with COVID right now, who are hospitalized with COVID right now, have been vaccinated in contrast yeah, to Yeah, because 80% of the population But that's because, that, but, because, but Ian, Ian, that's what I mean. Exactly. I think that's because most people no, look, are look, vaccinated. Let's, let's walk, let's Justin, watch Mario. Yeah, yeah okay, Justin, look, if look. you can, you've you got an just, incredible voice can... and you're, yeah, I'll give you the mic. You've got a very, very <laughs> well, no, cool no. voice and you're resident, pretty reasonable. So yeah, what, what's your <laughs> what's your position on this? And, and like, can you try to find some middle ground between everyone speaking? What are the things that everyone... 
kind of agrees. I on think that. the I think the frustration you you hear from Steve and from others is that look, we we've been we've been knowing we've known this for almost a year now. Here's the here's how it happened. I mean, the the embarrassment of the Omicron wave, which was six times higher than anything else on the pandemic wave there, right? It, they had to jump to make excuses. Why did the vaccine not work? Walensky admits that the PCR tests are super sensitive. The hospitals and CDC admit that children are mostly incidentally infected. It's not really COVID. Fauci, Fauci admits right at the beginning of 2022 that the viral load in the nasal pharynx is the same in the vaxxed person as it is in the unvaxxed person. And then you read in the UK, the data starts coming out. This is one of the only benefits of a single payer system is that data is all in one place. So we can look at the UK data. April 22, more shots, more susceptibility. July slide from the CDC, it's leaked, shows more shots, more hospitalizations, even beyond the base rate fallacy claims. This is what we're showing already in July of last year. Then US study, September 22, more shots, more susceptibility. UK study in October, more shots, more susceptibility. Then the Cleveland Clinic, 51,000 people in that study. They showed at most, at most 30% efficacy, which is, which wouldn't pass the standard. You would not ad- introduce that as a vaccine if it had only 30% efficacy. That's for the bivalent. And then so, again, so Justin, they Justin, showed, they showed every 30. increase there. So. 30% efficacy is just in 30% efficacy. But what about, so the Cleveland study, what's the outcome from the Cleveland study? The, yeah, the, the Cleveland study again, objectively showed, everything. No, so, yeah, so it showed like it lack shows, of efficacy, but did it show any, any yeah. concerning side effects? Well, it, it didn't look into the side effects. It was looking basically just saying, hey, we have 51,000 people in the same database. What happened to them? And again, they showed on this tiered scale, right? More shots, more susceptibility, more COVID. For that population, right? And then you you can see this this it's all falling apart. The FDA officials who publicly went to CNN and USA Today just a few days ago upset with the vaccine companies because they weren't sharing all the data. FOIA's come out a bit against uh, BioNTech, showing that the date of the Vax project actually was postdated. All this information two days ago, a study out of France, another evidentiary study, more boosters, more susceptibility to COVID. I'll put these links in, in, in a big thread here, but it, it's you, pretty clear it. now. We've known for almost a year that that's the case. Every, I mean, and, and you can see it. I mean, the, I, I would guarantee you physicians that really love their patients, know their patients, they're not recommending this. You can see what the uptick mm-hmm. of bivalent is. It's not said. even the 30%, said, right? My doctor said, "Don't take it. Anyone who took it, gonna get don't sick. take this. It makes no sense." And then don't you have, this of course, and yeah. Then, here's, and the, here's the funny thing: just the cherry on top of all this. Not only are you more susceptible to the virus, the vaccine has a side effect and various side effects that no one wants to talk about. So yeah, we have, you're we haven't touched on that. Making yourself <laughs> more dangerous, right? It's more dangerous. You're, you're opening yourself not only to COVID but to whatever fucking side effects are in those vaccines, and that's why you shouldn't take them. Yeah, that, that's the that's the whole other and by you know, the way, I, in the room. I, it's, it's skating that I got way, boosted yeah. last year, right? I got boosted last year. I got my two shots, and then I got my third booster, right? Yeah, so I'm not happy with any of this. But the study, just happy. again, uh, Steve, I'm gonna I send realize, you. Oh, I'm more susceptible. Oh shit, you know. Well, and you've been sick. Uh, is you've been sick ever since? No, of course not. I'm fine, but other people aren't. That's the issue. What if I do get COVID? Am I going to get sicker? I don't know. Well, I, um, I mean, really quick, Ian, you had said something about them moving the goalpost. I kind of wanted you to finish that 
that statement, or if you were done, I was going to add on to it and just say that they moved it again. I mean, you they did. you they talked about right. right. So can you can you finish what you were saying there? Because I think yeah. that was a really important statement. Oh yeah. So at the start, you know, hey, hundred percent immunity, and then you know it drops to like what thirty percent, as uh, as Justin here just said, just to thirty percent. So it's basically doesn't stop the uh, transmission. And then they say, well, you know, it, it prevents uh, people from being hospitalized. Well, that's not true because it shows now that more people are being hospitalized than ever when they're uh, when they're vaccinated. OK. And so beyond all of that, beyond, you know, being more susceptible to it, you're, you're making yourself more vulnerable to it. Now we find out about side effects. It's like, oh, and now it, it, like where, where does it end? Is it going to be well, a what point study where you're pushing the vaccine and say, well, at referring? least you won't die? You know, it's like, well, oh, we don't know about that, you know. Uh, you so know, what, for, what study for some time that says that people so, are, are more susceptible? Because I, I, I don't see anything. I see a Walgreens uh, just, study, just but they literally decided all of them. He's going to make a threat. It's like so. six. Go, it, it, going back to like March of last year, we've got dozens, dozens of studies. There's, there's a bunch of studies. Yeah, So for a time there, you weren't allowed to be hired without being vaccinated. And my question, especially while Steve is here, is is there any validity to um, the fact that they're not hiring pilots who are vaccinated because of the, you know, increased risk at altitude of having heart issues or, uh, so on and so forth. Is that, is there any truth to that? Are they hiring, no. um, pilots who are not vaccinated at this point? And does that mean that the vaccinated are going to eventually have a harder time working jobs where if for some reason, you know, God forbid they were, you know, suffering sudden death or heart attack, they won't be able to work those jobs anymore or or even be in the military or those types of things. I, I don't think they're yeah. going to do that because the most answer, of the population is vaccinated, so they can't exactly pull off that policy. The the answer is yes. Uh, there are, uh, I've heard from multiple sources uh, many times that uh, the wealthy people are looking to have higher unvaccinated pilots and by the way, I just posted the figure two from the Cleveland Clinic study. Anybody can look at it. It's right uh, up there now at, at the top. You can uh, click on that and expand it. I also posted it uh, to my profile. And it shows you that uh, the more doses you get, the more likely you are to be infected. But, but and this this is the study. This is what the Cleveland Steve, is there, is there studies that show, and, and Eugene, by the way, I don't see your hand, but if you want to jump in on this, you feel free. But Steve, is there studies that show, like, it seems there are studies that support both arguments by the looks of it. Like the, the mice study, for example. I've sent you some screenshots, Steve. The mice study that we're talking about, we talked about the concern um, regarding the shots reducing immunity, but also in the same study, and look at the screenshots I sent you, the boosters do induce um, immune tolerance to COVID as well, based on the same study. But Mario, it's different um, talking about antibody response versus real life infections. What the Cleveland Clinic study did is they showed real life infections in humans. Okay. Now, you can show me counter studies in mice that don't, that talk about antibody levels. And sure, if you inject any kind of antigen, you're going to get an, an increase in, in antibody levels. Uh, except if you've gotten a, a, a whole bunch of, of vaccine doses, and, and in which case uh, that antibody response may be reduced. Um, but you know they were more uh, concerned about the T cell response in that particular Chinese paper. But I'm I'm trying to get back to the point that shows you that this is not what they told you. They didn't tell you that the more doses that you get, 
I want to quickly move away from the Eugene. I see you want to, you're muted, but before giving you the mic, Eugene, I just want to just, I want to kind of move away from the you lied because I think most people agree that there were some. Uh, some lies, whether noble lies, not noble lies. Serious, serious. They made I know, I know. That's, I know, I know, I know. This is, this is, this is, this is, this is, this is a good argument to have separate. Uh, what I'm really curious I, on now, and that's for selfish and selfish reasons, I'll give the mic to Tara and Eugene, is what does it mean Sabine. now? Should people Dr. get vaccine Sabine. booster? <laughs> and then the Sabine, yes, Sabine, yeah, Tara, Sabine, Eugene, yeah, she dropped out, just brought her back up. Um, but what does, Anyone that took a vaccine, what should they know? Anyone that took boosters, what should they know? What should they do next? This is like the main goal of my debate. Uh, Tara, Sabine, and Eugene, go ahead. Don't take any more boosters. Yeah, that would be my recommendation. But I am not a doctor. Um, But Dr. Sabine, I was just letting you know she was waiting. She got dropped, so she's back. But she was next after Justin, and we've had our in-between discussion. So I think she's ready. Yeah, I'm ready. So um, one thing, and I keep hearing a lot of shit, so therefore I had to like step up and step in rather. Um, You know, Steve, show me the data. Absolutely. That's my line. Show me the data. That's what I've been saying the whole pandemic. So now I'm going to ask a question to Liza. Liza, where's your immunity? You're talking about T cells. You're talking about, you know, where's your immunity? Your immunity is located in all sorts of different places in your body. And you're you're going to say microbiome is what you're going to say. Where, where is the mo- most important location where immunity is created? Where we should zone in and focus and say, wow, 90% of our immunity is in our guts, right? Do you agree so, with me on this? I would, you say that the, I would say that it depends on the pathogen. Right. I think it depends on the pathogen. I think it depends on the pathogen. If it's a respiratory pathogen, then I think probably your most important immunity is in the. And you don't think the respiratory respiratory pathogen gets to the gut? I think respiratory pathogen. Sabine, Sabine, just quickly. Sabine, it's important just because to get the most value, I think you're asking very good questions. Just give Liza the opportunity to respond to each one would be great. And then you, you go back and forth would be great. No, not at all. I, Thank you. I do think that I do think that the respiratory pathogens get to the gut, but they also target the 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 epithelium of the respiratory tract. And so in my opinion, depend the, the most important part of the immune system, actually, in my opinion, the most important part of the immune system is the skin um, because it is a protective barrier. So I think, but you are absolutely right. There's a lot of antigen presenting that goes on in the gut and the gut is a critical part of the immune system. So I, I, I agree with you on that. Now, what if I told you, if I have Staph aureus in my skin, it's in my gut. Do you believe that? Yeah. What if I told you if I have Influenza in my lungs, it's in my gut. Do you believe that? Yep. Okay. What if I told you I have COVID in my nostrils and it's in my gut? Do you believe that? Yes. Okay. So that's number one, right? Acknowledging that every microbe that comes in contact through our eyes, through our nose, through our lungs, through our skin, through our blood, ends up in the gut. Number one, right? I don't right? think I don't think we disagree. 
Okay, perfect. Now, we looked at the gut. We were the first study. Believe it or not, there were 2,000 studies on clinicaltrials.gov when we posted our first study on April 2nd that looked at COVID in the stools. We were only two, my lab and a lab in China. Why wouldn't we look in the gut? The gut, everything ends up in the gut, right? So when we found COVID in the stools in 100% of patients with COVID in the, that were symptomatic, that had nasal PCR positive, we found 100% to have it in their gut. And it's still to this day, 1,000 sample later, we are still finding 100% in the gut, not PCR, whole genome sequencing. That means the entire virus from head to tail with all the spike proteins and all the gene mutations, okay? So you agree that that's a possibility, right? I think everybody knows that's a possibility and they've been, mon- and they've been monitoring uh, fecal and wastewater, wastewater to look for. COVID no, 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 we're not talking about wastewaters here. We're talking okay. about human feces. That's what I mean. Wait, yeah. I mean, fecal no, no. contaminated water human, is one of the ways they're monitoring it. No, human feces from an individual that gives you an individual strain of the virus. When they oh. monitor wastewaters, yeah. they monitor the whole conglomeration of multiple strains of viruses. And then what probably shows up is the one that lights up because genetic sequencing is that, Right. It's what shows up as a majority that basically says, hey, we have Omicron now, right? But when you look at the individual species, and I've done this because I'm in Ventura, where they were checking the septics, and I was checking the human species. And I can tell you that at the time that they said Omicron is here, I was still seeing Delta. So Delta was still going into the septics, but it wasn't picked up. Do you understand the flaws in that looking just at the septic and not looking at the human species? Feces? Human feces tell you the story. Now, let me just extrapolate this to another. We said immunity is in your gut, right? Everything ends up in your gut. Now, the microbiome is important, right? You're hearing about it everywhere. Am I right? Right? Yeah. Parkinson's microbiome. Alzheimer's microbiome, autism microbiome, right? Everybody's coming out with their data on the microbiome because this is the new frontier, the new field, right? Agreed. Okay. So we looked at stools of patients with COVID and we decided, well, what is the microbiome doing in patients that have severe COVID, mild to moderate or were exposed to COVID and never got COVID. You know what we discovered? Two microbes, particularly bifidobacteria and facilobacterium pratznitsi, were depleted, disappeared in severe COVID, gone. Now, whether COVID caused that and created a bacteriophage or whether they occurred and they entered because the, the patient was already low in bifidobacteria and facilobacterium, and therefore their immunity was lower. They had comorbidities, right? When you look at bifidobacteria, it's huge in babies and kids, and it's zero or, or absent in old people, right? The process of dying is loss of bifidobacteria. Bifidobacteria is that 
trillion dollar industry of probiotics that they're selling you on everything. Fix your gut, take a probiotic. Fix your gut, take a probiotic, right? So there's an importance there, right? And you would say that study is important that we published, the lost microbes of COVID-19, is an important clue to basically tell us, hey, maybe immunity, we should focus on bifidobacteria. Am I right? Liza? Yeah. Okay. So now follow my trend. We started looking at why is vitamin C working in patients with COVID? Why is vitamin C working in people that have a virus? Sure enough, we've all done these caveat, you know, these anecdotal studies where we're, you know, we're having a virus and we pop some vitamin C and sure enough, we feel better. Why is that, why is that working? Well, we actually discovered that vitamin C increases your bifidobacteria. So possibly, again, bifidobacteria could be the clue to say, hey, we probably need to focus on the bifidobacteria. We probably need to focus on the microbiome, right? And it wasn't only bifidobacteria, by the way, that was, you know, present in, um, in people that were exposed and never got COVID. There was a, a whole bunch of other microbes and a diversity, et cetera. But I'm focusing on bifidobacteria because that's the trillion dollar industry, okay? So if we start thinking of, let's forget the immunity, let's forget the blood, let's focus on the gut, because we just said the gut is 90% of your immunity and every single bug from Botox you get injected in your, to remove wrinkles gets into your gut. In fact, I found botulinum toxin in a lot of my patients that get Botox, okay? So everything we do ends up in the gut and we need to focus. Nobody's focused on the gut. Now, let me tell you what I did at the beginning of the pandemic, because I, I saw the data on these animal studies that were poorly ran. And I also saw the fact that nobody was focusing on the gut. Two studies out of thousands, everybody was doing vaccination and therapeutics. I decided to take a look at stool samples of people before they get vaccinated and after vaccination. And you know what I discovered, Liza? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was, uh, I was trying yeah, to get yeah. off of you. <laughs> yeah. I discovered that the microbiome was affected by vaccination. Okay. I how many, how that many, were, how many people were in that study? Sorry, 34 Sabine? patients. And out of the th- 34 patients, 32 killed their bifidobacteria. Now we continued to follow these patients and we discovered that the, the damage is persistent from Persistent from damage, damage is that, sorry the damage vaccine. from the vaccine well what else i, t- I that's the only variable how, how, old, and, how and, old were and, they so, how old a, were they you're, and, you're welcome to and, look at the paper the paper's coming out when we pass peer review passing peer review is like you know eating you know broken glass these days you're better off eating broken glass than passing peer review um so Sabine, but, uh, just quite another question so but how how do you know if the impacts from the vaccine versus covid itself and and so and, do you, oh, and number one and number two do you have any, okay. and do you have any studies question. on and yes. the second question i've got i've got two two part question second part is have you got another study focused on the impact of of, uh, of covid itself on bifidobacteria yes yes all that is coming uh one okay. question to answer your question we tested the stools of all those patients before and after, and they didn't have COVID in their stools by whole genome sequencing, not, you know, uh, uh, PCR. And, 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 
Got it. And then the second question about have you done a similar study for people with symptoms. COVID? Remember, remember, I'm a clinical doctor. I take histories of these patients. Hey, you got the vaccine. How do you feel? Hey, are you having any symptoms? And by the way, we followed that data is coming. Majority of these patients are having, you know, had COVID, you know, so pa- can I ask forward, you a question, fast Sabine? forward. Sure. So if, if it is indeed a pathogen that is, is managed by the gut immune system, let's just, yes. let's just make that presumption, right? Then mm-hmm. have there been any, so C. diff enterocolitis is treated with fecal transplants and it goes away. That's the only I'm, disease yeah. entity that has been successfully treated that way. Yes. So, so, so has there been a study that suggests that you can cure COVID by doing fecal transplants? Yes. There's been two cases in Germany that actually resolved COVID with fecal and, transplant. They okay, were not so reproduced. COVID, so two, they were not reproduced because in this country you need FDA approval. I have two studies at the FDA that I'm writing protocols for fecal okay. transplant for long haulers and vaccine injured. Okay. Um, can, however, can I, really yeah. quickly, can I ask, just ask one follow-on question? The, the, vaccine, ahead, the vaccine studies, the very preliminary ones, had 70,000 volunteers in them. And, and, you're, and you may be, I'm not, I'm not saying that you're wrong. What I'm saying is that it, it's going to take a little more, or more than two Won't people. Uh, I'll ask, I'll ask a question for you, Liza. Yeah, I, I think so, so. So, Liza, let me know if this is the right way to ask a question. So, Sabine, um, do you think that would you say it's fair to say your studies very important raises questions, and we need a bigger study with more patients to get an answer on whether 100%. how how. Okay, Liza, Liza, is that Liza? Did I yeah, did I yeah. ask a question right? Yes, you did. But the, the 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 one caveat to that question is: What are the potential risks of doing fecal transplants we're on large swaths, large large swaths of the population? I, we're not talking about fecal transplant for for COVID right now, right? We're past COVID. COVID is done. I mean, the majority of patients now with this strain are being treated with vitamins. Okay, this is not a the new strain. And the virus in itself lost the momentum that it had at the beginning. We didn't. We are not seeing. And by the way, Liza, I'm on the clinical trial side when I've done clinical trials, you know, protocols on these patients. So I've treated a lot of patients. Okay, and nobody died on my ship. No one, not even during Delta. So you know, treatment, early treatment of choice, whatever you use, you know, is the key to get this virus out. Okay. The problem is with the policy. You know, uh, with treatments becoming political, you know, patients don't even know what to take. They're afraid of taking Paxlovid. They're ta- afraid of taking hydroxychloroquine. They're afraid uh, of taking ivermectin. Sabine, you know, I, people... I, have a, I have another question. So so um, your study obviously is small, but definitely concerning. Yes. So uh, it, it implies that potentially um, uh, uh, vaccines harm the bifidobacteria, which harms immunity. And I'm a, I'm a big... Uh, fan of microbiome and, and my team's looking into it. I'm a big biohacker fan. So I, I see the, the movement there, but I'm far from being an expert. So my question could be very stupid, but I think the audience could relate because this is pretty complicated. Does There's that no mean, questions. so, so does that potential impact to immunity, um, is it permanent or could it be temporary? 
just for people listening now, they might already have the booster. They could be very concerned. Uh, should they? Should, is there anything they could do uh, to kind of improve their bifidobacteria? And is that something that is fixable, or is it a serious, severe, long-term damage? All right. So because I'm in the microbiome space and I'm leading the microbiome with 57 clinical trials on the microbiome and disease, we're seeing all sorts of diseases and the imprint, the fingerprint of the microbiome, the lost microbes of the disease, if you want to put it that way. Okay. So there is a lost microbes. Now I'm going to take you back on something that, you know, Liza touched on, which is C. diff. Okay. C. diff was a little bacteria that, you know, made us humble as doctors, I think, you know, especially infectious disease doctors, because forever we were killing it with vancomycin, more antibiotics. Come to find out that fecal transplant, the process of taking stools, which is a lot of microbes, what are stools? Billions of microbes. You're re-implanting them in the colon. You're giving them a new garden, a new microbiome, okay? And all of a sudden that fixed C. diff. So what did we learn from C. diff? We learn that it's not about killing the microbe. It's about reinstating the balance in the ecosystem of the gut, right? So when you look at C. diff patients, you see they start having other problems, right? So it started with probably, hey, I ate a hamburger with antibiotics. I took some antibiotics. Bam, I get diarrhea. I go to the doctor. He gives me vancomycin. Next thing you know, in six months, I get diarrhea again. C. diff comes back, right? Because what have we done? We gave antibiotics. We killed the diversity of the microbiome. We killed all the families. We let C. diff spread out and become a bacteria with toxins, okay? Same so principle can I, with COVID. Can I just wait, 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 make just one comment? My train of thought. Same principle with COVID. COVID entered most likely because there was a desolate gut to begin with. Now, of course, COVID is going to create its own hurricane in the gut and keep destroying everything that's left in there because it's a virus. Once you have a desolate gut, a gut that's out of balance, viruses are going to penetrate. This is why we have now. What happens when these viruses penetrate? Well, a year later, you start having other problems, right? That autoimmune process that you never had, that Parkinson's that no one has in your family, that cancer that no one has because now your immunity is shut. It's a domino effect. So if you don't pick it up right now, from the moment that you've started the domino drop, your whole domino so is that means, drop. So, so Liza, before you ask your question, what you're saying is for this could have long-term effects with the, with the, with the domino uh, absolutely. example. Um, absolutely. But there is, what, can, what can someone do right now to Reverse improve it. their... Well, okay, I mean, so- I think, you know, listen, decrease stress, decrease, you know, keep yourself in a zone, keep yourself in balance, vitamin D. So they should focus, so in other words, they should focus on ways to in- in- increase their biophysical, biophysical bacteria, correct? It, increasing their health, mental health is linked with your gut health, uh, decreasing the toxicities, decreasing the, so, you know. So, so the, the basics, the, so there's nothing specific, yes. just the basics of improving your there's gut health. There's nothing specific which, right so, now because we are at the beginning of okay, the microbiome so, research. So could it, is there a chance, we've gone to Liza, is there a chance, because I just want to try to be as objective as possible and just look at all options. Is there a chance that this is, this seems like short-term damage that could have long-term effects and it is just, 
all it is is just you just took a your gut health just took a took a punch to the face. Is that a fair way of characterizing it or simplifying it, Sabine? Yes, and also if you keep giving that punch, you're gonna end up having problems. So we're seeing these so, people that yeah. are having four boosters and then they get COVID. You know, ER doctor in in county hospitals that are super healthy. Like I, one of my doctors, he's like Superman, right? He got boosted four times. Now he's super sick. He can't even practice medicine, right? We have to pay attention to that. You know, this is the kryptonite of Superman. Uh, Liza, let me ask you a question. And I do want to go to Eugene because Eugene, uh, I, I, you, I, you may disagree with this. So it would be good to have someone that might disagree as well just to get your take on it. And you might agree. I don't know actually in this case. But Liza, did you want to you take the mic and ask your question? I think you had a question. Just one clarification. I just wanted to make a brief clarification. And would love and would love your take on it, Liza. Like how, sure. uh, like how, how, what questions does it raise in your in your mind as a person that is a proponent of vaccines? What would how objectively looking at it, how much does that concern you if at all? And and what what do you make out of it? Okay, so for the just as an observation, first of all, um, there are not antibiotics in meat. Just just so you know, that is actually highly regulated. Um, and so you're not eating uh, antibiotic residues in meat. Just so that that's just just to clarify that it, it's that it's, was it's, stopped by the FDA about four but, years ago. But before that, there were it, antibiotics in meat. Okay, so, please. So that but so so antibiotics are not in meat. It's highly regulated. I, I'm not. I think it actually was regulated far before that. But I will double check to be sure. Um, and that also precedes COVID. So that, that just, just to put that on the shelf. Uh, secondly, um, I think that the microbiome is actually very incredibly important. I think Sabine's right that um, there is, it has a lot to do with um, how we absorb things, how we, how, you know, how we build our immunity and things like that. I think that that, that is a correct statement. I think that there are, trillions of gut bacteria and we have don't have a clear idea of what the microbiome on your skin the microbiome in your gut what how that how the multitude of things that you eat and drink and are exposed to every day affect all of that so i think to and and we know that we've existed with our microbiome in in a symbiotic relationship for a very very long time so i would hesitate to say that the root of all disease is the microbiome and the root of all wellness is microbiome because i just don't uh, i i I just don't think we have enough evidence i I do i do want to Sorry, Liza, just to come, I want to add one thing to that point before you make your last point is that this is a bias that uh, that exists within not only the medical industry, in any industry. Is that, uh, I remember Ray Dalio had a great book called Principles, and he talks about when he goes to a surgeon, the surgeon is most likely to recommend surgery. If he goes to a, 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 an alternative health person, is more likely to not recommend surgery. So it's like every doctor will, will look at their area of expertise and comment. So it's it's a valid point, but it's also it's, that's, that's exactly why we need people like Sabine on stage to kind of give that different Yeah, but also, I think, and but also, last, by the way, Liza... I'll let Liza finish her point, and I'll yes. give you the mic to, to kind of respond to Sabine, and we'll go to Eugene. Go ahead, Liza, sorry. Last but not least, COVID, the virus, has the spike protein and expresses the spike protein. And if you get sick with the virus, your body is seeing a whole lot more of that spike protein 
than you do with a vaccine. So I think that your gut is exposed to that protein and can have a big reaction to that protein as well. Um, So, so I think that. So what you're saying is that the COVID could have even a worse impact on that. On, on the, okay, so Sabine, uh, as you respond, uh, that kind of goes to my question. Do you have any results from the study on people that have COVID and their impact on, on your gut health or by, by, by fatal bacteria um, or not yet? Yeah, so there is a paper. So if you look on Progenobiome, the publications, there is a paper okay. called The Lost Microbes of COVID-19. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of papers. There's a couple papers on long haulers. So I think we talk about microbiome. There's two papers that were accepted, one on long hauler today and one on the effects of ivermectin that were accepted, that's going to be on that website as well. There's a lot of papers coming. You're right. So, to a hammer, so the COVID, the COVID, the COVID, uh, Sabine one, the COVID one, is, do we have any numbers yet or not the impact of COVID on gut health? There is, there's, in that study, there's 72 patients where uh, okay. 20 were and how is the, how, Okay, and how is that? So we've talked about the negative impact of vaccines. Is there any concerning impact of COVID on gut health? Yeah, so that's coming on the long hauler study. That's coming out. But Mario, isn't she saying that if your gut health is good, then you're more more than likely to deal with COVID and, and, and take it out pretty quickly? Yes. Like just trying to figure that yes. one out. Yes. So how so would I it have, have a, an impact have... on your gut if, if your gut is healthy? Yeah, so but I have if, over if, 300. It, 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 but more, can it, can't, can't, the same way vaccine can impact your gut, even though your gut is healthy, I think can't COVID also, and this is me again, simpler, simplistic person to say can't, also, COVID, like even if your gut is healthy, your gut will better fight it, but doesn't mean COVID won't have an impact on it. I know we'll, we'll find out when the, when the study comes out against Sivina. We're just trying to speculate. But Sivina, would you yeah. expect there to be a negative impact of COVID on gut health as well? Uh, yes, because it entered and, like I said, it created a hurricane in your okay. gut. So, that's, so that's Sivina, expected. yeah, would love you would love you to message me when that study comes out. We'll do a space immediately to go through it because um, I'm I'm fascinated by by. Uh, uh, microbiome studies and 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 the amount of uh, uh, focus on on microbiomes in the last few years. Uh, Do you mind if I? Sorry, I'll let you finish your point. Can I just finish one one point? Yeah, please go ahead. One point because yes. I have to also leave. Um, the one point is the process of dying is your microbes in your colon are taking over your body and putting you back into the ground, and those are not the good microbes. Those are the bad microbes, okay? So the process of dying is what puts you back into the ground and and decomposes your body. So we have to pay attention to the microbiome. It's very important. And we have Uh, the technology now, and this is where we need to focus on. Eugene, um, would love your take on on Sabine's point. Like, is that... Do you disagree with a lot of the things she said? Do you agree? Are you you more concerned? Because it Um, seems like a very reasonable... Very I think reasonable she has a very discussion. passionate laser focus on the microbiome, but there is no strong evidence out there at all that the microbiome has an important impact on COVID um, or, or recovery from COVID. And even Sabine mentioned herself that she had 34 patients or 32 patients. That's a very small number of patients to investigate. You, I agree. Again, I, I kind of I I hinted question? on... Would these, would these yeah. microbiome um, adverse effects affect your ability to fight off other diseases such as cancer? Yes. I mean, I think anytime you have a serious illness, whether it's COVID or anything else, um, you can, you know, affect your microbiome and that could have a negative f- effect on your health. But that's for anything, not just COVID. But the um, vaccine, I, more specifically, I'm not talking about contracting COVID. I'm talking about receiving the vaccine, that affecting your gut health. And then from there, you know, having 
and uh, I don't know, maybe you already have cancer and you don't even know it, but then suddenly, you know, it can grow rapidly. That was my question because I've seen a lot of people make statements. I haven't seen specific studies and maybe you guys have, but that they are uh, connecting, you know, vaccines with the COVID vaccine specifically with increased cancer. Yeah, so I think there's almost zero evidence that the COVID vaccines affect the microbiome other than the 34 or 32 patients that have been investigated. I haven't seen anything in the literature. It's not it's not a topic Which, uh, that's yeah, would, majorly discussed. So would you Who's say... Who's paying would for you... the studies on that? Nobody's yeah, paying but for the it, studies yeah, on that. You have a passion for the microbiome, and, and that's that's fine. But you're you're focusing on a topic that is very ancillary or not even like existent on, on COVID-19. Um, and so, so no like, one's doing it. That doesn't mean it shouldn't be done or doesn't, wouldn't of exist course, if but then people we, were doing we should, a study. We right? devote our discussion on things that have evidence, not, not like hypotheses, so, not would, people's would you, pet so, projects. So you, would you agree, Eugene, in like the way I worded it earlier, is that the, and I think Simone also agreed, Sabine, sorry, also agreed that yes, the studies is, is relatively small, which is not enough to kind of have conclusive you know, not to act on it, but would you agree that it is raising questions on, on a field that's getting more and more important and, you know, we just don't know and, and it's definitely like when you have 34 people, still better than zero, but not as good as 70,000, does it mean like, yes, it's something probably worth looking into further? Is that a, a better way? Oh, of, uh... yeah, I mean, absolutely. If if um, if Sabine gets 70,000 patients or a million patients and can investigate that and then comes up with some important conclusions, of course, the whole scientific community would love to see that research, see the results, debate it, do a peer review. Nobody's saying don't investigate this or don't investigate that. We're just saying if there's no evidence, we shouldn't devote the majority of the time to talking about a gut microbiome when that isn't even a thing with evidence with COVID other than her 34 patients. Eugene, you know, the great thing is that research won the American, the award at the American College of Gastro. So 18,000 GI doctors are paying attention to it. So even though it's small, we in GI believe that if you see a Martian in your backyard, we don't need to do a placebo controlled trial to know that there's life on Mars. We just need to see one Martian, okay? When a patient with Alzheimer's is improved with fecal transplant, we pay attention and we start doing the research. So that's how we function in GI. Sure, and I'm not saying the research isn't important. You know, continue doing that research, but until there are results and evidence... Um, I, I think it's important to so so yeah, so, know, so just to it's not enough to say this study is good enough reason not to get the vaccine, but it's just another another study to add to the repertoire of hey things to look into about because there's just so many unknowns. So I'm yeah, just trying a, a thing to look into take and investigate. Yeah, absolutely. Again, it's, um, yeah, a fair fit. I think this is but, uh, for me. This is like the go ahead, Jerry. Sorry. Yes, uh, so, but I did want to circle back on an earlier claim. Uh, you know, I, I believe that strong claims require strong evidence. And there was a claim made in this space that more vaccines that you get, um, the more susceptible you are to COVID. And and then I think, Steve, you posted um, a Cleveland Clinic study right here saying that, um, you know, more shot, more likely to get COVID. But the, the evidence that you presented, Steve, is a preprint paper that hasn't been peer-reviewed. So I just want to and you know, so Eugene, what, do you, what is so so preprint paper that hasn't been pre, pre-print? Can, so you, yeah, mean, usually, can you explain what that means? Definitely, and I've seen a lot of like journalists in the mainstream media also do this, which is wrong as well. But med 
uh, RXIV is a preprint journal, meaning that um, you know there's a study that was done, but it hasn't gone through the peer review process. The peer review process means you submit it to your colleagues. You can think of it as a jury trial, right? A jury of your peers. When you go to court, you don't just present your complaint, the initial complaint, and say, "Now I am right," right? So it's like complaint... it's like when a it's like when a company does its financials and it gets an auditor to review everything. Exactly, an audit, or like I think a court case is the best analogy I can think of because you have a judge, you have a trial, and then you have an entire jury of your peers let, evaluating the evidence Steve... um, unbiasedly. Fair, fair point, fair point. Steve, I'd love you to respond to that point. Would you agree with, with that point by Eugene? Like that, that hasn't been peer-reviewed, so maybe we take it with a grain of salt? Or is that incorrect? Okay, so it's coming from the Cleveland Clinic. Um, it's, a, it's a very well-done study. But, uh, and, and in fact, when it's interesting that uh, Eugene says that because when uh, Debunk the Funk uh, went and went on YouTube to try to debunk it, he actually never even said that it's not peer-reviewed, so he didn't think that that was relevant at all. What when when it was when he tried to debunk it, he said that well, the reason you shouldn't pay attention to this is that everybody started on the same date when the when these boosters rolled out, and so that's when they started tracking all these people. And he said, well, that's arbitrary. <laughs> and Look, anybody who knows anything, that's like the fairest way to do it, as opposed to pick an arbitrary point or to pick a point like, you know, different for each vaccine. Basically, everybody, what they did in the study is they said, hey, let's uh, 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 shoot the gun here that everybody starts at the same time. Some people had no vaccination. Some people had one vaccination. And everybody's going to be tracked starting at this time. And Debunk the Funk said, that's no good. And then the, the other thing he said when he tried to debunk it is he said, well, the, uh, the y-axis, that's really compressed. So I looked at the y-axis. It's linear. <laughs> it's not compressed. It's a linear graph. I mean, so all the and, – and, and I welcome. I, I actually posted on my, my Twitter feed. Um, it's the last uh, 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 most recent post I did right now. And I posted a link so everybody can go in and watch Debunk the Funk, try to debunk this. And what he does is he doesn't cite any comparable studies because Eugene is the guy who always says, you know, for every study, there are 10 studies that show the opposite. In which case, if that were true, then everyone in medicine would be confused because there's always 10 studies to to, um, dispute the 10 studies that were disputed from the first study. So that's not true. Um, so Steve, I, I heard a lot of appeal to authority. You know, you said like Cleveland Clinic. Um, I think you mentioned debunk the funk, but you didn't comment on whether peer review is important and whether the paper yeah, I was that gonna, you I was, posted. I was going to ask. A, I'll ask the question in a more eloquent way. Like, Steve, would you would you say? Um, and I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Jim, but I'm making the same point. Would you say, Steve, that um, I mean, you made valid points, um, uh, uh, but uh, the appeal to authority is 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 still a, a valid. You know, I think you know. In, in, in this case, review... it's okay to do the appeal to authority because we're talking about a Cleveland. Yeah, I agree. Clinic. I just, we're not I just said about the exa- exa- third yeah, world what... country yes, clinic yes, yes. in I said, Romania. You know, I said, like, is... yeah, I, I know. Yeah, so I, I, that's good, why I said very I said... good methodology. These are good scientists. 
Yeah, so I agree yep. that, and that's why I said the appeal to authority makes sense. But my question to you, Steve, is would you agree with – not agree with Eugene, but would you agree with, with most people that would say a peer review would make – would bring more credibility to yes. the study? And, yeah, and is that it, something it, that – Yes, okay. Mario, but in this case, when you look at the authors, Departments of Infectious Disease, Infection prote- Protection uh, – sorry, Infection pr- Prevention, Quantitative Health Sciences – Enterprise Business Intelligence, Occupational Health, Cleveland Clinic, Cleveland, USA, okay? Uh, These are not people out of some foreign country with no background. Um, We can go and and take a look at the track record of uh, of the first author and the senior author, and we can go look that up. But generally speaking, these uh, the studies that go through here, if they get rejected That's... in peer review, it's probably because they go against the narrative. And well, that's, that's not, what people that's not need true. to understand is not legitimately based on science alone. It's also based on conformity with the narrative. Now, when, and, um, and finally, if you let me finish. Okay. Sure. Finally, when debunk the funk um, tried to debunk it with other studies, as Eugene is from, you know, fond of saying, well, there are other studies that, that debunk this. He couldn't find a study that debunked it. He couldn't find a comparable study where people with different vaccination rates were started from the same starting gate and point in time. And, and tracked over time to see what would happen. Now, if you have another study, Eugene, like that, that is peer-reviewed, let's hear what it says. But let's not just, you know, throw, uh, you know, we, sh- we should be taking this at face value, Eugene, because that's what science says. So, that's, what the, that's what the precautionary principle of medicine says, is that if a study comes out like this, we should look at that and consider that. And unless we have something that disputes this, um, that that does the same experiment is, oh, so is, I, I this stuff is not legitimately on based on science alone. It's also based <laughs> on conformity with the narrative. Now, when, and, um, and finally, if you let me finish, okay. Sure. Finally, when debunk the funk um, tried to debunk it with other studies, as Eugene is fond, you know, fond of saying, well, there are other studies that that debunk this. He couldn't find. A study that debunked it. He couldn't find a comparable study where people with different vaccination rates were started from the same starting gate and point in time and and tracked over time to see what would happen. Now, if you have another study, Eugene, like that, that is peer reviewed, let's hear what it says. But let's not just, you know, throw, uh, you know, we, sh- we should be taking this at face value, Eugene, because that's what science says. So, that's, what the, that's what the precautionary principle of medicine says, is that if a study comes out like this, we should look at that and consider that. And unless we have something that disputes this, um, that, that does the same experiment and gets a different result, then maybe we should believe it. I'm so the- I just want to respond quickly to the comments that Steve and Ian made about how since it's from the Cleveland Clinic, we should, you know, automatically or we should pay a lot of attention to it well, because it's a reputable place. You give it more credence. Right. You give it slightly but, more credence than, you know, your third world country uh, clinic in Romania. I, I, I hear you on that. But I just want to mention that there are a lot of studies from very reputable places that 
end up even end up being refuted um, and end up being kind of like almost like faked because I can I can just mention when I was an undergrad at Stanford there was um, a Piero and Versa who published a bunch of studies in Science New England Journal Nature about stem cell research and he just it happened that he just faked a bunch of that data when I was in med school at Duke uh, there was a Dr Anil Padi who faked a bunch of cancer research. Uh, got it published in New England Journal, all this stuff. So I'm just, just because there is like a person or, or institution that is very reputable, it doesn't mean that it's automatically true. Yeah, but, but, but well, I, I want to uh, jump in here on that because there's so, another important thing, uh, Eugene, that you're not really bringing up. I mean, you're doing, now I'm not saying you're absolutely doing this, but you're potentially bringing up the opposite of the appeal to authority fallacy. You're saying because there have been, therefore, and, and it's very limited because the, the reality is that the Cleveland Clinic or a lot of these other institutions, I mean, they, they really have to be careful not to find out that that happens. Now, the peer review process is designed to try to deal with that. But peer review also is becoming more and more of an appeal to authority logical fallacy in the sense that peer review is also used often to shut out the uh, certain research that could otherwise be peer reviewed and is relevant on the basis of political uh, situations. Now that happens most often uh, nowadays in areas like climate science, but it's happening more and more in medical journals as well. And you, and so therefore there's a bit of an appeal. Well, let me finish this point. Let me finish this point. There's a bit of a peer review uh, appeal to authority with peer review because you know what? Sometimes peers get it wrong. I mean, the Lancet, the Journal of the American Medical Association, they've had bad studies and they were peer reviewed. So, you know, it, it, it's I mean, really ab- absolutely. Yeah, um, so, Jim, Jim, it, what are you saying, Jim? The point you make is that peer review is perfection. No, I think what Eugene's saying is that peer review just adds to the credibility. No, yeah. listen, listen, really I'm not, I, I want to be real, real clear. Though. I'm, not saying, too, I'm court, not saying. Right. Well, hold on. Let me finish this point. I, uh, to answer what you said, Mario, I'm not saying peer review is something. We shouldn't do or now suddenly invalid. That's not my point. What I am saying, it is not in the least the perfect way for us to be able to say that uh, the conclusions of a certain study are valid based upon doing valid research. And in matter of fact, uh, research well done is the biggest purpose for peer peer review because logical conclusions, deductive conclusions at the end of research are, are debated long after a peer-reviewed study shows up. What we're doing in peer review is making sure that the process was properly applied, being reviewed by people who do similar processes themselves to a degree of excellence. But this is still a human thing. A Cleveland Clinic study is highly worth considering and definitely should be considered seriously well, in the Jim, very manner that Ian let, talked about. Let me shed yeah, a little Jim, bit up, more, up more light on this. There. There, there's another, there's another uh, very objective indicator in terms of credibility. It's called the H-index. Uh, Nabin Shrestha, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing his, his, his name correctly, has an H-index of 35. Now, H-indexes are really, really hard to get, and 35 puts him in a, a top tier of scientists. Now, Eugene Gu, for example, has an H-index of 4, Okay. Um, uh, uh, Nabin is 35. So, and, and it's nonlinear. So if we're talking about credibility, the author of this study has much more credibility in terms of his own peers than Eugene does. And Eugene, I've got in the nest, if you just pull down, I've, I've pinned up there, 
Uh, the first link is to a study done by my colleague that was last year in April on the UK data that came out. The second link is to a Kaiser study. Uh, I'm pretty sure that that may or may not be out of preprint. I, I, I wasn't able to track that down on my phone right now. Uh, the third study was to the Cleveland Clinic. And the fourth one is one that just came out two days ago uh, from France. Uh, I mean, all of them showing the same thing, some initial efficacy uh, from the first and second shots, uh, but everything waning after that and every single shot leaning to lower and lower uh, protection from the virus and, in fact, more susceptibility. I mean, if this was a case of something odd like, you know, the third shot was showing more susceptibility than the fourth shot and the second shot was no it, it's all very linear right like he says it, you look at these charts and they're amazing because you realize the more shots you get the more susceptible you are to getting the virus uh and, and i think the less protection you have there and let's if you look up there's a second tweet i pinned up there let's be very clear so many of these studies are done on antibody efforts right and there is no correlate between antibodies and protection. There's a link to a video of the FDA. Someone asked the panel there who was trying to approve, again, the stupid vaccine EUA status for six-month-olds six month to five-year-olds, right, based on eight mice, right, based on eight mice. And they were trying to do it based on antibody studies. And the person asked the question, is there any correlate between antibodies and viral protection? And the answer was no. And by, by the way, I want, listen, I, this peer review thing, I, I just got to say one more thing. And because what, uh, to validate hopefully what Justin was talking about, but in a more general fashion. Listen, a lot of people listening to this call that are non-scientists don't know technically what the peer review process is. Okay. Peer review is a, a an attempt to find the truth or falsehood of propositions. That's the purpose of it, okay? But propositions are used to come to deductive conclusions. And deductive conclusions are not an evidence of truth. They are an evidence of validity. So from a logical perspective, if you have propositions that are true, then all you can do conclusively is validate that your conclusion is, has correctness to it because the propositions are true. But propositions do not give end results. They do not tell us what the actual end thing is. It, they tell us certain things, and they're significant and not unimportant. Don't get me wrong. But to get to a place where we really know what's happened, and that's why we have these debates, because there's most of the, the uh, experts that we have in these discussions have some understanding of the truth of propositions. They disagree on what the conclusion is. And that's why we have these debates so that we can see what a, what's one or a set of valid conclusions are based upon that information we have. Okay. Can I just, just Liza, jump in weigh here. in really quick. So what I've gotten from this discussion is that we think that appeal to authority is reasonable sometimes um, because because there that demonstrates that there is that that, that these people are real experts have had um, a lot of experience doing this. We've also demonstrated that peer review is a really important aspect when we're conducting research. Um, and then we're also saying that, you know, things have to be demonstrated in the clinical sense, meaning that you have to not just see it in a laboratory in animals or in, in, in lymphocytes. You have to see it in a large groups of people to make, to, to, to establish whether or not there's a benefit 
to these things. So I will contend that there is an article that's come out of Harvard with Harvard researchers in August 25th, 2021, looking at the safety of the mRNA vaccines in a nationwide setting. So it's Harvard, it's in the New England Journal of Medicine, it's peer reviewed, and there are oh, close to a million people in the study. So, and, and, and that study demonstrates um, safety. So in, in that study, and I, and that's one study, um, but it does fulfill all of those criteria. Well, hold on, hold on. No, so, no, so, now so, I got to, so, I got to so, get in so, there. Hold so, on, Liza, really Liza, quickly. Liza, no, there are two conclusions that you made that I don't accept. And I think okay. I have argued against one of them being, does it need to be 72,000 people? The size of the study is not an indicator uh, prime, I mean, it's not a, a, absolutely an indicator of the validity of the propositions made. Now, okay. when, this, when the first vaccines came out from Pfizer, that was a study of less than 200 people. The initial 90% efficacy or whatever that actual number was, was less than 200 people. So no, you don't have to have 72,000 people to make sure. Sabine's sample may or may not. You're right. Indicate, well, let me finish this. Sabine's sample may or may not be indicative of that. And I would say, you know, it's a valid point to say it's only 34 people. But again, that's what, that's what peer review does. But here's the second thing that I, I did not say that peer review is absolutely the only gold standard right i am making the point that the 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 validity of cleveland clinic study or anybody else's study is whether the propositions are true and then you can come to the conclusions but no i don't accept that peer review is the only way you can get to this i do believe it is a very good thing to have and i do not want to kick out the peer review system, even though I have grave concerns about how that system exists right now. It's a human system. And and you cannot say that it is the only standard by which we look at studies. That's just a false premise. Uh, I, 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 I have agree. a, Liza, Liza, I'll let you respond to Jim. Yeah, I'll let Liza respond to Jim. And then Liza, I have a question for you that's uh, it's been asked a few times, but now I have a prominent person also uh, telling me, Mario, ask uh, the MDs about the flaws in the vaccine adverse if, uh, event reporting system varies. So maybe that's a discussion I'd like to also have because it's being referenced a lot. Um, but there's some people, uh, you know, a bit critical. So I'd love to learn more because I don't know much about it. So I'll let you respond to Jim first, Liza. So Jim, I agree with you. I, you can find, you can have small studies that make huge discoveries. I mean, look at about, look at how penicillin got discovered. Just it was an accident in a petri dish that got left out overnight, and 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 the and the result was that you know that this this saved many thousands, many millions of lives around the world. So I, I absolutely agree with you that small signals are something that need to be followed. Um, that peer review is not the be all end all because look at some of the stuff that's been published in top tier journals that have had to been re- retracted, like the Andrew Wakefield article, like um, like the art- article on hydroxychloroquine that got published in the Lancet by Surgisphere. I I agree with you. What I'm trying to tease out here is what if we're going to move forward as a society and we want to have the benefits of health and well-being and things like that, what is the process that we need to have to determine safety, efficacy, reproducibility, validity, and all of those things? I think that that's a, that's a critical question that we need to address, but not necessarily throw out huge 
studies that have been reproducible. And remember, there are 320,000 plus papers on COVID in the past two years. So it's very, you, it's very easy to find a study that says one thing or the other. The, the, what we want to do is we want to get to the right answer. We want to get to the right answer. We want to make sure that these vaccines aren't harming people. We want to make sure that people aren't dying of COVID. We're in the same boat. But and I and I, I think that it's been really unfortunate the way all of this has been rolled out and that people have not been able to have a forum in which they can have these discussions. So we get to the best answer. Um, by the way, to to uh, independent too, and I know you're going to say something, Sabine, but I, I want to hold you up here for just a second uh, in a positive way. So, but th- that's why when Sabine comes in here and talks about what she's saying, has she concluded decisively for all of us that what she's saying is absolutely true? No, but I can tell you what she has done. She has changed uh, or she has appropriately either brought into question or help us understand better the premise that uh, the microbiome has a significant uh, a significant play, role to play here. The reason she has done that is not just because her study is it, you better listen to her and everybody else shut up, but because every one of you doctors here knows the important, by this time in our scientific uh, research, the important role the microbiome plays in all of us. You even referred to the external microbiome, Lisa, and that, Eliza, excuse me, and that is absolutely significant too. I mean, you brought that out and not even Sabine brought it out. We know that Sabine is on to something, every one of us here, because we also know that there are indicators that the that Sabine's on the right track. We do not know that she has concluded it all and settled the science entirely, but we know she's down the science. Yeah, but I and think, Jim, I think both Liza, problem, but yeah, Liza, problem. what problem? Because Liza and Eugene agreed that it's something worth looking into further, no? Yeah, they did. But 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 I'm saying that to address the uh, point related to um, uh, uh, to peer review and how we evaluate studies. Listen, the validity of studies and and the usefulness of studies is not that they've been peer reviewed. Peer review, no, but peer review, is, but well, peer review does, doesn't it add? Well, I'm, I'm getting to that is... point. I'm getting to that point, Mario. I'm getting to that point. What peer review does is give us possibly when. Uh, uh, righteously done appropriately done probably gives us the best way to to validate that the premises being offered are true but it does not give us the only way and i believe personally it is acceptable to 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 well to proclaim that if cleveland clinic or or a very you know johns hopkins when it's not a peer-reviewed thing when they do studies then we may not have as good a standard as peer review to know that the premises are okay, true. So I th- I think but we, we know still that they are, but we, they, that doesn't mean yes. that they're not true. True. Fair. I think, I think we all agree on this. I don't think that anyone disagrees with this. Like, I, I want to go to Sabine. I've got a question from the audience for Sabine. By the way, audience members, bottom right corner, you can ask questions. But from what I understood from Eugene and Liza, they do agree with you that you don't just discount something that's not peer reviewed. But it's better to have it peer-reviewed, and I think Steve, Eugene, and Liza, and Sabine would agree with this point. And 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 Sabine is waiting. So the question I have you for Sabine is from the audience. I know you probably have something else to add, Sabine, but I'll, I'll, I'll ask a question from the audience. Hello, Sabine. I'm listening to you in the Twitter space. I have a question. What or how do you feel about detoxing the detox pathways, starting with colon, 
then a parasite cleanse, then kidney, and lastly liver. I feel that COVID can linger in the parasites and stones. And uh, that's beyond me the question. So you probably could could maybe explain what that means and, and what your what what would be your recommendation to the to the audience member. And this is not medical advice for anyone listening. We're just trying to give you some some insight um on these questions. So I never put myself in a rabbit hole to give people advice, especially on Twitter. Um, because it's a patient-doctor relationship and you have to have a relationship with the patient to get the history and also to understand what's the problem in order to fix the problem. It is still the art of medicine, last I checked. Now, the clinical practice of medicine is exactly that, patient-doctor relationship. When you talk about me giving advice, it needs to be peer, it needs to be not necessarily peer-reviewed, but at least studied, right? So we are at the beginning of of research on the microbiome. There is no data on like what's helping, which drug is helping, which microbe is helping. We are at the beginning. There are a ton of microbes out there, Blatia, Rosaburia. We have no idea what they're doing in the gut. So this is the beginning. This is a, a new path. This is a new frontier. This is basically like, you know, discovering the shuttle and ending up in Mars and discovering Mars, right? So that's basically where we are. This is a new frontier. As far as exposing the microbiome, yes, I've exposed the microbiome and thank you for acknowledging all that. However, I, I think I'm also exposing the corruption in medicine, okay? This new, didn't used to be like this, okay? You used to present a paper to peer review and you would have a peer review process. And if you were an academic doctor, the paper would be you know, peer reviewed and accepted. You publish in a journal that you go to a meeting, you present your data, the data gets a, you know, an award at the American College of Gastro, for example, the paper should be going to a peer review and a high impact journal at the same time, right? That motion doesn't happen anymore. We are having as scientists, a lot of difficulty to publish papers. We are having a lot of difficulties to pass the peer review. We are having a lot of, forget the high impact journals. They don't even want to hear about a study on the microbiome. They're too busy to publish. I presented my data to Lancet and New England Journal. We're too busy. This is not urgent. Really? I'm showing preliminary data on the microbiome being affected by the vaccine. It's not urgent. I mean, what if it is urgent? What if we are damaging the microbiome beyond? And then 10 years from now, we wake up and we say, oh, we shouldn't have done that. Well, shoulda, coulda, woulda doesn't do anything. You gotta ask now. Sabine? Hold on, hold on. Is uh, uh, Tara Ian is uh, is Sabine going in and out? Can someone tell me if Sabine is going in so, and out, or is it mine? No, it's, it's you. I can hear. It's, it's you, Mario. Oh, I can my, hear sorry, guys. Fine. Sorry, sorry for fucking it up, everyone. Go ahead, Sabine. Sorry, my bad. No, no, I was just exposing, you know, the difficulty in publishing. When I published a paper as a hypothesis, okay, in a journal, and the paper was maybe ivermectin increases bifidobacteria. I'm not saying it is. I, we need to do the research. But the fact is I sent it as a hypothesis to at least, you know, get people thinking, to plant a seed in the scientist's brain or the GI doctor, right, to understand that ivermectin is a a fermented product of a bacteria similar to bifidobacteria. So when I present that paper and I publish it, and then it's being threatened to be removed or external forces are coming and quoting a law from Germany in German that I never looked at, that why did I publish that? Because it goes against the law from Germany in German. I mean, come on, there's a limitation. I believe every paper needs to be published. Every data is good data. There is no wrong data. 
prove and disprove. That's what science is all about. You think I'm wrong? Redo the study. Make sure you follow the same methods in order to validate or reproduce the data. Because if you're not following the same methods, you're going to have crap in your research. Okay, and you're not going to reproduce it. So, you know, when they did these studies on ivermectin, they used one ivermectin by itself. Well, you know, it's combination therapy. We didn't kill, you know, H. pylori with one antibiotic. We killed it with combination therapy. We didn't kill, you know, uh, hepatitis C with one drug. We killed it with combination therapy. So I think, you know, there's a big problem in medicine right now. And there is a silencing and a censorship of the science. There is a reason that we all came together on the outskirts as scientists, as virologists, as infectious disease doctors, and and GI doctors, and genomics experts to all look at this because we saw there is something not right here, okay? We are being censored. We are not being allowed to ask questions. These debates are great because they we come to the table, me, Liza, we bring in things, right? So we bring in ideas that, you know, somebody didn't look at. It's important to have these debates that didn't happen. So how do we make this better in the future? We bring the people that are on one side and the other people that are on the other side to the table to discuss. And we have an independent review person that is not paid by pharma, that is not working for the government independent to review the data and to make sure that we are doing safety first because this is number one do no harm if you have a hint on something could cause something you need to pay attention to it now because it before it becomes a bigger problem okay so and i'm just i'm just gonna say my my study that i'm gonna do I'm going to do the non-vaccinated microbiome versus the micro versus the vaccinated. Let's do that study. Whoever wants to sponsor or, you know, help me. Fine. Let's look at the data. Right. Um, so I have a, I have a question. First, can you hear me? OK, uh, Liza, uh, Sabine. Yeah. Uh, OK, so I want to I want to go back to the question about the VAERS, uh, the vaccine adverse event reporting system. Um, I would like to know what are people's concern with that reporting system, if any. Does is there any on the panel? Because a lot of a lot of people have referenced it. Anyone on the panel that that has concerns with the VARES? Anyone at all? Feel free to unmute if you do have concerns. Well, with the I, yeah, my, my, yeah, my concern. I, I, I've studied been studying VARES for close to two years now, and uh, nobody's been able to explain to me what the fifteen thousand excess deaths in VARES what those people died from. And there was a study that was just done out of the UK by Scott McLaughlin. And he looked at over a thousand cases. And I just had a, a conversation with him recently and I asked him, hey, those deaths reported in VARES, are there any that are inconsistent with a vaccine-related death? And he said, no. He couldn't find a single one that was inconsistent with the person dying from the vaccine. This should make everybody really nervous. And the fact that nobody in the entire world has ever been able to explain to me what killed the 15,000 people reported in VAERS has got to be very troubling. Now, I use the CDC-approved method for determining what the underreporting factor is in VAERS. And I did that because the CDC refused to calculate it. 
Now, they've calculated in the past because John Sue and four other people at the CDC wrote the paper on how to calculate it. They've done it in the past. They chose not to do it here. So I calculated it at 41. And Aaron Siri, who's uh, brought many lawsuits against them, calculated it over 50. But 41 is a minimum. And if you take 41 times 15,000 excess deaths, you end up with over half a million excess deaths. So my question uh, to people is, hey, if it wasn't, if it was not the vaccine that killed these people, what did? And show me how the VAERS records are consistent with your hypothesis. Nobody in the world has been able to do that. Uh, if someone's able to do that in this room, that would be game changing. I'm all ears. In, uh, Eugene, I saw you also unmute. Uh, did you have concerns with the VAERS system as well, or you unmuted for something else? Um, so the VAERS system, I think anybody can make a report in the VAERS system, right? So I think the, I mean, while that could be good and bad, you know, it's good that you can get as, as many signals as possible. Uh, the bad part is we need to validate, you know, whether those are true or not, right? Because just like on social media, anybody can make an accusation. You have to evaluate it based on evidence. And so I think that's one of my critiques to the VAERS system um, is that it's good at you know finding signals, but um, it needs validation as well. Okay. Uh, hey, Thanks. Eugene, um, uh, Eugene uh, by the way, I have 1,500 death reports. These are people who are vaccinated and unvaccinated who died in 2020, 2021, and 2022. And I have them by vaccination status as well. And I have the comments on what happened after uh, they were vaccinated on 75% of those. And I have the reporter for each one of those. Eugene, would you like to go through uh, that data set and, and take a look at it. Can I, uh, sure, Eugene, with your yeah, permission, can I can I make a WhatsApp group between me, you, and Steve? Is that okay with both yeah, of you? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Okay. Steve, are you okay with that? So then we could, you guys yeah, could discuss yeah, it in that Yes, and, and, and by the way, there are only three ways that those 15,000 cases can get into VAERS. It's either overstimulated reporting, which is what the CDC claims, but there is no evidentiary support for overstimulated reporting. So it's not that. It could be fraud. But there's no evidence for fraud. Or it could be that we have a really dangerous vaccine and all the evidence is consistent with that. Now, if there's another explanation, nobody has ever told me about it. So, yes, Eugene, it's true that anyone can report to VAERS. But still, if there are so many reports this for this vaccine and only for the COVID vaccine and no other vaccine, those are the only three possible explanations for how that could happen. So, Eugene, where is the evidentiary support for your uh, for your hypothesis? I think I need to take a look at your data and then compare, and, but maybe we can do that at a later time. And, Steve, why, why are doctors telling me that I, I haven't found one doctor that's actually made a VAERS report? Uh, the four that I've talked to said that they don't have time. And then all four told me, from both sides, by the way, of this conversation, that that they don't know of any doctors that are reporting on the VAERS um, platform. Oh, they're, they're uh, so, so Grant, that's because, that's because they're so rare. The underreporting factor is at least 41. So if you talk to 100 doctors, you'll probably find um, doctors that report. I have a list of doctors uh, 
who have reported to the VARA system. I can give you that. You can talk to them. I had one doctor I talked to who said, yeah, she's been in practice for 11 years. She has, there are four neurologists in her practice. And she said that in the past, she's never needed to make, she's known about VARA's forever. She's never needed to make a VARA's report in her entire career for any vaccine. For this vaccine, she needs to make a thousand various reports, and she gave up after two. So I can put you in touch with her, uh, Grant, and and we can have a discussion. And the point of that, and this well, is an why, interesting why, why anecdote, because the numbers are so large. Oh, got it, got it. You're saying the numbers are so big that they just like tapping out. That, yeah, it's not, it's not like you know it was zero and then it was one. It's like zero and it's a thousand. And you can talk to her directly. And so what that means is that we have an extremely dangerous vaccine in comparison to other vaccines because of this strongly elevated rate. It's not because other folks are reporting. It's not because the public is reporting or they know about it. The doctor themselves sees nothing for 11 years. Vaccine rolls out and all of a sudden is flooded and she's gotten thousands of new patients. Well, you should be seeing mass mass extinction of doctors and nurses then, right? Because we all got vaccinated. So if, if, if you, you should be seeing high, we're, the, we're some of the most highly vaccinated people. So if that signal's there, you should be seeing a huge uptick in those but numbers. We, 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 we are seeing it. We are. We're not revaccinated. We are, Liza. We are. You know, the, the not revaccinating the, is different the, than death. When this is not death, this is not death. No, no, different than death, different than severe than severe outcomes. You, you that that's the, the problem. Is that you're seeing? You, I, I think I might speak to a lot more doctors and know a lot more doctors. Liza, than, how do you, than, but, but how do you explain this one? I mean, it, <laughs> did you just say she's lying? Do you want to look at the records? I'm not saying do you want anybody's... to go through? Do you want to look at her records, Liza? I, I, Stephen, I am happy to look at records. Awesome. Um, I, 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 I do. So one thing, thing I, I can create a group as well between that, you as well. Not, um, we do. Hey, Mario. Sorry, who's speaking? That that did not genuine. I'm happy to look at your records. The genuine meter did not seem genuine. Um, on, are you referring to, sorry, talking to, to uh, Steve or Liza? Mario, the, the echo behind your microphone is... Oh, sorry, let me, let me fix it. Yeah, I'll be, hold on, let me fix it, hold on. Uh, if, uh, uh, Jim, take over with that study quickly. Yeah, so um, I just shared up in, um, in the uh, group here, uh, in the space here, a study that I had been reviewing, or a, an article that I had been reviewing related to studies. It was uh, Just the News, John Solomon's organization, Headline, Pfizer, Fauci, staffers sign off on research finding mRNA COVID vaccines produce worse antibodies. The article goes a little bit like this. I'll read part the way into it. Uh, less than a month after, and by the way, the byline on this was, when was the date? It was uh, the 17th of this month. Less than a month after the CDC marked the two-year anniversary of the first administered COVID-19 vaccine by telling Americans to get a bivalent booster, Two peer-reviewed German studies have found that mRNA vaccines, the vast majority of the U.S. market, induce worse antibodies compared to traditional adventurous vaccines. The first paper, published in Science Immunology December 22nd, 
focused on mRNA boosters, while the second, published in Frontiers in Immunology, January 12th, found the same association with the two-dose primary series. Frontiers' paper has the added distinction of a Pfizer scientist serving as its editor and one of Anthony Fauci's staffers at the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases as a peer reviewer, suggesting the mRNA vaccine maker and feds were aware of a potential antibody problem around the time Omicron targeting boosters were authorized. And by the way, I want to emphasize as I read on, the article says it seems to indicate that, okay, so that they that they knew beforehand. Uh, reading on, the findings call into question the government's promotion of bivalent boosting, even while regulators admit that newer COVID variants are evading vaccines. New York City's Department of Health and, uh, told residents Friday the XBB.1.5 uh, Omicron subvariant now comprises three quarters of documented COVID infections in the cities. Uh, also, and you can read on on that. Um, there was uh, anyway. There's there's if I read on further. So so there's uh, another Jim, study you read that has the... similar people associated with it. Again, so, seems to indicate that Pfizer and the CDC and the or the NAID maybe have had known about the lack of uh, efficacy of uh, second boosters. Okay, so first, can you hear me? Okay, Jim, because I changed. Yeah, your your echo's gone. Okay. you're all good. Okay, perfect. So, so I've just, I just, I, I read the news because we, we looked at it before sharing it. And, and it, so essentially you got five, so, so staffers of Fauci and Pfizer just pointing out that they knew about some of the negative effects of the mRNA vaccine uh, and the boosters before they're recommending it. Is, am I on the right track? Because I did miss the first part of what you said. Well, so, so the, the first part is the studies were done that, sh- that were peer-reviewed and show or seem to indicate uh, less effect- efficacy of a second booster. And these were second booster reports. Uh, of the bo- so they focus on the boosters. And, then, and, and the peer reviewers, uh, one was a Pfizer uh, scientist and one was uh, a CDC scientist, an NAID in particular. So, but you pointed out that they. Was, it seems to indicate that maybe they actually. Yeah, I was going to say that. Oh, it seems to indicate that they actually knew about it. it. I thought it said they knew that it may negatively impact boosters, may have negative impact on antibodies. Well, no, no, no. So no it's, let it's, me be more clear here. They validated uh, in their peer review of the reports that there was a lower efficacy and the the uh, the uh, implication that just the news is making in their article is, did they actually know then before peer reviewing these papers that there was a problem with it? Understood. Hmm. What do you think of this, Aaron? Aaron? So, yeah. Sorry, I was on mute. Uh, (laughs) I have a lot of thoughts about this. I'm trying to organize them in my head. There There were some problems, I think, from the outset with the research on the boosters and the justification for moving forward with boosters. And one of the problems was that the data that was submitted for boosters and including the data that was submitted for the use of these vaccines in children relied on a lab value rather than a clinical outcome to establish that uh, these were effective. And here's what I mean by that. So if you test a vaccine, 
you can test its effects uh, most accurately by testing the population to see if it actually changes a meaningful clinical outcome. You could test it to see, does it reduce death? Does it reduce severe illness and hospitalization? Or does it reduce infection and transmission? Those are clinical outcomes. But you can also test it by testing uh, some change that it affects in the body. In this case, you can give the boosters and you can measure antibody levels at you know various intervals after you give the boosters. And you say, oh, okay, the antibodies go up this much and there is a quote unquote correlate of protection between antibodies and those good outcomes that we really actually care about. The problem in this case with that assumption is that as I mentioned, you know, maybe about an hour ago in this space, the immune system is much more complicated than antibodies. Antibodies alone do not confer uh, good immunity. Antibody levels always decline over time. And that doesn't mean that immunity declines over time uh, because immunity is conferred by memory B cells and memory T cells. Memory B cells produce new antibodies when exposed to the pathogen Again, but it doesn't mean that you're going to have circulating antibodies in your blood six months, one year, two years down the road. The lack of circulating antibodies doesn't automatically correlate to a lack of immunity against the virus. On the flip side, the presence of circulating antibodies after you give a booster, for example, doesn't necessarily correlate to good immunity. Uh, and the reason for that, could, well, there could be many reasons for that. One reason for that might be, well, there are antibodies against the original spike protein on the Wuhan strain, which is not in circulation anymore. And so even though you have COVID antibodies, they're not the right kind of COVID antibodies. The reasons for that also could be because, could be because you get diminishing returns from a skewed immune response that only involves antibodies, especially if, as some of the studies have suggested, that T-cell response, the other branch of the immune system, gets suppressed by additional boosters. So long story short, instead of actually measuring those clinical outcomes with the boosters, they, they, they tried to do that with the initial shots. That was the, the phase three clinical trials. And what they came up with was, well, we didn't have enough deaths in the study to say whether it prevented death. Um, and we didn't have a large enough study to say whether it inhibited infection and transmission. We now know that it doesn't prevent infection and transmission. Um, but it seemed to lower the risks of severe illness and hospitalization, uh, at least for a period of time. Once that effect started to wane, they said, OK, well, let's just do it again. Let's give the boosters. Uh, but instead of measuring that clinical outcome again, they measured antibody levels with the boosters and assumed that that was going to confer better immunity or more immunity with the third dose or the fourth dose. And what we're seeing now, I think, is um, that th the story of the immune system is much more complicated than just testing antibody levels and the assumption that antibody levels were going to correlate well with immunity and good response to uh, the virus and lower symptoms of disease has not really panned out in the way that they hoped. And so I think we're starting to see some backtracking now and uh, maybe even some admission that, uh, you know, that was not the right way to assess whether or not we should engage in a booster campaign.
Eugene, anything else to add on this? Because I sent you and Liza the uh, the uh, the article. Yeah. Um, so first, with the article that you sent me, um, I think Jim Plath, uh, you were talking about in the Justin News um, piece. Um, there was an article in Science Immunology that it was um, citing, uh, but I, I took a closer look at that. It was around, I think, 39 patients. So it's a small study. Uh, nevertheless, it's you know important to investigate whether I, I think it was saying that the adenovirus vectors, like the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, could produce a more effective immune response than the mRNA vaccines from Pfizer and Moderna. So that's an interesting question, but we would just need to. to validate that with a larger study and replicate it. Um, and then um, I do want to uh, touch upon what Aaron was saying, because I think he had some good points there. Um, when it comes to the boosters, initially, I, I do agree with him. I, I think the scientific community was judging the antibody titer response to the to the boosters rather than clinical outcomes. Um, that's an important you know, caveat. And I think science is not about political narratives. It's not about what we want to happen, it's about what reality tells us, right? And we should always judge things based on clinical outcomes. Um, when it comes to boosters, there's this question as to, are they uh, effective for everyone? And I think, you know, it's a legitimate question uh, to weigh the benefit and the risk of the booster shots and say, maybe this is something that we, you know, do for older adults, the immunocompromised, those at most risk from covid but do we do boosters for, you know, healthy young men? Yeah, I don't know the answer to that question. I think we need to investigate that. I think we need to look at But do you have, that. Eugene, do you, are, you, are you more concerned? Like we, we, we saw Liza, she hasn't taken boosters. And I think Liza or Steve or someone mentioned uh, the gentleman from the FDA. His name is Paul Offit, um, who um, – had concerns with the boosters and I think he's not taking them. I can't remember whether his concerns were the side effects or the, 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 the lack of benefit. I think it was the latter more or, or a bit of both. Are you, would you say you're more concerned or would you, would you still freely recommend boosters for someone who's young and healthy or not? Cause someone and then so the team yeah. and cause I've had, I've had, um, I think Ian said that, um, uh, the, the, the fucking boosters are being recommended every two months. I thought it was every six months. Yeah, I don't think it's every two months. Um, it, it, every six months sounds a lot more plausible to me. But I do. I think the one unfortunate thing about the coronavirus pandemic is the the variants that come out, right? So, you know, while the vaccines against Delta were very effective against Delta, they weren't as effective against Omicron. And now there's new variants that come out because this virus mutates. Um, the the vaccines that were good against the older variants may not be good against the newer ones that come out, right? So so boosting uh, repeatedly against the Delta variant or the Omicron Oh, so essentially you're saying that the the, the, the the vaccine, just for, for clarity, like your argument is more in support of vaccines. Uh, just for anyone listening, um, while we've had um, Steve and, and, and uh, other doctors, Simone, that were uh, that had more concerns with the vaccine. Um, but as a person that, that's a, a, a proponent of vaccines, the point you're making is that the vaccine efficacy or the booster efficacy is not catching up with the variants and the speed of variants, which was a big concern um, in recent months. Is right, that that's, is that that's, a fair that's, simplification? Yeah. That's that's a good um, kind of summary of, of my thoughts. You know, I do support the vaccines, uh, but when it comes to boosters. Boosters that are effective against the older variants, I don't know how effective they are going to be against newer variants that come out. You know, it's just like um, I think Liza was talking about how you know, the polio vaccine was very effective in eradicating polio, smallpox against smallpox, measles against measles. 
Uh, but for the flu, you know, we need to have a new flu shot every year because the flu mutates. It, it, it does this thing called recombination. So you get new variants of the flu. And so we need a new shot every year just to, you know, to, to fight against the flu. And the same thing might be, you know, the, the case with COVID. New variants come out and we, we always need to, you know, adjust to that. And, you know, repeatedly giving boosters for old variants of COVID might not make sense when new variants become prevalent in the Fair. population. I've got, I've got a question that goes to all the panelists. And by the way, I see, see three new panelists, uh, Dr. Lee, uh, Dr. Bostrom, and uh, Dr. Goodman. Um, so feel free to jump in or put your hand up anytime. Justin, welcome back to the stage. Uh, so one thing that's just been driving me mad, and I think the audience would agree, like we're trying to, to you know, as for anyone that, that is new to the space, like we try to keep them as balanced as possible and try to stick to facts or at least things that have some something to back them, uh, back the allegations or, or the, 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 the the speculations that we make. So the, the, the thing that's driving me nuts with COVID is that there's just so many studies supporting both sides of, of almost every single argument. And then there's different ways to criticize each study, whether it's not peer-reviewed or the, the sample size is too small or who's funding it and the potential conflict of interest there. So I see both Andrew and uh, Jeffrey with a hand up. So I'll give you guys the mic. Um, but I will mention this from the audience. Again, audience members, bottom right corner, you can comment. And this is a comment from one of the audience members. Hi, Mario, I have a comment. And that's after Dr. Simone. Um, Simone's study was not criticized, but we pointed out that the study sample size was too small. So this audience member says uh, something we already said. Those panelists who insist a data peer-reviewed studies Whenever someone brings results of a small-scale study, as done by Dr. Sabine, ignore or downplay the fact that this – who is going to sponsor large-scale trials? So the problem is – and there's a lot of corruption within within science on, on the, how they are, how these studies are funded and the conflicts of interest there. So it's a valid point. Individuals cannot with limited – cannot you know, have large studies um, – or large trials with limited resources. Those who can are either government or, or industry-backed. Um, so it's a it's a valid point if no one's going to fund and study these hypotheses, hi, this, these hi, the various hypotheses. <laughs> how are we going to get data studies? And then panelists say that there are no studies that are reviewed. So it's a valid point. I'm not sure if you want to touch on that point or something else, Jeffrey and Andrew. But I am curious because I'm just I'm just struggling to differentiate between the studies we should trust and the studies we should question. As a person that is very fact based, um, so yeah, maybe Andrew, I'll take this first. Uh, sure. So I, I so a lot of this discussion, at least what I could hear of it, um, I, I think has been taking place in a vacuum. Uh, we, we actually do have, uh, it was very difficult to obtain these data, but we actually do have data from the uh, Pfizer and Moderna randomized controlled trials. Uh, I would describe the process by which these very um, uh, able investigators got the data as really the moral equivalent of disimpaction, uh, which is which says quite a bit about the forthcomingness of Pfizer and Moderna. But be that as it may, and they were still left without the actual individual patient data. They they got the breakdown by vax and placebo, but they were sort of summary data, which is not acceptable, but it is what it is. And so there are three three studies that have come out, two two that have been published I don't know. The third one may be, may be in submission. The first one was by uh, Christina Stabel-Ben, who has at least 30 years of experience as a clinical trialist and uh, vaccine epidemiologist from the University of Southern Denmark. 
Is it my end or did, did Andrew we lose die? him or did he drop? Nope. Oh, phew. God, <laughs> I thought my say. Andrew, I think you just got a corner blocked out. So I'm going to wait for you because I think you're making a good point. I want to I want to hear. It. So we'll wait for him instead of jumping to the next speaker. But I won't give him more than five seconds. All right, so so Andrew just dropped out. Jeffrey, do you want to take the mic and then we'll bring Andrew back to, to continue making his point? Yes, sir, and I want to thank you very much. Uh, this, I think this is the first time I'm speaking in this in your spaces. Um, yeah, and I'm very grateful because I've seen you in the audience multiple times. So I'm actually very grateful for you, um, you know, coming in and, and sharing the stage. Thank you, and I want to be very brief. So I actually jotted down in my notes uh, a few just quick things. Look, I'm very concerned about COVID and the vaccines, the whole situation. Um, I used to be pro-vaccine. I got uh, the first two shots and then a booster. But now I'm on pause. I'm waiting. I don't see any any need for me to get any more boosters. Um, the second thing I wanted to say is, we're talking about research. You know, I'm a, I'm a PhD, piled higher and deeper. Uh, so I'm not an MD. I'm not an expert on anything about, you know, COVID or anything. But what I do know is that evaluating research requires skills. So you can't just read the, the, the abstract or the, uh, the, the findings and say, you know, you trust this research. Evaluating research, you need methodology, skills, etc. Finally, uh, we're going through unprecedented social and technological change. Futurists, uh, people in, in technological communities say that we may have a singularity by mid-century. This is contributing to... Uh, the situation. Finally, uh, last point, a quick one. Uh, Mario, I love your spaces. And I love how you let everyone have a voice. Uh, I do see, though, in your profile, the first thing you write is no bias. And I just want to suggest we all have biases. So the first goal to reduce bias is to acknowledge it. But love your spaces, Mario, and thanks for letting me speak. Yeah, I think I think the way to to, to kind of bias is is to have different people speak that disagree with each other one after the other because that balances out those biases. Because I don't think you know no bias is not uh, is not specific to any individuals; it's specific to the eating, space Mario? itself. We're not biases. Damn you! I'm not biased. We're not biased in this space. <laughs> Uh, but I, I do want to go. Um, so I appreciate the kind words, Jeffrey. And I hope Andrew is back. No, he's not. He's just dropped out. So I'll try to bring Andrew back with us. Um, but I do want to go to Justin because Justin was trying to speak earlier as well. And you had your hand up earlier. How do we know which studies you and Aaron are, are generally pretty objective and, and, and relatively in the middle in most cases? And your bias is, is, um, is, I think it's, it's Aaron especially because Aaron, you've been on the space multiple times. Um, is relatively modest. So which studies can we trust and how do we determine which studies to follow? Because it seems that every study that supports someone's argument, they they taunt it like this is the next big thing. But when a study contradicts what they believe, instead of you know bringing it up saying, hey, this, is, this contradicts what we believe but is worth exploring, they find ways to poke holes in it. So for the audience that's trying to get the facts, how do we determine which studies to, to rely on? Well, unfortunately, the 
there's sort of a, a cadence of these things. And the biggest factor that will determine the best studies is something we have very little of, and that's time, right? If, if you look at the fine print of anything the CDC puts out, they always indicate uh, our data probably will not normalize for one or two years after the fact. And the challenge that we had in the middle of the pandemic is we, we wanted them to act like overnight ballot machines, right? And give us the totals so we can throw them to the dashboard. And so we, as I, as I say in my book, we, we shouldn't be surprised when we end up with hanging chads and big bags of votes from Broward County or the equivalent of it, right? It, it's, it's very difficult. I think time is really the, the main factor that is the handicap for all of us because you have more studies that come out. You have people that can prove it. But I think um, no. for certain types of elements like this, like the R- like uh, masks, right? Uh, an RCT study is the gold standard. I think you can pretty much trust it if you have the numbers. You can look at it the right way. Uh, but I think for some of these vaccines, the unfortunate part, the biggest failure, I think, of this vaccine rollout was, one, their choice to choose a, well, not very stringent clinical outcome, one that is severe disease, right, as opposed to hospitalization or death. I guess they really, you really couldn't wait for that, right? But then also, after a few months, they, they unblinded the study, right? And I know there's an ethical concern. It's like, well, we think this fax works, so let's give it to the folks that got the, the saline, that got the, uh, the the other shot, right, the the non-shot. And so the, the placebo, and, and, and the issue is there is when you unblind the study, you, you've lost all integrity of, of that vaccine going forward. You'll, you'll never get another chance of that because it, way, it, it, it rolls right over the country. So those are the big mistakes, I think, looking back that could have – prevented a lot of the back and forth on some of these studies but the difficulty again it, i mean it used to be that when i would look up a scientific study from my uh, expertise around demography or mathematics or statistical analysis then uh, you know I'd, I'd look and see the copyright or the published date and i'd say oh it's it's within the last three years i feel pretty good about it right and, and now i'm like oh this is within the last you know, three years, uh, that that's that's nothing, right? I need something within the last three months to really tell me what's going on. There's such a demand. So I think time is our biggest enemy. That's just a, a, a backhanded way of an- answering that question without answering it. There you go. And, and the concerns with, the concerns with, with studies being um, potentially corrupt or biases within studies based on who's funding it, how serious of an issue is this? Because we're speculating here, very valid speculation. But has there been cases, and I think there has, of studies funded by certain pharmaceutical companies being biased um, to support the, the financial incentive of these pharmaceutical companies, or are regulators pretty strict to, to, to kind of prevent this? Oh, yeah. Aaron could probably speak to the, the, the fines that have been handed out to Pfizer over the years for uh, what? poor marketing, for disingenuous stuff. There's, there are a lot of issues. Yeah, and there is a strong bias um, that has been actually well-researched and well-studied uh, regarding the findings of of studies aligning with the interest of the people funding the studies, which really should not surprise anyone, because there's so many things you can do with study methodology to um, to try to massage outcomes th- that you want. And there's a lot of things that could be done to minimize that. I don't think you can ever eradicate that kind of bias completely, um, but there there is more that could be done. Uh, I don't want to get down into the weeds on on those proposals. But, but I will say, well, first of all, the question came up earlier, uh, what is the current recommendation on boosters? And I pinned to the top, the, the CDC's official uh, most recent recommendation from 
October of 2022. And it was uh, two months. So if it's been two months since your last uh, primary series or your last booster, the CDC recommends that you get another booster. So, I mean, this piece of data alone tells me we have a product that does not work very well or for very long. Um, You know, I don't, I don't know of any other vaccine that requires a re-up after only two months. Um, so, uh, so there's that, and make make of that what you will. I, I think the answer to your question, Mar, is how do you how do you sort of minimize or even out those biases? Well, you have to look at um, the research as a whole. So it's never just one study. You always try to place the study into a broader context, and that's why if you read a scientific paper. It always begins with an introductory section talking about prior research done on this question or on related questions. Then it ends with a discussion section after the paper reports its findings. There's a discussion sort of commentary section that also attempts to tie in, okay, what's the significance of these findings vis-a-vis the, the, the bigger picture or the other studies that have been done on this question? Did this replicate a previous finding? Did this contradict a previous finding? And so you know, the nature of any one scientific study is always going to be limited. Every methodology has its own strengths and its own limitations. There's no such thing as a perfect study. Um, so so that's why context is important. It's sort of like evidence presented in a courtroom. There's usually not one single piece of evidence, right, that decides the case. You have to look at the preponderance of evidence. I have a question for you, Aaron. What's your, uh, very briefly, what's your stance on vaccines at the moment? Are you vaccinated and, and are you getting boosters? Will you be getting boosters? What's your personal stance, if you don't mind, mind sharing? Because you've been on these spaces a long time, yeah. and but you've been relatively, um, you know, relatively modest in not sharing your, your personal opinion on things. Wow, Mario, you've grown a set of balls. I like that. <laughs> oh so, my God. um, so I, I don't think anyone should be um, required to answer the question whether or not they are vaccinated. But I yeah, you don't have to answer, hundred percent. No, okay. but I'm, I'm actually now, Mario. If you push them, that. I would I just really, want to really, really appreciate it. Really <laughs> for people who, who would decline <laughs> because it you know what? It should not be just about what you say, what your actions. Should so what you do? Two, 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 two. two. Yeah. I agree. Uh, yeah, so, so go ahead, Aaron. I think, I think it's well known that I am not vaccinated. Aaron, you're a bioethicist, are you not? I'll give you the right. So I'll, I'll let you go. I'll let you. I'll let you go right after. I'll let you go right, go right after Dr. Lee. Uh, so so go ahead, Aaron. Dr. Lee, I'm trying to finish my sentence here. So uh, I I will confirm. What I'm trying to keep probably, you ethical, Aaron. Uh, Dr. Lee, please, please. Go ahead, Realize from my case against the University of California that I am not vaccinated. I filed a lawsuit against my own employer challenging their vaccine mandate in federal court on behalf of people with natural immunity. And having gotten COVID very early on in the pandemic, um, you know, treating a lot of COVID patients and looking at the evidence on natural immunity, I, I saw very early on that um, in my own view, there was no reason for me to be perfect uh, to be vaccinated. So, so, so Aaron, I've got a and question then, for you. Do you mind if I, I just on this point, a question for you, yeah. Aaron, and then I want to go to Eugene with it, with an opposite question. And I know Dr. Lee was trying to speak, so I'll go to him next. But Aaron, the next question is, and I've asked this to every doctor is, 
any doctor that, that's against or any person that's against vaccine, I ask them what would convince you to take the vaccine and anyone that is mm-hmm. taking the vaccine or the boosters, what would convince you to stop taking them or to recommend otherwise? So Aaron, sure. the question goes to you. What um, data would you like to see to be like, okay, now I'm comfortable enough to take the vaccine and or the boosters? Mm-hmm. So let me, let me answer that theoretically as though I hadn't had COVID. Um, because I, I think the equation changes, uh, for me at least, once I've had COVID, and, and that for a couple of reasons. One is uh, that there is evidence of higher, there's at least a half a dozen studies, which I cited in my case, uh, suggesting that if you've had COVID, your rate of adverse effects from the vaccine may be higher than if you hadn't had COVID. Um, and there was also evidence, even, even quite early on back in 2021, uh, of the possibility of actually impairing natural immunity by vaccinating. So actually taking immunity that was pretty broad and robust and, and making it uh, less effective through vaccination. I could talk about the, the potential mechanisms for that. But so if I wasn't if I if I wasn't already infected with covid, what would have convinced me to get a vaccine like this would have been a risk benefit analysis that suggested uh, that this would either help protect me from a bad outcome or help protect the people around me, other people from a bad outcome. So if we had what's called the sterilizing vaccine, a vaccine that stopped infection and transmission, then the argument, well, you know, you're young and healthy and you're, you're, you have a very, you know, very, very, very low chance of uh, a bad outcome from COVID, but you should still get vaccinated for the sake of other people, you know, your patients, for example, well, that argument would have held sway with me if we had a sterilizing vaccine, if we had a vaccine that stopped infection and transmission, like we have with measles, for example. The measles vaccine is, is pretty close to being uh, sterilizing, meaning not only do I not get the illness, but I don't get an infection that I can pass on to others. But, but I also knew, Mario, that from very early on, uh, looking at the evidence, that it, it was quite clear a month or two into the vaccine rollout, that we didn't have a sterilizing vaccine, that the vaccine did not stop infection and transmission. At which point, the the social solidarity, do it for the sake of others argument um, carried very little weight. And it came back to individual risk benefit. And when I looked at the individual risk benefit, you know, in my own case, I said, it doesn't make sense. Um, With that said, my initial opposition to the vaccines was ethical. Uh, well, I shouldn't say to the vaccines, to the vaccine mandates. Uh, so so my my initial, I mean, the reason I filed the case was really about the, the principle of informed consent. Uh, it was about the mandate. I want to go, before going to Andrew, sorry, I'm eating everyone. I want to go to uh, Eugene. Same question as Aaron, but the opposite. You're a proponent of vaccines. What would change your mind about taking more boosters or recommending vaccines to doctors? What do you need to see? I think I've asked you that yeah. question before. I don't remember, Eugene, but it's good to get your good an answer yeah, again. No, it's, a, it's a good question. And I think for me, what would change my mind is um, if the science and the data shows that the benefits don't out, outweigh the risks. So, And what are your – so on, on this point, before you continue, yeah. on this point, I want to also uh, – can you add your thoughts? Because there are studies that are showing concerns. The one we're talking about today on mice is one – are you saying there are yeah. con- there are studies that are like okay should be looking into it further but not enough to change your mind or do you have concerns with those studies because there there are studies that are being mentioned by multiple doctors 
with concerns on um, regarding vaccines and boosters, and you know some are relatively valid studies um, and, and and studies that I should be taking seriously in my opinion. But again, I'm not a doctor, so yeah. So the level of evidence that would convince me would be several you know large studies in human beings um, published in reputable journals. So if um, there's a study with a million patients in the New England Journal or Lancet or you know a, a, a good journal. Uh, that's been peer-reviewed, showing that the vaccines, you know, don't benefit, that would definitely be something that I would pay very much attention to and would probably change clinical practice uh, because it will affect what the FDA, what the CDC, and all these other agencies recommend, right? So um, I would go by the consensus of my peers, uh, but um, I would go by the large quality studies in human beings um, published in, you know, really good, reputable journals, uh, and if that did happen, that would totally transform the entire landscape here because science is about always listening to what the data and reality tells you, not what, you know, policymakers say. And I do one last comment I want to make is, you know, in Aaron's case, I think his story is pretty compelling. He is a healthcare frontline healthcare worker who was infected by COVID and then recovered from it. You know, recovering from COVID probably confers the best kind of immunity to COVID. Um, so what I did think was strange on the, as a pro vaccine, you know, person, I do thought, I think, I think it was strange that, uh, the scientific community or the policymakers were saying that vaccines were superior to the immunity you get from recovering from COVID. You know, that's not what the science, uh, you know, has taught us from chicken pox and, you know, every other kind of, you know, infection in, in history of mankind. So I don't know why that was done that way. Um, and I think Aaron has a compelling case. You know, if you're if you recovered from COVID, why do you need to be vaccinated? That's now, I think I just want the audience to do one thing. Like for anyone that is, uh, you know, has concerns with the vaccine, obviously would not agree with what Eugene says. It's important to see when a, a person from the other side agrees with with someone that opposes them or contradicting their their beliefs in in some ways. So, for example, Eugene just said he. He, 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 he's concerned how, how vaccine was mandated to someone that has had COVID or talking about natural immunity earlier as well. Um, so it, it just, I want to applaud that by Eugene. I also applaud the same thing on the other side. When we have people that have concerns with the vaccines and very valid concerns say, but so I have these concerns, but vaccines do show there's some studies that show some benefit. So it's, it's despite their beliefs, whether it's, it's Eugene or, or, or Aaron, despite their beliefs where they stand, they also um, agree with the other side when, when that makes sense. So just it's important for the audience to always notice that whenever we're having discussions because um, we're trying to make, do more of the, you know, having both sides agree more often. Now, and on that, you know, with that spirit, I want to go to Andrew. Andrew, you were speaking earlier and you did drop out, so I'd let you finish your point, and then I'll probably ask you the same question I just asked Aaron and Eugene. Yeah, I apologize, Mario. I, 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 do you have any idea where I dropped off? Because I know I, I went. Uh, relatively, I, I was relatively, to myself, I guess, for a while. For a very long time, by the looks of it. Relatively early, you dropped off, uh, Andrew. So it would be good to kind of refresh the audience with the uh, with the point yeah, you were so, making because you dropped okay, off. Okay, so so I, I wanted to make a few points. There, there are there are um, you know as 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 limited as they are. Um, three three uh, sincere attempts have been made by established investigators. Two, one I think is impressed. The, the two other have been two others have been published. These are these are um, uh, two of them at least. The two that have been published are formal risk benefit analyses using using the raw data from uh, the, pooled from the Pfizer and Moderna uh, mRNA vaccine trials. Uh, one was by Joseph uh, Freeman and colleagues. The other was by Kevin Bardash and colleagues. 
Uh, Freeman's paper was published in Vaccines. The Bardash paper was published in the uh, British Journal of Medicine imprint. Um, and just to cut to the chase, uh, Freeman was was actually using all the data uh, from the from the um, uh, Moderna and and Pfizer trials, which is basically you know relatively middle aged but low to moderate risk population. And they uh, blindly uh, uh, evaluated the serious adverse events that that uh, using standard criteria that could be linked to, to vaccination and particularly to the COVID vaccines. Uh, and what they found was there, there was an adverse uh, risk benefit profile in terms of the serious adverse events caused relative uh, by the vaccines relative to the um, the hospitalizations prevented again, given the limited number of hospitalizations that were actually accrued in in the, in the trials. Uh, Bardash et al. focused on the 18 to 29 year olds um, using uh, uh, data that was submitted to the FDA um, primarily, and, and some of the clinical trial data that overlapped with the with the published age range. Um, and their their uh, results were much more negative. In other words, the risk benefit. Uh, analysis was very negative uh, because of how uh, r- robust young people are and how resistant they are to any form of, of, of serious uh, COVID illness. Um, Stabil Ben had done an earlier analysis just focusing on mortality. And again, the numbers are really limited. Um, but, what, but, but what she found was that there was uh, no difference in all-cause mortality between the uh, in the pooled groups uh, of the Moderna and, and, and um, Pfizer trials, comparing the vaccinated to the placebo group. Uh, there was a, a slight excess risk, again, very low numbers uh, in terms of cardiovascular mortality. Um, and uh, I, I think there was a comment made about flu vaccine. I don't know if any of my comments got in on that, but but basically there's a huge amount of data uh, for, for flu vaccination going back 40 years uh, published in you know major peer-reviewed journals, uh, JAMA analyses, uh, Annals of Internal Medicine analyses. Um, there, uh, again, because of the nature of the data, most of it is observational data. Some of it is observational data where they do what are called uh, clinical trial simulations. But it's a massive amount of data. It's all null, uh, in- including in the in the groups that you would want the flu vaccine, where the flu vaccine certainly targets. Um, it's all negative. Um, and then the, the last major flu vaccine randomized controlled trial out of the Netherlands, uh, was, um, uh, was published in 1994. It did show in the short term about a 60% reduction in infections over the short term follow up. But that entire randomized controlled trial cohort, uh, was followed, um, for an, a, a 20 years. Uh, going forward. And, and once that was done, and that's, you know, that's fraught with problems to do such an analysis, but at least it was done and, and maintaining the randomized controlled trial design intact. Uh, that, that there was no, uh, benefit in terms of flu mortality, all cause mortality, cardiovascular disease mortality, respiratory illness mortality. So the data we have on the flu shot is very, very, uh, negative. Um, and I think the real dilemma with with the COVID trials was that there was a obviously there was this terrible fear I would say hysteria at the outset is how 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 do you do 
uh, a randomized control trial that's large enough to look at hard clinical outcomes, you know, a priori, it was assumed, well, it's going to work, certainly in the elderly high-risk populations. And I now have concerns that, you know, that that assumption uh, may not have been true. Uh, in other words, you know, you want to be, when you initiate a clinical trial, you, you want to have uncertainty. You, you want to be in what's called equipoise. You know, you're not really sure whether it's, whether it's going to be of benefit or not. Uh, you know, uh, otherwise, why do the trial? If you know it's going to be a benefit, then, you know, just give it is, is, would be the argument. Um, and that was the mentality, I think, that, that, that drove the reluctance to do an adequately powered or randomized controlled trial in the, in the elderly, where, where really, you know, so many of the events were, were, were taking place. Um, and, uh, and I think that's what should have been done in retrospect. But regardless, we now have some autopsy data from Italy during the first wave, which I think establishes that equipoise was there because, um, in, in consecutive autopsies that were done for alleged COVID deaths, uh, only 12% were confirmed on, on autopsy. Uh, so a lot of these deaths, these are frail, elderly individuals. Uh, I think in this autopsy series, the mean age was 87 years old. Uh, they die of other things besides COVID. COVID is incidental. Um, so, you know, the, 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 the great scourge of COVID in nursing homes, too, was probably uh, exaggerated. And it, it argues, to me at least, that, that a proper randomized controlled trial could have been done. What, what would that look like? And, what, and has it been done? It actually was done in this country uh, for, for polio, um, where in, in three short months in 1954, uh, uh, the United States was able to recruit 1.8 million children into a combined randomized controlled trial uh, with an observational component as well. And uh, what did it show? By the end of, by end of 1954, uh, follow-up was completed and the results were published in early 1955 in a landmark paper in JAMA. The active vaccination, uh, when the analyses were unblinded, prevented 374 cases of crippling polio. Um, that's a real trial. Uh, compare that to what we know from the COVID vaccine data, for example, in children, the Pfizer 5 to 11-year-old trial. It was roughly 2,300 children. Um, the, there were absolutely zero hospitalizations in, in the entire trial, not, 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 neither in the, in the placebo group nor in the, um, in the vaccinated group. Uh, about 13 cases of very mild, uh, really upper respiratory tract infections were, were, were prevented. Uh, so really 13 cases of sniffles. Uh, in the subgroup that had a prior infection, 10% of the population, they didn't even develop the sniffles. So we really don't have any hard evidence uh, from ra randomized controlled trial that, that the vaccines you know, will will prevent hospitalizations uh, in, in children. This is, Andrew, Andrew, this this like Eugene. This is a perfect example of what I mean. It's like it's just study after study that just just conclude different points. And Andrew is a perfect example of this. Like, I'd love your take, uh, your response to this, Andrew. But like, Andrew, this is what this is what actually. I'll ask you that question, Andrew, very briefly, and then I'd love you, Eugene, to but, respond. But, but Mario, I just I do want to point out the real limitation here because I, you know, it, it's tragic that we're in this situation, which, by the way, we weren't 70 years ago with the polio vaccine. We we just don't have enough information. It looks it looks like a wash, quite frankly, the limited data that we do have. 
But I, I can't say that with with any great certainty. Um, exactly. There are a lot of safety signals that that are concerning too. Um, but but the but the bottom line is, you know, we didn't have the courage to do the right randomized controlled trial. Why? Because people were terrorized. I understand it. I think it's, I think it's but, pretty so obvious. Is, yeah, it's a, it's a very it's a exactly it's a it's a it's a valid argument as well. Like it's a lot of people in hindsight, so they could make money. Pressured. I, I don't. I, I'm it. sure. I'm, I'm sure that that would have been. Well, one I think of, venality plays a role too. I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not denying that. But but I'm saying scientifically, people were were too frightened to do a proper randomized control trial because you'd be quote unquote killing people by denying them treatment, by denying them vaccination. Yeah. And so you, Barry, yeah, Aaron, I know, brief, yeah, go ahead. Brief I, I want to go. So what I'll do, yeah, I'll, I'll let you and Eugene respond to Andrew's many points, and then we'll kind of wrap it up with Nelson and the co-hosts. Yeah. Uh, so go ahead, Aaron. So we we could have had a better trial design on the part of Pfizer and Moderna for the phase three clinical trials, which again is the only randomized controlled study we're ever going to get. Terminated after three months, eliminated the placebo arm, so uh, basically eliminated the the control group. But there was another feature of that trial that was problematic that the FDA should have said, no, 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 you can't do it this way. And that was that most of the people enrolled in that trial were under the age of 60, whereas we already knew at that point very, very clearly the age gradient on COVID suggested that the vast majority of people who are going to have the bad outcomes that we care about were over the age of 70. So we could have done a trial enrolling uh, predominantly people who were at risk of bad outcomes from COVID. And that would have been perfectly ethically justifiable, in fact, more ethically justifiable than enrolling people that were at very low risk of bad outcomes from COVID. But the drug companies did not want any deaths in either the placebo or obviously the vaccine arm in the trial. So they chose to study the vaccines on a population that was not the population that potentially needed vaccines the most. And it's it's no surprised that the drug companies may have wanted to operate in that way. But what's what's really troubling is that our public health agencies who have to care about more than just the profit motive and have to care about public health should have said, no, 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 that trial design is no good. If you if you want to use this uh, in the way it's intended to be used, you got to you got to enroll some people that might get really sick in your trial because they're they're over the age of 70. Uh, Likewise, with uh, pregnant women, right? They excluded pregnant women from the clinical trials, which there's ethical reasons to think about doing that. But then they turned around and the CDC then recommended the vaccine to pregnant women, reassured pregnant women that it was going to be okay without any safety and efficacy data on that particular population. So we could have had a better clinical trial if our regulatory agencies had demanded a better clinical trial. Can I just I comment go, uh, quickly, yeah, Mario? I'll let, you, Mario? I'll let you comment, and then I'll go to Eugene, and then um, I've got a question from the audience. Actually, before you do comment, Andrew, for the audience, I completely forgot to mention the newsletter. I've just pinned it above and tweeted it. So if you want a summary of the spaces, you weren't with us for seven and a half hours when we started the first space today. The, the newsletter sums up uh, some of the key points. Obviously, you get more value being in the space for as long as possible, but the newsletter is a good summary as well. Sorry, go ahead, Andrew. Well, I just I wanted to I, 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 I agree with what what Aaron said, and he pointed out some some really critical shortcomings. But I think the basic design 
And if this question is ever readdressed, as as as, the, as Dr. Freeman has suggested, we should you know stop and readdress and 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 do a, a proper trial now, even though we're dealing with much milder variants. Um, but particularly with the milder variants, it 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 should have been done in in congregate care settings, in in nursing homes, in long term care facilities, um, because the event rate you know, or the presumed COVID event rate w- w- was so high. Um, and it, 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 if, if the United States had the capacity to recruit 1.8 million children in three months, in three months, in 1954, they were literally using for follow, you know, they were for, the, for data collection, they, they, they were use, using ancient computer punch cards. But we managed to recruit 1.8 million children follow them through the end of the calendar year 1954 and, and, and produce analyses by early 1955 with, with, with that era technology. I mean, in this day and age, we could have recruited a, a million nursing home patients or 500,000 nursing home patients um, and, and, and had real answers to these critical questions. Eugene? Yeah, so I think the one unfortunate thing about the COVID, you know, pandemic is that, you know, it's currently ongoing and so we don't know everything right now. And we're we're constantly learning new things as the pandemic goes on. In the very beginning when only the Delta variant existed, I don't think any of us knew that there would be the Omicron variant and then, you know, the XBB 1.5 or or whichever, all these new things coming out. Um I don't think we knew that these new variants would come and evade you know, vaccine protection or even, you know, acquired, you know, immunity from COVID, it can evade that as well, right? These are all new things that we're learning. And I think that's why, you know, Mario, you were talking about why are they, there's so many different studies coming out saying so many different things and it's really confusing. And I would agree, it's confusing for me. It's probably even more confusing for many of you. Um, and that's just the unfortunate aspect of this pandemic is is still new. I mean, it's new, it's ongoing, it's changing and we have to adapt to that. And I think what the important thing we should learn from this is it's important to ask questions and not silence those questions, right? Like we don't know what the actual answer is at any given point in time for a currently raging pandemic. It's important that all sides can ask their questions and we do the right studies uh, to answer this question. You, how's this question for you? How's this question for you? Every doctor agrees to quote, do not uh, do no harm. But that's from the audience. Audience bottom right corner is where you can ask questions. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to mute you, Andrew, because there's a bit of feedback. Mm-hmm. So every doctor agrees to do no harm. Dr. Gu just said and always says the benefits of the vaccines outweigh the risks. There's more than enough evidence. So then the, the, or the member continues. There's more than enough evidence showing that COVID vaccines causes, quote, risks, a.k.a. harm. And this person is not against vaccines, by the way. Um, not pro-vaccines, just trying to understand. Yet Dr. Gu keeps saying, quote, the benefits outweigh the risks. How can you say that as a doctor if you, if you, pray, if you promote do no harm? And I'm actually genuinely curious. Like, how does it work for doctors? How do you determine <clears throat> when to promote something? Yeah, um, I would love to tackle that question and maybe give the floor to other physicians here, too. Um, do no harm is an ideal thing, uh, but it's like um, it's an ideal that we can never attain. There's no way any doctor can ever do no harm. Everything that we do comes with risk, right? Like you can do a colonoscopy on a patient with the intent to prevent or you know find an early stage colon cancer and save the patient's life. But in the process of doing a colonoscopy, you could perforate the colon um, and the patient can die, right? So anything that we do. You know, if I want to do perform surgery and remove someone's gallbladder uh, to, to, you know, to hopefully, you know, s- save them and, and improve their life, I could cause bleeding or I could, I could, you know, 
damage the surrounding structures, everything that we do, you know, in medicine comes with a certain level of risk. So what we always have to do is evaluate, do the benefits of the intervention outweigh the risks? There's always going to be a risk, no matter what you do. Um, and so do no harm is an impossible ideal, but it's something that we strive for. I think it's do as least amount of harm as possible and do the most benefit we can for our patients is the actual ideal that we follow. Fair, fair response. I think it's a fair it, response. It, I think most – go ahead, Andrew. I'll let you respond quickly to this yeah, if so you don't just, mind. Just real quick. I, I mean, I mean, uh, uh, with all due respect, Eugene, at this point, we, we – you know, as limited as they are – we have two formal risk-benefit analyses with data that literally had to be pried out of uh, out of Moderna and Pfizer, done by outstanding groups that that's what they do, and they're negative, and and the risk-benefit is not there in the trials. Okay, so you can't just ignore that, um, and and that's why there are sin- there are sincere calls now for reevaluating. All, all our assumptions about the efficacy, the so-called efficacy of the vaccines, because the gold standard evidence, and you would agree, I hope, Dr. Gu, that randomized controlled trials are the gold standard evidence, is, is that the risk benefit is negative. So if you have those data from, from, from the, from the actual randomized controlled trials that were conducted, as limited as they were because they were too small, um, then you're obligated to not make bland statements like I know I know the benefit outweighs the risk. That's that's just that you have no, Ugats in, in Italian. Talking about where it showed. The, which, which well, maybe you weren't listening. Product? Maybe you weren't listening. No, no, there are two formal risk benefit analyses that have been done using the data that 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 had to be pried out of Pfizer and Moderna and analyzed by two outstanding groups of epidemiologists, clinical trialists, biostatisticians. And and the the risk benefit was negative. Can you post Period. that study here? Because I, I mean, you're you're saying that, but I have never seen that. Well, yeah, but they're 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 peer reviewed publications that have been pub. Why don't you know that? That raises another question. because that would be huge news. I cited. Go ahead, Andrew. There's one paper is in vaccines by Freeman et al. The the other paper is in British Medical Journal off print by Bardash et al. These are so these as, are. The, as I was talking excuse about me? earlier, Andrew. As I was talking about earlier. So hold on, Andrew. Just two seconds, Eugene. Your 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 mic, Andrew, is really loud. So just uh, we can't hear Eugene at all. Um, uh, which is great, good for you, but we just couldn't hear Eugene. So what's your concern, Eugene? So Andrew just mentioned yeah, my, the studies. My concern is that you know, Mario, as you were talking about earlier, you know, we have lots of studies out there, and they each say different things. Andrew thinks seems to think that his studies that he found. Are more important than no, no, no. wait, right no, and, and so that's no, 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 bias right there, Andrew. And, and no, Eugene, say, like, those oh, are the only yeah, studies that I have actually looked at the randomized controlled trial data. Narrative. Period. You, period. Because you found two or three studies that support your. It's not two. Or, it's it's the, the only ones that have been attempted. That's not how it's the only ones that have been attempted looking at the actual randomized controlled trial data. Period. That's not how we. That's not how we evaluate the efficacy. What do you mean? It, the, what, what else do you have? No, 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 you no, have no, no, ugats you besides that. that Excuse me. You have ugats besides that. So how how about this, Eugene, Andrew, Andrew? Do you mind? I'm gonna send you my WhatsApp. Do you mind if we connect there? Because I don't think we're connected on WhatsApp. And then I'll make a group, me, you, and Eugene, if that's okay with you, Andrew, just to go through those studies together in a group and maybe bring it up in a future space. Is that okay? Fine. <laughs> you don't seem too happy, Andrew. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, I think he's just oblivious to what's been published, and you know that. Yeah, that so I think, speaks. I think, but that, 
I think the best way to solve um, someone who's who's potentially oblivious is to just create a group and share those studies. I think we did that as well in it with uh, Steve Kirsch and uh, Kirsch and um, Liza earlier. Um, so yeah, it would be great, Andrew. I'll just send you my WhatsApp now. I, I do want to go briefly to Nelson, and I've, I've got a question for you, Nelson. Like you, we've done so many spaces about COVID. We've heard both sides of the argument time and time again, and I think you you're you're like you probably agree that there's just studies that keep supporting different narratives. And, and that's look. We're very early. I think we need to give it more time. Um, what's your stance, man? I know you're you're not a fan of the vaccines. I don't think you're even vaccinated. Um, so, man, what's your, what's your like? Has your mind changed one way or another after these spaces? Question oh, number one. And question number and a question number two. <laughs> I've got for you is what would you need to see to change your mind? Whatever whatever your mind is. I mean, transparency, right? Transparency. That's that's one thing we haven't had since the start of this entire thing. Right. And, you know, the more we keep doing these spaces, the more we keep having these conversations, the more, you know, these reports get released. I mean, it's just clear that big pharma controls every single piece of the puzzle and have been since the onset of this thing. Right. You know, and, you know, Dr. Eugene, you know, I love you, my brother. You know, I love all the doctors, but, you know, to keep... (sighs) (laughs) you know, citing these studies by, you know, regulatory bodies that we know pharma runs makes no sense to me personally. That's all I'm saying. Right. And in regards to this conversation, I'm not going to lie, man. I align with Andrew. I mean, we're, we're, we're all looking at this. We're all seeing this. Like we've been, I mean, I've been in this room for 10, 15 minutes and I've heard everything that's come out of Andrew's mouth and all the, you know, references he's made in regards to the studies. I mean, this is real, right? There's, it's, I, I don't know, Mario, man. I, <laughs> some people just don't get it, I guess. Or, But either way, listen, man, we love the doctors. You guys save our lives on a daily basis. So that I could definitely, you know, be on your side on. But in regards to this vaccine, I'm sorry, Dr. Eugene. I, 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 I just don't see where you're coming from, me personally. I want to go to to, to uh, Kevin briefly. Kevin, I think it's your first time on stage. Uh, I'm looking at your profile. I don't know what your stance is on, on COVID and vaccines and boosters, uh, but I did see your first tweet uh, when you were to speak as a, a evidence of rigged uh, uh, rigged peer reviews. So maybe you can give us your couple of cents before we wrap up the space on peer-reviewed studies and the potential corruption or conflicts of interest within studies in general. Oh, sure. I was going to touch on something else, but briefly on that front, there are certainly um, issues in peer review that come from the funders of the journals. The journals have uh, a lot of pharmaceutical advertisement going on. Uh, and so your mic do... isn't uh, – we can hear you, Kevin, but your mic isn't great. I'm not sure if you can improve it a bit. Okay, let me let me try this. Uh, is that, can you hear me better now? How's that? Can you hear yeah, me? Yeah, go ahead. A bit better. Still... A bit better, but we can still understand. A bit better. Go ahead. Yeah, so um, there are issues in peer review that come down to uh, the journals – a lot of the advertisement money going into journals can influence them. Uh, so pharma funds a lot of these journals, and we do need to decentralize them and hopefully put them on a blockchain so that they're out of the picture. But um, I, I was going to weigh in on just the genomics of this. Uh, we are only targeting like 12% of the virus's genome, and it's an RNA virus. Everyone's familiar with antibiotics and how we shouldn't give those to a population at large because bacteria can mutate. RNA viruses mutate a hell of a lot faster than bacteria, yet we're trying to put a very narrow selective pressure on a virus uh, that's going to mutate right around it. And it has done that. 
if you look at the genome signatures that have changed from the original virus to Omicron, the majority of the mutations are actually in the spike protein domain. So this, the, the vaccines are actually driving the mutation rate. Uh, and that's something that's now been published in many studies that we can see selection going on where there are coding changes that are in the spike protein that are, the 30 of them happened in Omicron alone. Uh, and that is because we put selective pressure on this thing and we put a very narrow selective pressure. It's very analogous to using a narrow spectrum antibiotic, giving that to the entire population at the same time and expecting good outcomes. It doesn't make any evolutionary sense to do what we're doing. Okay, Eugene, I've got a question for you uh, as we come to, 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 to the end. Um, my question to you is regarding um, – fuck, someone just rang the door, so I forgot what the question was. I had it written down, and I'll bring up Viva Frey in the stage before we wrap up the space. But my question for you was um, – um, I, the recent, the, the studies you're seeing now, did they at least increase your level of concern with vaccines? Because we did get, we didn't have that many studies um, criticizing or, or with with results that are that are you know, potentially concerning. But we're seeing more and more of those come out. Are you at least more concerned? Uh, that's a good question, and if that's in reference to the study that this particular Twitter space is, this is one, centered no, yeah, on, this it, this is one of this is one of a few. I think we've we've mentioned a few before. Um, some obviously that that you know were too small for us. Not before today. I mean, in previous spaces, some were too small um, and inconclusive for us to rely on. But there's been some valid studies that even you agree on. That's like okay, this looks like a valid study and worth exploring further. That do point to some level of concern. Uh, or would you disagree with this statement? Um, I, I would disagree with that statement because um, when I say a, a study is worth investigating more, what I want, what I'm looking for, is a large study in humans published in a reputable journal uh, that we can all discuss and debate in the scientific community. Um, the, all the studies that are, you know, smaller studies or done in animals and like in mice, um, you know, they they post interesting questions which we should investigate without bias. Um, but until we have the definitive you know, answer in a large human study. Um, I Andrew, don't your, your study, your study, Andrew, briefly, your study, how, how large is the sample size in your study again? Sorry, I missed it if you already it's, mentioned it, so I apologize. Okay, it's the entire, it's combining, it's 70,000 patients. Um, it's combining the, 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 the randomized control trial data from, from Moderna and Pfizer, the, okay, the major and trials. The, and the conclusion from it again, if you don't mind? It, the, risk, the risk benefit is negative. Uh, particularly, okay. particularly with, with with so that's that's the that's the Freeman et al. publication, which looked at the at the combined data from Pfizer and Moderna. Then okay. the Bardosh analysis um, got the data from the FDA, which is for the eighteen to twenty nine year olds, and some of it overlaps with with obviously with 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 the, with the, with the trials, but but those data were were not published as part of the original you know main trial. Okay, so, so my question for you first, can you hear me, Andrew, or is it cut out? Looks like we lost. Yeah, I think he cut out. Can anyone hear me? He cut out. Oh, okay, I thought I dropped out. Okay, yeah, so, so I wanted to ask two more questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wanted to ask you, yeah. Andrew, two more questions about the study. But uh, uh, Eugene, just about the study. Uh, Justin, do you know which study Andrew is referring to? Yeah, I was just going to say, I know Andrew. I'll get those studies and post it to you. Yeah, that'll be that'll be great, and I'll I'll do a I'll create a good. Go ahead, Viva. Okay, I was going to say those were the studies I think that concluded that the adverse events of special interest were like one in eight hundred. Finally, 
Just the, no, the adverse events. The, Sorry, go ahead, Jim. The, the one in eight hundred. That's a that's a V-safe study that came out just recently. Now the ones he's talking about are the actual studies done on the the trials, the trial okay. data. Uh, I, I just had one thing. I mean, I, I was listening to this while jogging, and and it's it's frustrating listening to this, listening to Eugene's progression over the course of these spaces, Mario, and it's, it, they've been amazing, and it has been amazing. It's like watching someone come out of the matrix, but they're not yet pulling out the plugs. Like I, I hear Eugene say, I don't know why CNN would have referred to ivermectin as horse dewormer. I don't know why Moderna wouldn't have provided the information on efficacy of Omicron to uh, you know the authorities. I don't know why the medical community all of a sudden overnight decided that infection was not the strongest immunity. And yet I'm still going to rely on them when it comes to saying that this vaccine is safe and effective. And I'm looking forward to Eugene coming on my channel for an interview because, you know, I, I've got these questions. But um, I think Eugene is, is hard swallowing a red pill now and. Uh, the, the evolution is coming along, but uh, it's slow, and he's clinging to the safe and effective uh, with each passing Eugene, day. Eugene will join you. Eugene will join your show the day you get WhatsApp, Viva. Then, <laughs> then Eugene will join your show, and I can connect you guys there. But it's a, it's Viva, a, it's Viva, a, it's I want to say, it's, it's, I wanna say, I wanna say that what you said is so succinct, and I completely, one hundred percent agree with it. It's like, it's like there's a, uh, there's a, there's a line in Michael Crichton's State of Fear, right? It's a book about climate change well before it's time, right? Well before it's time, where he talks about this effect where you read a newspaper and say you're an expert in a certain subject. Say you're a, you're a geneticist and you read a newspaper and what you read, and you read the New York Times and it's like, this is all bullshit. Like the, the way it was reported, complete lies, nonsense. And then you read the next page and it's something about, I don't know, a different subject. Say it's about archaeology and you believe every single word of it. It's like you don't even question the fact that, you know, what you just read was complete bullshit and you don't question the fact that the, the newspaper didn't get it right. So why would you get it right in the second but one? If, too, you know? But Ian, but, but uh, come on, you, you can't say I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I don't want to seem like I'm protecting mainstream media, but I don't want to attack them either. If they get one piece of information wrong, which they're going to get multiple pieces of information wrong, it doesn't mean all other information is wrong. Like no, I, if we, if we, if we, we skeptical, it, needs, it means you need true, to be really true, skeptical of what true, they're trying true. to promote, what they're saying. And this is true for you know climate change. It's true about the COVID vaccines. Like it's all these hot topics where you have these so-called experts. Sometimes they're not even really experts; they're just people who are cited as experts, as we've seen with Elon Musk. You know, you have these so-called disinformation experts who turn out that they're fucking liars and they're the ones promoting disinformation. Bill Gates. Right? Right. So it's like, how do you trust these newspapers if they can't even get the basic facts right? And we know better. Right. We know better on certain subjects. We know better. So we need to start asking questions when it's about a topic we're not super familiar with. We're like, hold on a second. Is this right? Because they got the 10 other things that we know to be true to be false. Right. Like they, they, it's like, would you we got to be skeptical? Man. Well, but, uh, would you exactly? So, uh, so uh, go ahead. Viva. I, I was just want to say like Ian, just quickly. Would you say be skeptical? And uh, there's a difference between being skeptical and just complete utter lack of trust. I think it should be somewhere in the middle. Skepticism is very healthy. Complete trust is unhealthy. It's but complete distrust. It, it's about it's about being skeptical and looking into it yourself. I'll just say just add one thing. It's not that they got things wrong; they lied. So th there's a very big difference. Where yes, it's not that even a liar tells the truth. But everything that a confirmed liar says will be treated as though it is potentially a lie. And so, you know, when Eugene asks, you know, like, I don't know why they would have done this. I don't know why they would have lied here. I don't know why they would have hid this. It doesn't matter why they did it. They did it. And when, when Eugene says, you know, nobody was saying that you don't vaccinate into a pandemic at the beginning. They were. I heard them. I just heard more people saying the opposite. And, you know, the media was saying these people are quacks and kooks and Malone's a liar and this and that. 
There were people saying from the beginning, you don't vaccinate into a pandemic because then you promote mutations faster and you create resistance to the mutations. People were saying it from the beginning, but the MSM, pathological confirmed liars that they are, were concealing it, demonizing it in order to promote a dishonest narrative. And then when they get caught in the lie, they say, whoopsie doodle, we did it for your better good. Continue listening to us. Brian, I'd love you to jump in and balance it out. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think you bring up good points, but at the same time, the mainstream media, like Mario said, they get things wrong. It happens all the time. That doesn't mean every single thing they're saying is going to be wrong. It also is important to kind of point out that the virus has mutated. There's, there, it started with Omicron, then it, it mutated to Delta, and then it mutated to all these different variants. And that affects the efficacy of the, of the vaccine, as well as the contagiousness of it. That's a word. And and other variables. So I, I think that you got to just... You, the you word is virulence. But yeah. Yeah. Well, let's... Yeah, yeah, so I, I, I don't think it's fair to just say that people. Oh, sorry, transmissibility. I don't want to confuse transmissibility and virulence. Sorry. <laughs> so carry on. Yes. Yeah, so, and, yeah, and, and Bobby, add on. By the way, let me I'll, I'll add on something to what Brian said. Jim, I'll, I'll go. I'll say something. I'll add something to Brian and then go to Nelson, then Jim. Is that okay, Jim? Just go Nelson well, mine, first. Mine was Brian, but okay, whatever you I got it. Yeah, I'll, I'll let you. Okay, mine's to Brian too. So maybe me and you go first. My thing to Brian is I'd add on something to him. As I've said this many times, I wouldn't put all mainstream, all media into that one bucket of mainstream media. I think there's media outlets that genuinely do a good, not a good job, genuinely try to do a good job at not lying and sticking to facts, avoiding. And I've been looking at the Epstein files. And one media company, despite multiple threats, threatened to quit if the story was 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 buried in any way and that actually were the reason that Epstein was uh, the, you know the story started catching on so i just want to give credit where it's due to the journalists that are doing the right thing the media outlets trying to do the right thing and there's systematic issues it's important to keep in mind as andrew mentioned earlier advertisers for example yeah and and uh, yes uh, who's not I'm doing it? Who's not doing it? Let me make my point. Yeah, yeah, no, no, oh, no, no. So, so, in, 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 no, no. But in, in support, I just said not all media. Some media oh, outlets oh, okay, are, okay, and okay. others are not. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just not trying to say not to put them all into one basket. And I give two extreme examples. If you compare Reuters to CNBC, because I put one that I know you don't like, and one you probably look at more objectively. I'm guessing yeah, you'd Reuters look at Reuters. Okay, CNBC is very biased. More right. biased, exactly, exactly. But I'll get uh, Jim to speak. Sorry, Jim. Yeah, no, I, I just want to say um, there are some media outlets that are trying to do good work. Jim, but... your mic is muted. Oh, is. No, we can hear yeah, him. No, you just, you oh, can't okay. hear me. We can hear him. Yeah. Okay, so anyway, oh, there are some media yeah. outlets, uh, a few, very few, who are really trying to do good work. But by the way, the people that were doing the Twitter files are good media people who got shut out of the system, FYI. Glenn Greenwald got kicked out of his own publication. And so those are the people that tend to be doing good media work. The, we've had a massive breakdown in media media are not skeptical of what the heck's going on around here by and large there's very few that that really meet the criteria that you're laying out there mario we have because due to many factors like anti-trump bias and uh, uh but hatred jim, jim, of jim, this but it's never been but jim it's never jim it's never been harder to keep a secret it's important to remember, like, I know oh. there's a lot of things we don't know. There's a lot of, conf- you know, censorship and, you know, things behind closed doors. But less than before, it's like every every decade, the world becomes more transparent. It's like we're heading in the right direction. Like media is, is you know, the amount of protection media has in some countries is is 
better than it's ever been. I, so, like, we're heading in the right direction. Yeah, Did you I don't think we're heading in the right direction. I think what we are learning from the revelations of the Twitter files, the Facebook files, is that there is a serious attempt out there with some power behind it to reduce real information. True, like that, uh, was true. social media, yes. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Social is, media kind of fucks it up because they have so much power. That's right, and this, this is my retort to Brian with respect. This is my retort to Brian is that, yeah, there are some people that get it wrong and that's what happens, but there is a serious uh, attempt in media these days to build narratives in the 1970s and eighties. We had in the United States, at least three major television stations and a few major papers. There was bias. Now there is narrative building on a larger scale than we've ever seen in this country. And I think it is a big concern. And I think it's important to be skeptical of that uh, because media, when it's good, is skeptical, even of doctors and studies and stuff. And they start looking through things. And that's a healthy debate to have. But now we're finding that we got to be skeptical of media in a general sense. That's real problematic because we're not getting good information. Now, I'm hopeful for the future because of what's happening on Twitter, but the future's not secured in that regard yet. So I think we jump over our skis too much to, to just say, Hey, you know, people get it wrong. No, it's not that good. I wish it were that good. And it's not. Uh, I, I agree. I, I, I agree that the media is all about a narrative. They're all about the ad dollars, the clicks, the, the crazy titles that get people to click. They don't even read the article and they share it on social media. So I, I, I do agree. I, I, I think that, media is out to make money and and it's a shame but that's how it is capitalism i'll, yeah, I'll let nelson jump in well. uh, yeah, so eugene i'll let you jump in after joining nelson yeah um first of all man appreciate you guys again for the space um jim i mean you summed it up perfectly i mean listen there there there's a reason why a lot of people are you know gravitating towards twitter when it comes to news period right i think i said this on a space previously Twitter is the number one news app, period, on the App Store right now, right? And this is as a result of people just, I mean, distrusting mainstream media, right? Especially after all the stuff that we've learned or we've started learning, you know, um, since the Twitter files, right? So I, I don't blame the journalists. Again, the journalists have no say. I mean, they're the <laughs> they're at the bottom of the totem pole when you think about it. Right. Because I've met, I mean, like Catherine and a few others here on Twitter. And I'm like, wow, wow. OK, they're not so bad after all. Right. And that really is the truth, bro. It's, it's And to Jim's point, things are not getting better. I don't see things getting better, bro. Right. I mean, Twitter is great and I hope it continues to grow and continues to give people like, you know, Catherine and other journalists an actual voice right an actual voice that can communicate with hundreds of thousands if not millions of people right where they can actually hear the truth as opposed to what you know these larger you know corporations and governments and industries want people to hear so once again bro mario tara ian nick appreciate you guys for what you do you guys are leading that charge on twitter and i definitely encourage everybody in here more to keep on supporting these spaces, keep sharing these spaces, tell your friends about these spaces, and let's keep rocking behind these guys, man, because they're doing something that's never been done before. 
Absolutely. Thanks, brother. Now, and, and Duffy, Thank Jim you. as well. Massive credit to Jim for organizing these. Uh, and Nelson as well, everyone. As you probably all know, Nelson does great spaces as well. He did one on, on uh, I think it was Biden. Um, I was on a plane, so I, I wish I could join. But Biden mandating or trying to mandate uh, masks again on mask. planes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that was a great space. So everyone just definitely check out Nelson and Grant Cardone spaces. They do them together. Um, I do want to go to, to Johnny. You've been waiting for a while. And then we'll go to, to Eugene, Kevin, and and then, and then wrap it up with Tara and Ian. Uh, go ahead, yeah. Joanne. I've been saying going to wrap it no, up no. two hours ago, dude. I think. <laughs> yeah, bro, bro. That, that's, that's amazing. Go ahead, Joanna. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think it was really beautifully put by Nelson and Jim. You've had quite a day today, Jim and Mario. You know, thank you guys so much, and and all of you, all of you hosts and panelists. But um, I just wanted to kind of point out that relationship relationship that was identified um, in the last Twitter files drop, and I heard a little bit um, today the Facebook drop as well. But the relationship between mainstream media, government, and big pharma, I feel like the curtain is is being peeled back here and the way that distrust is being discussed now, not just here on Twitter, but also at the World Economic Forum. If people have been watching, there's a lot of fear among uh, among many nation leaders, uh, among many uh, world billionaires um, about the distrust that is brewing now. And I think that this is a really exciting time and platform because we are looking truly at at a shift and revolution in how we receive information, process information, and distribute information. I'm really grateful for this space um, because I do I do think that this is a part of the rebuilding process, um, and it's important to ask that question: How do we rebuild out of all of this? distrust, mistrust um, that that has developed really uh, over the last decade or so. Um, but I just I wanted to kind of point that out as you guys are starting to wrap up here. Um, and again, thank you so much for for hosting you guys. Thank you so much, Joanna. Thanks for joining. Adam, I know you had a question for the panelists coming last minute. So I thought I'd bring you up so you can ask a question. Good to have you, man. Yeah. And, and thank you uh, for uh, allowing me to join. Your spaces are excellent. And uh, if I can just take a moment to say how much you've contributed to kind of Twitter 2.0. I, I, th- I think it's remarkable. So kudos to you and to Ian. And I see a lot of people that normally I would have been very adversarial with who uh, also are regular participants. So um, I see uh, Brian is here. And I also see Eugene is here. And I've listened to a lot of these spaces and I think they're remarkable. I think they allow for a lot of debate. Um, However, I do think they have a shortcoming in that, um, I, you know, I hear Eugene speak very frequently uh, and present his case very frequently. Um, I would disagree with what Viva Frey has said. And what Viva Frey said is he sees um, Eugene coming to the light or red pilling or whatever it is. And I, uh, I think that's an absurd term that I could also apply to Mao or to any other uh, tyrant that once the tyranny is eased a little bit uh, or they've moved on to a different type of anguish that uh, they, they've come to see the light. And uh, Eugene was one of the most persistent and aggressive uh, advocates for extreme lockdowns and for the hysteria. That, that's not true. I never I never supported extreme lockdowns, Adam. So don't, oh, don't I put have, words into uh, I will tell you this. As, Show as, me the proof. Yeah. Uh, well, I will tell you this. As uh, I see Jordan is is here with us, 
and some people might already know, uh, excuse me, Justin is here with us. And uh, as some people might already know, and for those who don't, I've been involved with this pretty much since day one. However, more as kind of a chronicler, if there is such a thing. And Justin, perhaps you could contribute to that description. But I've always thought of myself as a, a Thucydides, and this is my Peloponnesian War. And one of the aspects that I've done, rather than just kind of regular tweeting and, and such, is I've kept an extremely meticulous log. And I will say you are part of that. And I can go back to uh, you saying that that's, that's there will not be true. a million. That's not true, Adam. Okay. Especially if you're if you're going to be making accusations, you know, against me here publicly, you know, like I have been even I've been cyberbullied by the very doctors going on CNN. Okay, but we're like not talking about that. You've been cyberbullied. We're not talking and, about and you. So I've been middle of the road now. when it comes to the COVID nineteen pandemic. I've I've okay. always detested the extreme ends on both sides. How would you decide to say that I was part of the extremist end? Um, that's an accusation, Adam. That since you're mentioning me by name, I have to push back against that. Okay, you have to show me the evidence. I appreciate um, that. And that. Okay, but now you've described so yourself we... as middle. But you've described yourself as middle of the road. Can you give me a better understanding of what that road is, so I can? Uh, so you can you establish what that road is and what the middle for, of it first, is? First, I don't. I don't think it's necessarily appropriate for me yeah. to be on trial by you in in, in this Twitter spaces. So I will. I will. I'll do. I'll do this. Yeah. But hold on, Mario. If so I'll I do this. Eugene, Adam, uh, to, if I could just make one more yeah. uh, note to this. Yeah, and then I'll respond. And I'll Eugene, respond. Can you, go ahead, Adam. Could you cite specifically what your medical credentials are? Have you ever tweeted somebody with COVID? What was the treatment? I what have treated people with COVID. I own several clinics across I know, the nation. I know what you own. I, mean, I graduated I, I, I know from Duke Medical School. Adam, Adam, so, I'll let Ali, like, we'll let, we'll let, we'll let Eugene respond. I'm also ahead, not Eugene. on trial here. But uh, what treatment? You don't have to respond. So, so if you don't mind, Adam, I'm just COVID muted you. vaccines to patients. I have so what we could do, in more than Adam, six Adam. states. So what we could do, Adam, is I'm, I'm guys, yeah. So guys, I'm happy. I, I think, so I, okay, I will so say this. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I will say this. I, I don't think we want to turn this into a struggle session for anyone, whether they're on the left or right, pro lockdown, anti lockdown. I don't think it's the right space for it. I don't think it's very constructive. I don't. And think I'll, it's I'll give healthy. you and I'll, uh, and Adam, I'll I'll give you an example. I actually got a message earlier today from a very respected person that is on the left, a big supporter of vaccines. And I was getting, and I get this all the time, I was getting heavy criticism like, Mario, why are you giving the stage to people that are known to state false facts and they've known to be, you know, one of them has, has been, uh, you know, is, is, was in jail for a few years and you're giving them a, a space to speak. And I was criticized for that. And like all the people against vaccine and, and the old anti-vax movement, which is very toxic to, to society, etc. And then Adam, here you are making the argument but on, the, on the other side. Um, and the reason I give space to everyone is that people that love the lockdowns, they, they, they supported the lockdowns. I'm not saying Eugene did. I have no idea. But someone that did, I'll have them on the space. I want to understand why they did that. There's more people. It's not like one or two people in the world that support. There's millions of people that just support lockdowns, millions of people that were against lockdowns or billions or whatever. So I, I definitely want to hear their voice. It's important to make sure you hear the other side of the uh, other side of what you believe, and then you question your own beliefs. I've, al I've always said this, and I'll always be criticized for bringing various people on stage. I get attacked a lot for bringing Brian on stage. I also get attacked a lot for bringing Ian on stage, and that that, that goes on for everyone. No one's immune to this. Every, almost every single speaker, and, and that's part of it. That's part of what we do. It's very difficult to balance it out and like the the purpose of it is to give different perspectives always keep it balanced so then the audience can get can hear both sides of the argument and more importantly find on the points they agree on like this is the main goal of this and we've had people that are proponents of the vaccine 
people that are they they oppose the vaccine with their last breath, the last dying breath, agree on points together. And Eugene's seen this. I think Eugene and Ian one one had the other one blocked, and they had a Absolutely. negative history. And now they share the stage multiple times. So this is the purpose of the um, of the of the space. You know, I try not to keep it, not to make it personal. And anyone that can contribute one way or another, and like Eugene is the only one on stage right now. Uh, Joanna joined, so we have two. But he was the only one on stage when Liza jumped off that was supporting vaccines. How am I going to keep it balanced? If, if, if Eugene's not on stage, then I wouldn't, because other MDs couldn't join last minute. We weren't planning to do this, uh, to cover this study. So this is the goal of it. Um, and, uh, you know, trying our best. And it's been, I think it's been going really well. The numbers kind of speak for themselves. Uh, but I do appreciate you coming on stage, Adam. And I'm happy to take it offline and maybe connect you to Eugene if he's open for it. So this way you could, you, you guys could discuss that concern you have privately. Um, and, and Eugene, obviously, you don't have to answer on the space, and I appreciate you answering. Otherwise, uh, yeah, I think it's time to wrap it up. First, thank you so much for the panelists. It was, it was pretty, pretty epic space. It started off with, uh, you know, I was going into a very, very important meeting, probably the most important meeting. The reason I'm in Davos is mainly for that meeting, plus to support one of our projects. And then literally two minutes before the meeting, Facebook files drop, and the team did a great job with the co-hosts in making it happen. Jim and Ian, I think, were the first two to kick it off uh, for a few hours, and I joined in late. Um, so it's been an incredible space. We've covered Facebook files. We talked about uh, WEF, World Economic Forum, and we've covered the new study by Alex. I think it was Alex um, uh, about uh, the the study on mice regarding the negative impact of of um, vaccine boosters. And I think the study also included um, benefits in in, um, in the boosters against COVID. As like two two points that are worth mentioning: one pro, one. Con. We cover, we mainly focus on the on the negatives in this space. Uh, but yeah, Tara, Ian, any final words for the audience that will be signing up on the newsletter that's pinned above and that's tweeted on my account? Any final words for them? Sure do. Um, I just want to say I, I love what you've done with the spaces. I think they're very constructive, and that's what makes them so different from well from YouTube. Right, the biggest problem with YouTube is that it turned into blood sports. You had them start like this, and then there was no moderation, turned into blood sports, and now nobody wants to talk to anybody. There's no conversations. I mean, imagine what you know, the whole lockdown situation would have been like if people could actually talk to each other. We were censored. And not only that, people didn't want to talk to each other. And I think we're in a space now, right? Uh, not literally the space, but we're in a place now where I feel that we, you know, it is time for a, a great reset, if you will, where we can all come together and have a conversation, many, many different conversations that are constructive, healthy, not destructive. That's the opposite. We don't want to divide. We want to unify, right? We, can, we want to find common ground on every single issue, whether, you know, maybe you can agree to disagree. We, can, we will always have these disagreements. But what's important is that we have these conversations. So thank you, Mario, for, for, for facilitating that. And, uh, you know, I'm going to leave it to, to Tara. Tara? I'll give, since Tara can't speak, I'll give Jim and uh, Nick, who are the other two co-hosts, the final word. Jim? Yeah, I just want to say, uh, I, by the way, I agree with everything Ian said. Um, and, uh, this, this has been actually very enlightening. We've had a lot of people getting involved and thanks to everyone for being patient when we got kind of got dropped a couple times and coming back, because I think this was a valuable, valuable discussion. Um, anyway, I, I'm just grateful to be part of this, uh, Mario. I'm, I'm glad you have me do that. This is really what's fun. the, uh, tell them what's the tease, tease the next space. Oh, what's yeah. the next epic so space we're doing? Well, I tomorrow think we're talking. We have world... some six spaces uncovered. Yeah, they are just uh, be prepared. Uh, tomorrow we've got world economic forum. We're going to be talking to and, uh, seeing why, uh, uh, Mar in particular, why Mario's hanging out with Klaus Schwab so much. Uh, it, it, 
<laughs> Except the jo- I told you the jokes will not help people take it seriously. Yeah, I'm sorry. Man. No yeah, more no, jokes. Like this. Actually, going to be some really Im- impressive. Uh, should I say one group of people are going to be on there? Should I tease that a little uh, bit? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. You, I don't even know who's going to be on there. I haven't had time to check. Well, so, so, tell us. so we've contacted all the folks with Rebel News. They are going to be that they're on the ground. You need to go to the oh, Rebel epic. Rebel News thing. You see all their videos. They're just they're they're following everybody. And we'll have a bunch of people on too. And it's going to be a very interesting discussion. Straight from Davos, people have a million opinions on it, and we're going to go through those. Uh, and so that's what we're doing tomorrow. And uh, Brazil, uh, we're going to talk about Brazil at four p.m. on Saturday. At least I've got people coming in. So you definitely want to be part about uh, part of that as well. And then we have got the the epic the epic Russia Ukraine war debate that was meant to be yes two days ago. We rescheduled it by a week just because you know we, we I couldn't make it. Yeah. Um, that's going to be in, on Tuesday. Tuesday. It's going to be a real. I think it's on Tuesday. Yeah, Tuesday at noon. We've got we got lots of folks coming. Um, I found a lot of folks on sort of kind of sort of my side, and and there we have folks on the other side too. Going to be a powerful debate. Talking about Ukraine, Russia, and we're trying to we're trying to get things on both sides of this, so that's going to make it a powerhouse discussion, probably as energetic as this one. So yeah, great, Nick? great space. Thanks, bro. Cool. Yeah, abs- absolutely. Um, Ian always hits it right on the head. Um, I-, I think that it's awesome. Actually, based earlier in the space, you were talking about how people in Davos were actually coming up to you and they were impressed with what you've been able to build here. Uh, We've been able today. to build. They've, they've even mentioned Unix, so, so just just to be sure. <laughs> they mentioned me. Mentioned me. <laughs> but again, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it was. Uh, I think I broke up there for a second. Um, yeah, I think we've been live now for what eight and a half hours now. Is that that's about right? So covered that's a lot insane. of topics. In that it's fucking time. mental. Brought on like probably you know over the course of the time fifty different panelists up here. I mean, just cycling through them. So. Um, yeah, I think there's still a lot of unanswered questions on these topics, though, and we keep finding out more and more as the day goes on. You know, new studies that come out, new whistleblower documents, new Twitter files, and, you know, I, there's been a lot of revelations, uh, uh, and there's going to be a lot more soon. The cool the cool thing, Nick, to add to, to it is that us, we're making it, I know it just sounds fucking cheesy, but we are make, making a difference. When you have, and I said in Davos, when you have powerful people refer to the space, and powerful is obviously not the best term, but people that are, you know, policy makers or, or people that manage multi-billion dollar funds, influential, powerful, whatever you want to use, I don't care. Uh, but people that, that have influence uh, refer to the space and like, hey, I've spent hours on the space, or I remember the days you covered, you know, the Brazil um, protests or riots, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it. It just shows that people are paying attention to what we're doing here. Um, I think Elon will be very, very happy to see the progress that we've made. And, um, you know, if we, I, I, and I can't wait for the day that we have not a million total listeners, but a million live listeners at any one time. And hopefully, right. you know, by, by next year or so, that will be fucking insane. So, uh, yeah, let's Absolutely. keep doing what we're doing. And, uh, yeah, Nick, Jim, and everyone else, um, you know, thanks for making it possible, guys. Uh, is Tara back with us? Any final word or not? Tara, last chance if you're back with us. No, she she's awful. Her mic is not working. All right, everyone. No. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Um, and uh, yeah, Brian, Justin, Viva, Eugene, Joanna, Nelson. Um, we'll see you next time. Take care, everyone. Bye.